think you think I'm kidding, huh? No, I don't think you're kidding. Good, good, because I'm not kidding. So, so what penalties can we put in place so that when a man has a study for all his chips, people can shut up? Just ask. Them. I mean, I'm really, I'm not upset. I might sound upset. Just I'm not upset. Guys, give me a little. Bit. That's all. Just ask me a little. Bit. I did that. They do. They do. I said please. I mean, I didn't. I didn't hear the please word. But if you say please, I hey. I yeah. won't say a word. Well, no, Maury, I want to know what you have I, in place for next I, time. I, I, Gus, you can verify that I tried to clear it. And what him, happens if I ask and, and they continue to, to talk? Just kill time? Wait until they just stop. kill time? Yeah. Wait until they stop. Then you just have more time for the decision. I'm not playing anymore if that's the way it's going to be. I mean, that's not poker. Let's have a moment you, I can't use my fulfill. reading abilities in poker anymore? <laughs> reading, they abilities. Talk to it. <laughs> reading abilities? Damn, I gotta get Why a drink. Why don't you shut the up? I gotta get a drink. Can you say that on TV? That's out of line, Phil. That's really you're out of line. Out of line. And I you're too say, stupid to know I it. I didn't say a word to you. You're just jumping down my throat for no reason right now. For no reason? For no reason. You got, you're playing bad, you got a losing hand, and you're just trying to get some TV time. Mock your hand, idiot. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff with Tellus. This is being brought to you live and recorded live. Right now, the time is 9.52 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, and it is March 26, 2022. We have a free roll. It started at 9.35, but you still have eight minutes left to get in there on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You have until 10 with late registration with a full stack. We are giving away $50 this week which came from three sources. $10 came from Belly Buster that was using up the $500 he sent us a while back. So now we're all done with that. I thank him for that very generous donation. Mickey's 50 out of 54 wins gave $25. Not Mickey Maz, not another Mickey, not Mickey Mouse, but Mickey's wins themselves. He won 50 out of 54 times, so he says. And those wins gave $25 and $15 came from V12CL involuntarily because he won back in April of 2021, did not claim it in the six months that you have to claim it. So this has been rolled back into the pool. But I thank him for that anyway. So that's $50, 25 for first, 15 for second, 10 for third on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. Should be a small field because, number one, the show got delayed by a day, and number two, it's almost 10 Pacific time. So I have to imagine a lot of people are sleeping or not available to listen, or not even aware we're on. We originally had it scheduled for 9.15, but I moved it to 9.35. I probably should have moved it later because we didn't start until near 10, but you can still get in. Go to PokerFraudAlert.com slash FreeRoll, PokerFraudAlert.com slash FreeRoll, all lowercase, to understand the qualification requirements to win that free money, which I can pay you by Zelle, by Cash App, by bank transfer, by Bitcoin or other cryptos or other methods that you can think of where money can be sent online, but not ACR money. Don't ask me for ACR money. I don't have it. But we will talk about ACR money tonight, just not my money. If you want to call the show, the phone number, as always, is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. That's also the number to text the show. You can text before the show. You can text after the show. You can text during the show. In fact, if you text during the show, then I may read your text on the air unless you ask me at the beginning not to do so. But if you want to text me anytime, no matter when the mood strikes, whether I'm on or not, 
you can text me, 775-372-8355, which is also the main phone number which you can call during the show. But please try to call in between segments or as we're winding down a segment. Even if you want to comment on the segment itself, please call in towards the end of it so we can take your call and get your comments. Otherwise, I may not answer because I don't like interrupting our train of thought here, whether it's just myself or it's myself and the co-host, whatever it is. I found that it makes better radio to complete what we're discussing and then take calls. But I do appreciate all callers, especially new callers I haven't heard of, heard from before or heard of. There's people who call in I've never heard of. Sometimes I get calls that I'm a little suspicious of that I think might be prank calls. I think there might be people putting on funny voices and using fake identities. But still, you can call. You can call. I may not believe that you're legit, but you can call. You we also have a chat room. The chat room, you can go in there and you can talk to whoever is listening live. And right now there's a few people in there. If you're listening in the archives, which is most of you, in fact, almost all of you listening in the archives are not live, but we do broadcast live, then there's nobody in there. But you can still go in and scroll back. But you do need a forum account in good standing to get into the chat room. If you don't have a forum account in good standing, you cannot. There's no way you can see it. There's no way you can get in. There's no way you can chat. So register a form account. And oh my goodness, I can't believe this person is still up. This is a person with very early hours, but not tonight. Trader Ruski, hello. You know, you said 9.30. First it was 8.30, then it was 9.30. I was hanging on, but I got a little second win, so I'll stay for a part of it, probably come back on the uh, end. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know if we'll be that long tonight, but I say that other weeks and then we are that long. We're not going to go 13 hours. I'll promise you that, but... Uh, Eight is possible, I guess, if uh, I get on a roll, especially if Brandon calls in and we do other things. You know how it goes. But thank you for calling in. I'm glad you're joining us here. And I'll try to power through this uh, intro fast so we can get more of you. The call to listen line is a phone number you can call and listen to the show. It is not a call-in number where you can talk to me, but you can listen. And it's great. You can use it from any phone in the world that can dial The phone number is 605-313-0736, 605-313-0736. We have an alternate call to listen number, 641-741-1095. They both work the same way, and it does not require a smartphone, does not require a data plan, does not require a computer, or even the internet, or even a good signal on your cell phone. If you're driving in the hills or the mountains and you have one bar, no problem. Just call up, listen, and it will never buffer. It'll never freeze. Unlike all other forms of streaming media, which are always vulnerable to buffering and streaming, no matter how good your connection is. This will never buffer. This will never freeze. Try it. You won't find one time that it ever buffers or freezes. It's not like I get texts saying, hey, Todd, you said that this thing doesn't buffer or freeze, but I was listening and it froze. No, it does not. Now, it occasionally breaks and just stops working. And you can text me if that happens and I'll fix it. But it's usually up. It, it has a pretty good track record. But it never buffers or freezes. It's never going to like pause, quiet, 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 and then come back on in the same spot 10 seconds later. Not going to happen. Very nice way to listen. Sound quality not as good as listening to the stream, but you got to give up something. To make it not buffer or freeze, the sound quality had to be degraded a bit. But it works. You know, this is not a music show, so you don't need perfect sound quality. And uh, you know, it'll sound good. More than 2 million minutes have been listened to on the call to listen line. And unless you have T-Mobile, it's a free call from 
any phone that can dial the U.S. for free, T-Mobile, it costs one cent a minute, which I don't get. Here is our agenda. You have one minute left to get into the free roll. Hurry up. Queen for off gate. Queen for off gate happened this week. Do you know what I'm talking about, Troy Daruski? I do, I do not. Okay. Phil Helmuth has gotten everyone talking because uh, during a U.S. poker tour event on Poker Go, he called a big all-in bet when he was holding Queen 4 offsuit. And he won the hand, too. So everyone's shocked that Phil Helmuth, who berates people all the time for their perceived suboptimal play, for their perceived donkey play, whenever he loses, he gets really mad and berates people. How could the berater make such a loose call with Queen 4 offsuit? But guess what? There was a person I know who played with Phil Helmuth at the World Series of Poker on a TV table, and Phil Helmuth raised under the gun with Queen Deuce and busted that person. I know that person real well because I see him every day in the mirror. Yes, I have personal history with Phil Helmuth playing a Queen Trash hand and busting me with it. And this was 13 years ago. So I'm going to tell you about that, and I'll play you the clip of the Queen 4 offsuit and also of a hand where uh, Phil Helmuth berated someone else for a Queen something hand that beat him from many years ago. A lot of hypocrisy with Phil Helmuth, of course. Dan Bilzerian, remember I said last week he got fired from GG Poker? Well, maybe he's not so fired after all. I will tell you about that. The World Series of Poker is raising its pay for dealers. I wish Shoeshine Box, Mark Fusil, I wish he was still around to see this because he was a World Series of Poker deal dealer. He was a very good dealer. I always enjoyed having him at my table, and not just because I ran well when he dealt to me, but uh, very, very nice guy and very uh, interesting guy. Always fun to have dealing to your table. Unfortunately, he has uh, passed away at the end of last year. But uh, he's not going to be reaping the benefits of this. But we will talk about this raise and pay for World Series dealers and whether Caesars is doing this because they appreciate their dealers and want to be generous or if there might be other reasons. We have a poker fraud alert investigation underway. The last time we did this, by the way, it ended up happily. So hopefully this one does too. The last one wasn't too long ago. It was also this year. But a player on ACR claims a withdrawal was made without his permission. He didn't make it. And that $9,000 was stolen out of his account through this unauthorized withdrawal. And Poker Fraud Alert is on the case. Maybe harder to get this guy his money back than the last one we handled. But I will tell you what's going on with that and where we stand with it. By the way, there's no one I know. It's not a friend of mine. I had no idea he existed until I heard about the story. Then we will have Druffy Time Theater. How well do you know me? I'm going to tell you four short stories from my past where you can guess what happened. When I say you can guess, at the beginning of each of the four short stories, I'm going to give you four possibilities of what happened. And I'm going to pause and give you a moment to think. You can decide in your head what you think the answer is. And then I'm going to tell you what really happened. And you can see how well you know me. There's four of these, and I have three for next week. There's seven total. We're not going to do seven this week. We will do four this week and three next week. So that's Druffy Time Theater. Texas Card House in Dallas has gotten a decision on their appeal 
to stay open. Remember, the city of Dallas trying to shut them down. I'll tell you what happened with that. $8 million has been awarded to a Vegas area casino customer. Now, this is not a major casino, in case you're wondering which one. I'm sure it's a casino you've never heard of. It's not even in the city of Las Vegas, but it's in the Vegas area. Anyway, $8 million was rewarded to a customer who was served cleaning fluid in place of beer and really injured his throat. How does that happen? I have no idea. Anyway, we'll talk about that, and I'll tell you which place it occurred. Remember scammer Dan Bekovac of the Midway Poker Tour? Remember a Poker Fraud Alert forum member brought this situation here because he was one of the victims, and... It was very clear, and Chad Holloway, who was present during this, actually, he was there to report on the tournament, but then he ended up reporting on the scamming by Dan Bekovac. He followed the story very much, and in fact, uh, Bekovac uh, cussed him out when he saw him uh, later in person. So very good reporting by Chad Holloway there. Anyway, that money was pretty much gone, in my opinion, but maybe not, because Mr. Bekovac's still playing poker, and he won a tournament for six figures. And now he's vowing to pay people back. So I'll tell you about that and remind you of the scam. Then we have a segment I do occasionally called What Would Druff Do? Where a listener or a forum member posts a situation they are in and wonders what I would do if this were to occur to me. So in this week's What Would Druff Do? A listener asked a question regarding a casino reneging on their promised dinner comp to this person. What can you do when you're offered a comp and then eat the dinner and then it turns out you don't have a comp? What would I do? What should he do? And how can you avoid this? So I'll tell you that. Isle Casino in Blackhawk, Colorado is going to be branded Horseshoe Blackhawk. It is a Caesar property now as part of the El Dorado merger. And they're going to have World Series of Poker branding there as well. I will give you my own observations on Blackhawk and how I feel that property is going to do and whether you should visit Blackhawk, Colorado. I was just there less than a year ago. Finally, a couple was charged with cheating roulette at a Pittsburgh casino. How do you cheat in roulette? Were they using some kind of magnets, as you've heard about sometimes happening to influence the ball? Well, I will tell you how they cheated in roulette, and I will tell you what has happened to them. So that is our agenda for this evening. So let's get right into Queen 4 Offgate. So it's important to understand that Phil Helmuth, while being an excellent player, while being a timeless player, it turned out, not just a relic from the past who used to be able to beat the game, but uh, can't hang with the younger players who uh, use all their solvers and uh, playing millions of hands online— no, 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 no. He's he's kept up very well with the times. He's done extremely well recently. He's won all these high-profile heads-up matches. He continues to win bracelets. He continues to make final table after final table at other events. So one thing you can't say for Phil Helmuth is that he sucks or that he's a has-been. It's just not true. You may want to say that. You may not like him, and you may want to claim he's a donkey. And I've heard this ever since I've heard of Helmuth. I've heard for years and years, Helmuth is a donkey. Helmuth is overrated. Helmuth can only win at No Limit Hold'em tournaments with big fields where he's playing against weak players. I hear this over and over and over. It's not true. 
Now, he used to have some weaker games, like if you put him in a game with a lot of uh, top-limit Hold'em players, which he was in, and I, I watched him there, and he wasn't as good as the top-limit Hold'em players, but okay, these are limit Hold'em specialists, so it makes sense why he's not as good as the rest of them. But he's even improved his mixed game playing, so that may not even be the case today anyway. But Phil Helmuth, one thing that can be said for him, despite all his other faults, is that he is a great poker player. He's especially a great tournament player, but he's proved he can handle it himself in cash too. And he has a natural ability at the game. He has a natural ability to see where he is in hands and to get his opponents to basically hang themselves against him. And that's one good thing about Phil Helmuth. And from a personal standpoint, I will say that uh, from everything I've heard, Phil Helmuth does not mess around on his wife, that he loves his wife. He's been with her for decades. He, Even though he's on the road for a long time, sometimes away from her, there has never been any stories or rumors that he's ever cheated on her or visited prostitutes or whatever. It just never. I'm, I'm not saying that sarcastically. I mean, I'm seriously uh, serious that never has this even been whispered. It seems like he's very loyal to his wife. In fact, he's so loyal that uh, he accidentally showed when he was doing a, a video of a place he was trying to sell in Vegas, there was a box of Kleenex on the nightstand. <laughs> which people laughed at, but I guess that's indicative that that's, that's what he's doing when he's away from his wife, which is, uh, I'm sure she's happy to think that's what's going on rather than him cheating. So those are some good things about Phil Helmuth, but I will say... Phil Helmuth has a lot of faults, and one of the faults he has is that he is uh, very rude to his opponents who beat him at the poker table, as you guys well know. Something that always bothered me was seeing him berate recreational players. Now, when I'm at a table with Phil Helmuth, as I have been many times at the World Series of Poker, I have fun with it. I talk trash back to him. In fact, I'll start talking trash to him, even if he's not talking trash to me. I will start if I see him berating others. I usually won't start up with him out of nowhere if he just moves to the table, but I will start up with him if I see him talking trash to others, especially rec players, and I'll start making little quips to... uh, make the table laugh at him. You know, I, I kind of have fun with his presence there, and we've gotten into it a few times there. The funny thing is every time that happens, or almost every time that happens, later he tries to make nice with me and say, oh, you know me, you know, you know the way I am, I, I'm not a bad guy. <laughs> so he actually wants me to walk away not thinking badly of him, which is so funny because he's this huge poker star and I'm not. But, uh, you know, he knows I'm someone in poker. He knows I'm, I'm not like a rec player, I'm not that unknown in poker, so he wants me to still think okay of him. That's just part of his quirks. But anyway, you know, pros getting berated by Helmuth, at least you can say they know Helmuth, they know his deal. Some of them find it funny. Some of them take it like a badge of honor to be berated by him. So I'm not so worried about the pros that get berated by him, though I will say I've seen some of the pros look very uncomfortable when he berates them. Like, I've, I've seen it before, including, like, veterans who've been around for decades, ones who've been around a lot longer than I have. I've seen look very uncomfortable when he's berating them. So I'm not saying that's good. I'm just saying that at least they understand the deal. But the rec players, I feel very bad for them when he berates them because he doesn't just do it to pros. And I've seen some of the rec players look horrified because here's this big star just telling them they're a huge fish, they're terrible, 
you know, what are they doing? How can they be so stupid? And it feels very bad. A lot of them idolize him. A lot of them look up to him. In fact, I told a story before where a guy who had uh, tweeted in support of Helmuth when Helmuth and I were arguing and was bashing me and taking Helmuth's side, about 10 minutes later, he put a bad beat on Helmuth, who then ripped into him, and the guy felt really stupid. And I saw the guy the next day, and he told me he felt stupid for defending Helmuth there, given the way uh, Helmuth ended up ripping into him 10 minutes later. And it was the guy wasn't rude at all to Helmuth. The guy just put a bad beat on him, and I, I, I watched this happen. At the time, I didn't know the guy had tweeted in support of Helmuth against me, but I watched it, I felt so bad for the guy. It's just some rec player from Minnesota who didn't deserve this. So that's my biggest criticism of him and his behavior at the table. And he doesn't just do it for the TV cameras. I see him doing this in backroom, small WSOP events that no one's paying attention to. They're bracelet events, but they're events that will never be on TV and that really nobody's paying that much attention to except for the people in the event. So you can't even say, oh, that's a character for TV, but away from the table, he's not like that. The problem I think has occurred is that Phil Helmuth's real personality has kind of adopted a TV personality he developed. Now, he was known as a whiner for many years before poker appeared on TV. In fact, I remember reading a card player magazine from like 01 or 02. Of course, this is before poker blew up on TV. And Phil Helmuth wrote in his column that he used to have in card player that people were joking that he ended up heads up with a guy whose last name was Weiner, W-E-I-N-E-R. So they said, oh, look, Weiner versus Weiner, which, which is kind of funny, and it's kind of true. But uh, even though Phil Helmuth naturally did complain when he would lose, he, he turned it up a notch for the TV cameras, and then I think it bled into his regular personality to where he just always does it now. It's become part of him more than it was before. So he can't just turn it off when he's away from the cameras. I don't think he means to humiliate these people and make them feel terrible. I think he just feels this is the way he needs to act when he takes a bad beat and he's frustrated. Sometimes the bad beat is not even that bad. Sometimes it's just very standard. Sometimes the person didn't even make a strategic mistake. But what Phil doesn't understand is if everybody played as well as him, he wouldn't have all these bracelets. He wouldn't have all this money he won in poker. He wouldn't have all this fame. He wouldn't have all these expensive endorsements. Phil Helmuth has all of this because he is a much better poker player than the vast majority of people. And that has been very good to him. Otherwise, he'd be at some regular job, maybe one that isn't that good, making ordinary money. So he should be thrilled that there are players out there who don't make optimal plays. I mean, yes, it's frustrating when you take a bad beat and it knocks you out. I played a uh, live tournament for only the second time in the last uh, two and a half years. That was at the bike. I played a Omaha event. And I took some pretty brutal beats before getting knocked out. I, I didn't come close to cashing. I was knocked out in the middle of the field. But I lost some very big pots to what went to a two-outer one to a four-outer on the river. So this was really crappy. And, and every time I was against a guy who was in that shouldn't have been in the hand pre-flop and shouldn't have been in the hand post-flop after the action and was and got there. So did I berate him? Did I get mad? No, I, I was internally frustrated I lost these pots. But I thought to myself, even as I walked away, that the people who are making all these loose calls and getting there on me are the ones who are responsible in the tournaments where I do well for 
chipping me up in many cases. Just, it didn't work out for me. So anyway, back to Helmuth. There's been this uh, U.S. poker series that's been on Poker Go. The final tables have been on Poker Go. And I think all or most of them have been streamed for free, so you don't have to be a Poker Go subscriber. I know I watched part of one uh, earlier in the week that was uh, free, free because I don't have Poker Go. And Helmuth has appeared at some of these. These are small fields, so it's not surprising to see some of the same people making the final table over and over. And uh, Helmuth has been one who has been making some final tables there. And when I say small fields, I mean like 47 people, 40 people, things like that. So this hand I'm going to talk about occurred at the U.S. Poker Open 25K No Limit Hold'em event, which you have to imagine isn't going to get a ton of people because uh, it's a 25K buy-in. I've never entered a 25K buy-in in my life, nor do I think I ever will. Maybe if the main event went up to that, I would, because the main event is such good value. But aside from that, I'm never entering an event of that size, unless uh, we continue having the inflation at the pace we are now, then maybe 25K will be worth what 10K is today in not too long. But aside from that, I'm not going to enter a 25K event, I don't think, uh, at any point. Anyway, 63 people entered this, and uh, it ended up being won by Eric Seidel. So... I guess congrats to him, but uh, that's not the story here. The story here is who finished second, which was one Philip Helmuth. But the story is not about Helmuth finishing second in a 63-man tournament. The story is the Queen-4 offsuit hand against Alex Foxen, who finished third. So I'm going to play you a clip that was actually posted by Poker Go on Twitter, you can listen to this. I'll describe the action since you won't be able to watch it. And there's been a lot of talk on Twitter about this matter, including Helmuth himself is uh, commenting on it and watching tweets about this. In fact, he saw my tweet, and I'll tell you how I know in a second. Here is the Queen for offhand. Arguably one of the worst decisions of his poker career. Helmuth, you're not going to stick it in with Queen for off soon, right? Okay, so let me tell you what's going on here. You just heard the beginning of that commentary. Helmuth... He had a 950,000 stack, and uh, Foxen was the chip leader at the time with 3.1 million. The blinds were 30K, 60K, and the big blind Andy was 60K. So Helmuth had about 16 blinds. So it's not super short. And keep in mind, he had a third of what the chip leader Foxen had, or almost a third, maybe about 30% of what Foxen had. It's not like he was impossibly short, and at that point, if you try to make a stand, or if you try to raise and someone goes all in over you, you just have to take a stand with any two cards. He wasn't like that. What happened in this hand was that Foxen opened, and for whatever reason, Helmuth decided to flip out and three-bet from the big blind. Foxen opened from the button. And Helmuth decided, you know what, I, I think Foxen's just trying to steal. He's the chip leader. I think he's just trying to steal. So since I'm seen as a player who's not going to make uh, plays like this and is only going to three-bet out of the big blind, he's got a real hand, I I'm just going to push Foxen off here, who's probably making a loose raise. So Helmuth was trying to exploit his image as kind of a tight player who doesn't throw away chips. So he three-bet to 350K from the big blind. 
he still had 600k behind at this point. So then uh, Foxen forbet to 890k, which if Helmuth calls is essentially all in. Foxen had pocket nines, by the way. So that's where we are here. And first of all, the three bet out of the big blind is a little bit weird. But then you'd think at that point, he's not going to toss in the rest of his stack knowing that uh, Foxen doing this to him has to be strong. So here's what happened. Is he genuinely considering? Fifty. I, I, I hope not, Jeff, for all that is sacred now. in the world Everybody of poker. Else call you. No, no, one no nobody would call here. Not a single queen person, four. Phil. No. Only one Phil Hummies. Very <laughs> crafty, three bet, a little aggro, uh, over the top, sort of bad timing. But absolutely nobody is putting the rest of the money in. This is a guy that can dodge bullets, but he can't get away from queen four. Walk smack dab into this bullet if he puts chips in. I am, hard to think. I am just shocked that he is taking this much time with this decision that is not a decision. I don't even see time he's, banks. Is he out of time banks? No, he's got Pay some. jumps 25,000. Oh, my God. Is he considering putting it in with queen four off? So he says pay jumps 25,000. So what he was referring to is that if he does not bust here, if he folds and retains the less remainder of his chips and somebody else busts ahead of him, then he gets 25000 more. Which, yes, is the buy-in here, but Phil has so much money that couldn't be a big concern for him. Yeah, I guess I better play to win. Oh my! Oh, oh, oh my! No! He makes the call with the queen four! What am I? What, what is happening? Queen on the flop! I mean, how, how does he do it? He's gonna... He's, he's being rewarded for this at the moment! Are we seeing white magic at work? <laughs> Not just uh, at the moment. It looks very bad for Vox in there because it's queen, king, seven, rainbow. So nines don't really have anywhere to go. The only way he's going to win is if he catches a nine or if it uh, does a running straight with jack ten. So very bad shape for Foxen at this point. <laughs> I don't know what we're seeing. I, I... Five on the turn. Foxen needs a nine to eliminate Helmuth. You're not going to find this in any uh, strategy books or tutorial videos at home. So, Foxen's eyebrows raise, and why not find another queen on the river? Calls I it mean, off my with the God, four. what did we just witness? I knew we were going to get all the antics and, and, and fireworks, how he can't help himself. Was I all on another time other than but the But what the heck was that? Helmuth already trying to run damage control there. Was I only in one other time with Kings? Uh, he was trying to say there that uh, he was trying to give the impression that he never re-raises like this weak. He's trying to show that he was making a move here that no one would expect and then just kind of went with it. But I will say Foxen did not react. He was stone-faced. He didn't say one word. I'm sure internally he was not happy, but he was... Keeping quiet, ultimately finished third. Decent chance he would have won the whole thing if this didn't happen, if uh, the nines held up against the queen four. But Foxen took it well, took it like a professional. That was the clip from Poker Go. Helmuth did not admit that he played it like a donkey. Helmuth did not 
say, you know, if, if anyone did this to me, I would have gone off on them. Of course he doesn't because Helmuth's not really self-aware. However, I have this. I have this also on Poker Go, but it was not originally broadcasted by Poker Go. He's Poker Go bought the rights to this old World Series footage on ESPN, apparently. And here is from the 2008 main event, which was broadcast on ESPN at the time, long before Poker Go existed, commentated by Norman Chad and Lon McCarran. And here is Phil Helmuth 14 years ago against Adam Ruthless Levy at the main event. And listen to what happened here involving a hand with a queen. Raised to 15,000. Maybe today, today's a different day. Today, like yesterday, Phil's face is on 12 million beer cans. On to Adam Levy, Queen 10. He is a very powerful online player. People from all around the world log on to watch the guy they call Ruthless Play. Okay, let me stop this right here. So Levy has Queen 10 of clubs, and Helmuth has pocket eights. So Queen 10 of clubs is not a bad hand, obviously. So Helmuth raised, and Levy called. I mean, this looks pretty standard to me. He skipped last year's World Series so he could be a camp counselor in Georgia. The flop with these guys' heads up, 9-6 jack. pair of eights are still best for Helmuth. Levy with an up-and-down straight draw. Not the best flop for Phil to see, but he bets it. 20,000. Levy with the draw. Yeah, why wouldn't he stick around with that straight draw? A call. So let's see what happens next. All right, so now the turn card. Turns an eight of diamonds. Levy hits a straight, and that also gives Helmuth a set. So obviously a horrible card for Helmuth giving him a set, but giving Levy the nuts with a queen-ten straight. So unless the board were to pair on the river, Helmuth's going to lose here, but Helmuth is believing he has the best hand. That is an unfortunate card for Phil. Phil checks. Phil's slow playing it, not realizing how much trouble he's in. Levy will not slow play his straight. That's 37,000. And Phil with a quick call. A deuce on the river. Levy earns the check mark. He's got the straight. It's a blank on the river, and Helmut's got to like his hand. Uh, unfortunately for Phil, Adam Levy's got the nuts. 60,000 60, from Phil Helmuth. Phil value bets it. Yeah, the Queen 10 straight is just almost disguised with that board. I'm not tricky enough to play Queen 10 this good, am I? So Helmuth, funny enough, says that he has Queen 10. He says, I'm not tricky enough to play Queen 10 this good, am I? Trying to entice a call out of Levy. Helmuth pretty sure he has the best hand with a set of eights. Levy's the one with the Queen 10. (laughs) Raise. Levy announces raise up to 155,000. Not only did Levy raise, uh, you're actually required to raise in a heads-up pot acting second if you have the nuts. You cannot just call or it's a penalty. It's considered collusion. So you actually have to raise if someone in a heads-up pot bets into you on the river and you have the nuts. Now that raise freezes Phil momentarily. Let's see if he comes back over the top with his set. Phil just with a call. I love this announcing here just with the call. Come on, you get raised on the river like that. There's no chance with the third set that you're going to come over the top when there's a straight out there, too. Come on. Queen, queen 10. Yeah, Levy with a queen 10 and the win. Called a race with a... Ten of clubs. He called a race with queen 10, honey. I know, honey. He's some online guy. 
I had a set. He's supposed to bust me anyway. Call the race with a queen ten. I think he's from Florida or someplace stupid. He's this fucking internet player. That's what he was saying there that they bleeped out. Call the <laughs> race with queen ten. Idiot player. Call the fucking raids with Queen 10, fucking idiot player, he's saying to Ruthless. Actually, he doesn't look like an idiot player, and I don't think he did anything wrong that hand. This was bound to happen sooner or later. He called a race with Queen 10. How do these players, how are they even still in this tournament? So Phil walked over to the audience and was announcing this to everybody. He, he walked away from the table. This is now being heard away from the table. And you're just hearing it clearly because he has a microphone on. And he's announcing this to the people watching the table back in 08. They let him in every day. And I have a set. I know you had a set, Puddin'. It's just unbelievable. This kid probably won't last another hour. Half hour tops. I promise. Watch. He called the race with a queen and a ten. A queen and a ten. How do these players even last this long? Don't know. I mean, it's just so sick. They have no concept of None. poker. It was an aggressive call. Aggressive call? Idiot. <laughs> Aggressive call, fucking idiot. Freaking gave me a freaking. Nice deal in there. Mighty fine, buddy. Mighty fine. Now he's you been want to pop one time. Now, now he's be rating the dealer. They've been just raising me and re raising me all day. Actually, this is a new dealer. You give me a set. I just sat down, though. Unbelievable. I am exhausted, Lon. Idiot players call races with Queen 10. They don't even know how to spell poker. I mean, this kid has all the chips. He probably won't even make the final 200. Can you call a clock on tirades? You showed a raise with Jack 4. What do you think the guy's going to do? Not call you? Uh Uh-oh. Come on, Buddy, you moved in with King 10, so please don't discuss poker with me. Uh, Poker brat rant for the ages. Okay, so some of you may remember this. It was a pretty... Legendary exchange there, and of course, uh, Ruthless was uh, not only a successful online player, but he got to be better known over the years. And he's still around, so he did last. He didn't uh, disappear like Helmuth guessed. He also got uh, pretty deep in that World Series, and forgetting how deep. But anyway, that was the exchange involving Queen Ten suited. Here, Phil Helmuth went all in with Queen Four off. He didn't just go all in; he called in all in with Queen Four off, which is even worse. Because when you go all in, at least you have the chance that your opponent will fold. Once someone goes all in against you, you cannot induce a fold. So then it requires stronger holdings to call. So just remember that. (laughs) Remember that hand from 08 and think about the queen four. But hold on. Hold on. Forget Adam Ruthless Levy. Forget him. I have something a little more recent from the next year, from 2009, also on ESPN. Unfortunately, I cannot find it on YouTube anymore. It used to be there. Someone posted it without authorization, and it is gone. I assume that PokerGo probably did one of their infamous DMCA copyright takedowns to get rid of it, and that's been happening a lot, so I have to assume that's why it's gone. Anyway, I can't find it anywhere, and I didn't save a copy myself. If for whatever reason you have a copy of this, please let me know, because I would like a copy of it. But I was on ESPN in 2009, and I was at day two of the main event. We weren't anywhere near close to cashing, and I was short-stacked. I was happy to be on that featured table, because I got almost my entire buy-in back from last-minute patch-wearing. 
I wore Doyle's room, and I wore the Maven VT, which was a training site run by David the Maven Chikotsky. And I wore those two together. I got permission to wear them both together, and I got almost my whole buy-in back, which was very nice because I was short-stacked and didn't think I was going to make it, and I did not. But the person who stopped me from making it further was Mr. Phil Helmuth. And he raised. I was pretty short-stacked. Under the gun, he raised. And I had pocket threes in the big blind. And I think there was one caller, and I called. Very standard. And the flop came with a three. So I figured, all right. Obviously, I'm getting my chips in no matter what here. There were two of whatever suit on the board. So... I was vulnerable to a flush, obviously, but I was liking the spot. When you're short stack and you flop a set, you're basically loving it. So we got it all in on the turn when the third flush card hit. And when Helmuth didn't snap call me, then I really thought I was good. And then he goes, just give me a second. Let me check if I have it. And then looks and then turns it over. And yes, Helmuth did have it. He had the flush and he was playing... Queen do suited under the gun. <laughs> Phil Helmuth raised with Queen do suited under the gun. And I called with threes for the big blind, flopped a three. He flopped the flush draw. He made the draw on the turn. We got it in, and I did not get the board to pair. So that was the end of me from the 2009 main event. While we were waiting for the river card to be dealt, because they do it slowly in these moments because it's for TV, I said, Queen do suited under the gun? Man. And Phil just sat there silent. He didn't respond, said nothing back. Because you know how he would have acted if this was reversed. If I had raised under the gun with Queen do suited and he had threes and flopped a set and then I got there on him. Can you imagine the tirade I would have received from him, especially if that busted him? So I didn't give him a tirade. I just said, Queen Deuce suited under the gun, man. I think I did say something like, uh, how, how do you do that with Queen Deuce, Phil, or something like that. But it, I didn't go on any kind of tirade or tell him he sucked or anything like that. I just uh, dealt with it. So I have experience. I have experience with Phil Helmuth playing Queen Trash and winning the hand against the pocket pair. That happened to me. It was an offsuit, but it was Queen Do suited in a full table under the gun. In this case, it was not a full table, and it was just the button raising, and he thought he was going to push the button off. So that's at least a bit of a different story. With mine, like, why why would you ever raise with Queen Do suited under the gun at a full table at the main event? I still don't get that. Like, as, as much as I gave credit to Phil for being a great player, which he is, that was not a great play. That was a great player making a bad play and getting rewarded for it. So it was unfortunate that I was on the wrong end of that one. It would have been very fitting if the board paired and I ended up doubling off of him there. But that didn't happen. He didn't cash in that main event. He he won several hands in a row there at that point. Even though he had a good stack at that point, he did not end up cashing. Now, Phil Galfond commented on this. Phil Galfon said, we've been here before. Phil Helmuth makes a play that looks ridiculous and all the poker fans at home, including top players, are quick to jump all over him. I'm not at all a tournament expert, but I have some thoughts to share. This is from Phil Galfon. I understand the urge to poke fun at someone who's had tremendous results when you see them potentially make a big mistake. Truly, I get it. 
As I've argued before, it's important to examine plays you don't understand with a more critical eye when those plays come from great players. I've watched enough of Phil's game at this point that I can actually almost break down what was going on with the Queen 4 off. That said, to be clear, I wouldn't have played it that way, and I'll go on to point out what I think Phil got wrong, a type of mistake I've never seen him make before. This will be long enough, so let's just dive into the hand breakdown. The first part goes without saying. Helmuth's greatest asset is his ability to make reads. That's true. I've said that before, too. He's very, very good at knowing where he is in hands and letting other players hang themselves. Obviously, when Alex opened, Phil made a read. I think we can all agree he's never three, he would never three-bet a hand like Queen-4 off otherwise. Alex is a very experienced live pro who took just one preflop action, so I don't think that even Phil is capable of putting him on a precise hand. Here, he puts Alex on a range. I have no idea how Helmuth figured it out. I'm not strong with live tells, says Galfond, but I believe that at this point he knew that Alex had two middling cards, six through nine. This makes Phil an equity favorite, and Alex might make the mistake of folding these to the three bet, even with great pot odds. H7 off has 36% equity versus queen, off, queen 4 off and strong playability. 6-6 six, six to 9-9 nine, nine have around 67% equity, but less playability with short stacks. Now, I don't understand what Galvan's saying here, how he puts them on two middling cards. That I don't really think is what happened. I don't know if I'm missing something here. Usually Galvan's pretty sharp with these analyses, but I don't know how he could say Phil just put him on that. I mean, it's a possibility he could have that, but he could also have uh, really anything. He could have ace trash. He could have king trash. He could have uh, he could have these middling cards. He could have a thing like jack 10 or jack 9 or queen 9. There's a lot of things he could have. I mean, you, you can't just say, okay, well, based upon these two middling cards that Alex must have, queen 4 off is in a bad shape. That's not true. I don't think this would happen. I think that Helmuth thought that he could just get away with restealing. Now, Galfon does go forth to talk about that. He says, Helmuth knows that given the tight image he's cultivated for decades and the vibe energy of strength he can intentionally give off when three betting, there's a good chance Alex can't even continue with any of his opening range. He's really putting Alex in the blender here. Instead of folding and waiting for a better spot, Alex grits his teeth and shoves it in with 9-9. This is how and why he's considered an incredible tournament player in his own right, albeit nothing remotely close to Phil. I don't want to take anything away from Alex's fearless, fearless shove here. He's a stronger MTT player than I am, but I do think he made a mistake when jamming because Phil was able to make another read. His edge over the field, 2-1 to one odds, and 57% against Alex's range, there's no way Phil would call it off and leave his fate in the hands of the poker gods. I believe that after observing Alex's open raise, tank, and four-bed jam, Helmuth knew three things. That Alex had a nine in his hand, that Queen-4... Off is a 64.08% favorite, and that everyone at the table was an idiot. Still, that leaves over a 1 in 3 chance of busting the tournament. It's clear that Phil agonized over the decision. Many disagree with the call, but I think 64% equity with 2 to 1 odds is just too much to pass up. The remaining players weren't that bad. That said, in my humble opinion, I don't think Phil should have put himself in that spot. Helmuth made a mistake he never makes. He overestimated his opponent. While Alex Foxen has an impressive live tournament resume, much of the experience is online. I wouldn't agree with that. He's won a lot of uh, tough live events. I wasn't sure how big a part of his game live reads were, but he clearly didn't pick up on the strong vibe and energy that Phil exuded when he 3-bet, which is why he jammed 9-9 and ironically put Phil in such a tough spot. Given how intensely Alex stares at his opponents, I understand why Phil assumed he'd be strong with live tells. I guess even Phil Helmuth makes mistakes. Still sick that he ran into the top of Alex's range. 
Anyway, justice was had as Phil raked in the pot after hitting not one but two queens. As usual, Helmuth went on to not only win the hand but to get heads up in the event, and as usual, the haters are jealous. Phil finished second, another recent tactic of his that you're all incapable of understanding. I, I will say that I don't quite understand this entire situation here. If Foxen is opening, then I don't understand how Galfon could put him on anything other than not complete trash. So if you if you think a Foxen is not going to open with just garbage. He obviously has a nine there, Druff. <laughs> yeah, like where does he get that? I don't understand. I, like I'm confused. Like I'm reading this. I'm going, what? Am I am I missing something? Like I was thinking maybe I was missing that Alex Foxen cold called someone else's raise in the button and then folded the the original razor folded to Helmet's three bit, but it doesn't look like that. It looks like from what I can see, and from everything I'm reading, that Alex Foxen opened on the button holding nines. Did he open for like a hundred and nine or something? Yeah, I don't know. So, what is Galfond talking about here? Maybe Galfond was drunk or something when he wrote this. This is very weird. So that was uh, Galfond's analysis, and I will say that the one part I agree with in that analysis is that this isn't as bad as it looks because number one, he was just trying to squeeze like the queen four off wasn't relevant. He could have had seven deuce off. He was basically just believing there's a decent chance Alex is going to fold. And then the second part is that I think Phil had 540k left, according to the graphics I see there, at the point that Alex put them all in. So once that happened, Phil has already voluntarily put in 350k. Because I think I mean, uh, he's pretty much pot committed. By yeah, well, there, right? he's not totally pot. Well, you know, he's not actually pot committed, but he's not as far from it as some people think. That's that's the big thing here. Yes, he could fold there and still have five forty k, but at the same time, number one, locking up whatever cash he had at the moment, or you know, like locking up another spot is not a big deal to Phil. He said, "Oh, twenty five k." is the next uh, bump up. When he says that, that's kind of like saying, okay, it's only 25K. Like for, for the average player, oh, wow, 25 extra K, maybe I better wait. No, not for Phil Helmuth. Phil Helmuth doesn't care about the 25K. Phil Helmuth is looking to win here. So what, what he was thinking to himself is, you know, Foxen is the big stack here. If I double up here, not only will this take away from what Foxen has, but I'll go up to about 2 million myself from a little under 1 million. So that's a big deal, given that Foxen is the chip leader with 3.1 million. So, yeah, I'm not thrilled I'm stuck in this spot now, but I've already put in this much. I only have 540k left. I'll be the shortest stack at the table. And maybe Queen 4 off isn't as far behind as it might look, unless he has something that really crushes me. So if you look at Queen 4 off, what really crushes it? Well, Kings or Aces, and any better Queen, that's pretty much it. Other than that, while Queen 4 is an underdog, it's not a super-crushed underdog. Now, I'm not saying that that's a great hand to be all-in with, and uh, obviously that's not the hand you should want to make your stand with, but it's not as bad as it appears because you don't have any post-flop play. A big problem with Queen 4 offsuit normally when you're playing and when you have to play post-flop is you never know where you are. So let's say you go in with Queen 4 off uh, just without going all in, and you're not short-stacked, then a queen flops, okay, well, where are you? 
Are you ahead? Are you behind? You don't know. And then if your opponent puts pressure on, what do you do then? So that's why you don't want to play queen trash in uh, Texas Hold'em, whether it's limit Hold'em or no limit. That's why it's not good to have those hands because there will be times when you're outkicked, even when you flop top pair. So you really need something like two pair or trips. And even with trips, sometimes you'll be outkicked, like especially with the trip queens. If the board comes a queen, queen, something, you could easily still be behind, and then you'll get a bunch of money in. So that's why you avoid queen four off. However, when you don't have to do post-flop play, and you're not going to be chunking off a bunch post-flop because you don't quite know what to do or where you are, when there is no post-flop play, it's not as bad. Then it's just a matter of what is your equity going all in against various hands. And the truth is that a hand that puts you all in when you have queen four off, there's many cases where you are going to have a reasonable, albeit not 50%, chance to win. Ace-King, for example. That's not a horrible spot to be in. Queen four against Ace-King. You're the dog, but it's not shocking you win that. Even against nines. Nines are better than Ace-King, because if a four flops, then that doesn't help you. But still, you can get the queen. Not only did Phil get one, he got two queens. I know that's what happened to occur there. And yes, the nines are ahead, but Phil was probably thinking, okay, I'm not just trying to squeak into the next spot. I'm trying to win. I tried to make a move. It didn't work. Foxing went all in. As long as he doesn't have kings or aces, then... Or, or queens. Of course, I left out queens. That's not, now, you, you, queens is less likely because you're holding a queen, but there could be queens. That's the worst result, and you're crushed like uh, 90-something percent of the time. You're going to lose that. But that's not all that common. So you don't want to see queens, kings, or aces, and you don't want to see any other queen, which has you beat pretty badly. But uh, and and drop. I, let me just say, I think he was. I think he was saying the twenty-five k thing just so the other guy would hear it. Cause he thought he'd care. Yeah, very possible. <laughs> so basically, I think what what uh, Galfon was trying to say there, though I, there was a lot of Galfon's rant there. I don't understand, and maybe you guys can explain to me what I'm missing about how he knew that there was a middle range and that he didn't have kings. Like, how, how he knows all this, I don't know. But I will say that he may have rationalized to himself that there aren't that many hands there that leave him absolutely crushed. And if he's not absolutely crushed, he'll take his chances. And if he doubles up, then it's huge. And he did. And look, he got to second place instead of going out something like sixth or fifth. So... I kind of understand it. This isn't like the most horrible play ever. This really was a move that went wrong. And I have done the same thing as Phil before, by the way. Not with Queen 4 off, but I mean from the standpoint of taking advantage of an image to make a move where I'm really hoping my pl- the, the other guy doesn't play back at me. I will have that sometimes where I believe that most people at the table either don't know me, or even though there's a that do know me perceive that I'm just this uh, tight guy who is not going to make a lot of moves. But especially if they don't know me and they just go, okay, this is a middle-aged white guy, especially the way the young players see me if they don't know me. And they think they can push me around. And and, uh, I will use that to my advantage sometimes. I have three bit out of the big blind before believing that they will fold to me because they believe I wouldn't do that unless I had something very strong. I have just fired out at flops before that I think maybe everyone missed, and I I think that they're not going to play back at me because I'm not the type to fire out with nothing. And I haven't been seen doing that a whole lot. 
So I will throw that in sometimes when I'm playing tournaments, especially if I've been at the table a while and I believe there's a certain impression of me. And it's easier to get away with doing so, being a middle-aged white guy, than if I were like 25 years old. So Phil, who is a much, much better known player than I am, and does have a reputation for being tight, and does have a reputation of getting his money in good. When he three bets out of the big blind, you respect it. And that's what he was thinking. And what he got wrong was that Foxen was raising with crap, but I think that's just the way it fell. I think he's just thinking it's a blind steal by the chip leader, and the Foxen's not going to be in love with whatever he's got on the button. And just let it go. Because remember, he, he's kicking up to 350 with 540 left. So Foxen's got to think that this hand is going to end up with Phil getting all his chips in. And does he really want to take a stand with it? So let's say Foxen was raising with uh, Jack-9. Jack-9's a much better hand than Total Trash. But he may think, look, I, I don't want to put all these chips in and lose a third of my stack taking a stand with Jack-9. So I tried to open and steal the blinds. A tight player is coming back over the top of me from the big blind. I'm tossing it. I've, I've had that before. I'm sure all of us have had this before, where you raise something like jack nine on the button, and the big blind comes over the top, and you toss it. That's the way it works. That's what most of us do. Is we toss it when that happens. So I think that's probably what Helmuth believed was going to happen. He just happened to run into nines, and then he bad beat the nines. But it wasn't that horrible of a beat, because he did have one live card that was an overcard. Well... Foxen was the definite favorite. This wasn't like Queen 4 beat Queens or even Queen 4 beat Kings or Aces. I don't know if Phil does have a soft spot or a love for Queen Trash. It is interesting that the hand against me was Queen Deuce and the one he did here was Queen 4. It may be a coincidence, but it is possible that Helmuth just decides to do it with Queen whatever. Maybe he's had success with these Queen Trash hands and people don't expect him to play it. And that's just kind of the range he's decided he's going to do this with every so often. Because he does everything for a reason. Like, I I don't think he did that Queen 2 suited raise from under the gun 13 years ago because he was on tilt. In fact, he had been winning. He showed up with a short stack and had been running it up. Maybe he thought he was playing his rush or something. But usually he does things for a purpose. So maybe this is just the hand he likes. Queen trash is what he likes. So I tweeted something about this. I tweeted back to Galfond. I didn't bother to ask him about his weird, weird analysis about how he, uh, how Phil knows so much here. But I said, why is everyone so shocked? Helmuth raised Queen 2 suited under the gun in day two of the 2009 World Series of Maine. I called with 3-3 from the big blind, flopped a set, and he turned a flush on, uh, on me to bust my short stack. Was on ESPN. I said, Queen 2 under the gun? Man. Phil just sat silent. Helmuth loves Queen Trash. So, so far, as I broadcast right now, and this is about two hours since I posted it, I have 11 likes, and one of the likes, one of the 11 likes, is from Phil Helmuth. I guess Helmuth was not insulted by what I wrote. I wasn't really bashing him here. I was just kind of stating what happened, and he probably thought it was amusing that I said he loves Queen Trash. But maybe I'm right. Maybe he does love Queen Trash. So I'd watch this. I'd watch next time he does a play like this and see if Helmuth really does like Queen Trash. Hey, Cal Watts said that he, he's, he's pretty sure that 
uh, the Phil the Phil Galfon thing is satire. He read oh. it again. Um, uh, how are you then, hearing from Calwan? I saw he was on. Is he in the chat or something? Oh, he texted me. And, and hey, and I, I was I told him I was busy winning the free roll, so I didn't see his text right away. But I did take down the free roll. Oh, I see. He texted me that too. I wasn't checking my text. Yeah, he said that Galfon analysis is clearly satire. Okay. See, yeah, I'll, I'll be honest here. As I was preparing the show, I didn't read the whole thing. I kind of skimmed it really fast. I'm like, oh, Galfon is just putting out an analysis of this, which makes sense. Like it's something Galfon would do. So I'm like, okay, I'll make this part of the segment. I, I will read this for the first time with the audience, which I will often want to do anyway, because I like having genuine reactions and not feigning like uh, surprise to things that are written. So my reaction was genuine because I hadn't read this really before other than a quick skim. And I, I was confused, but okay. Yeah, satire makes sense. I, I knew th- we had to have some answer here. I was just scratching my head going, what the hell? Like, yeah, what is know, Phil writing here? But the weird thing is like some of the stuff he was writing was, was true though. Some of the stuff he was writing made sense. Right. But maybe that was the point to mix it with uh, with true analysis, with satire, making Phil into some sort of hand-reading god. Okay, maybe that's what it was. Okay, well, if so, uh, well played, mm-hmm. Phil Galfond. You got me on that one. All right, we're going to move on here. Remember I told you last week that Dan Bilzerian got fired from GG Poker, and I talked about probably why he was fired as one of their site pros And I said it probably wasn't about the whole controversy with Vanessa Cade because they would have fired him back then if they really wanted to do it for that reason. It would have made much more of an impact. Instead, they stuck with him for more than a year and then abruptly terminated him. Now, I thought that this was because he just wasn't doing very much to represent the brand. And I mentioned this last week. You can go listen to that whole segment. I'm not going to rehash it. But I, I compared him to Negranu. Negranu has been very, very GG since he became the main face of the site. He wears the patch everywhere, constantly talks about GG. All the pictures on his profile feature GG. Negranu has been very, very promotional of GG, which he's supposed to be. That's his job, but he's done a good job with it, and he's been a good ambassador, and I see why they pay him the big bucks. And Remember, he used to be the PokerStars ambassador, and then they probably lowballed him, and he abruptly left PokerStars like the same day he got married, which is kind of weird, and he had to announce it while he was at the place where he had his wedding. But then he moved on to GG, and they seemed to like him, and everything's to be go- everything seems to be going well there for Negranu with GG Poker. But... Bilzerian has not done that. Bilzerian has not integrated GG into his social media. He hasn't promoted it. He hasn't been on the site playing. In fact, there was a birthday free roll where someone was going to have a free roll to play him heads up with a $100,000 prize, and a woman won that, and he still has not completed this free roll. He still hasn't played her more than a year later, which is embarrassing. GG should just give her the money. That's what they should do. But for whatever reason, they haven't, and they're just ignoring this, which is the worst part of this whole thing. That that doesn't get enough press, but I mentioned it last week. So I said, you know what, I think between that and between Bilzerian's kind of flippant response to a Poker News interview where he was at a party that GG Poker was holding, and then he said, well, I'm here because, you know, it's GG, and it's GG's party, something like that, where he, he made it very clear that he was only there because he was contractually obligated to be there. 
instead of saying, yeah, this is fun. I'm having a great time. We're all partying here. Like, that's what people want to hear from Dan Bilzerian. Not like, yeah, well, you know, it's GG. It's a GG party, so here I am. <laughs> so, so I theorized last week that between the non-playing of the free roll, the non-engagement with the site, the non-promotion of GG, and doing the bare minimum that he's contractually required to do, and I guess less than that because he's not even playing that free roll, and just really not doing very much to grow the brand, they got rid of him. That was my belief, and I thought the Vanessa Cade thing maybe played a little bit into it, but not much. That was my opinion then. Well, we have an update for you. Something else has happened since then. Now, Gigi did not confirm that Dan was fired. This was just the story that was going around and being reported on various sites that bring poker news to people and not tabloidish sites, but respected sites that report on poker news. So I believed it without even questioning. Well, I don't know where the initial report came from, but here is what GG Poker said. They finally made a statement on it on March 23rd at 11 a.m. Pacific time. GG Poker would like to confirm that Dan Bilzerian remains a partner. Ha ho! We will continue to work closely with Dan to engage with new player communities and grow our favorite game. Expect to hear about some new and exciting partnership activities in the coming months. And guess what? They disabled comments to that tweet. You can do that on Twitter now. If you don't want to get trolled with something you say, you can just turn off comments. You can turn off comments completely, or you can turn off where people can't respond unless they are, unless you're following them. But they just turned off comments completely. So it has zero comments, where otherwise it would have a ton of comments. So basically, they just want to make this announcement and not give anyone a chance to criticize them. So a lot of people were quote-tweeting this and mocking it and mocking GG and saying, what the hell? Some people were just kind of making fun of them. Some people were saying this isn't a good look. Some people were really angry and going off on them. But GG has not given a comment back. This is their brief comment that, yeah, Dan's still with us, and we're going to be doing something with him in the next few months. Now, what I want to know, everybody should put all this crap aside and really focus on the thing that's important here. The thing that's important here is there was a $100,000 free roll to play against Dan. And that free roll did not happen. And GG Poker has not paid this person. They haven't paid them a dime. Which is bullshit. This shouldn't happen. If you win a $100,000 free roll against Dan Bilzerian, he either needs to play it in a timely fashion or if for whatever reason he can't or won't, GG Poker should kick that money over to the person who won it. Or at the very least, half the money. At the very least, they should say, okay, since you didn't get to play Dan, we're just going to give you the 50-50 equity here for 50K. But that still looks a little bit weird. I still think they should just pay the 100K out and be done. And this is a huge site. This site makes so much money. They're doing real well. I cited GG Poker as what Phil Galfond wishes his site was his fail run at once poker that never got traction and made a ton of mistakes not too long before they launched gg poker launched to the same market 
and GG Poker has kicked ass and now is actually a bigger site than Poker Stars. GG Poker is the biggest poker site in the world. They're printing money. So why can't they just give the 100K to this woman, Alex O'Brien, who won the chance to play Dan Bilzerian in December of 2020? Not 21, 20! It's been more than a year. Give Alex her 100K and be done with it. So that's the thing she should be talked about the most. She just straight up got cheated here. She even said, hey, how about you just give the 100K to charity? How about we select some charities and you give it to them? I mean, she's trying to be as flexible as she can. Seems like a nice woman. I don't know her, but she seems like a nice woman. But she, she's got nothing. She's got nothing. So I don't know what exciting things they're going to have with Dan Bilzerian. But I wonder if he's going to give the same level of engagement as he did to this stupid birthday free roll that never took place. Amazing. I don't know how this is not getting more press. I, th- I think this is getting lost in all the feminist talk, unfortunately. And yes, I understand the criticisms of how Dan Bilzerian presents women, though I think some of that's overblown. But I do understand that criticism. And of course, people who are unhappy with this have a right to express their opinion and criticize Dan. But that's not more important than just someone straight up getting cheated out of their 100k free roll with him, which is kind of like half his fault and half GG's fault. On a side note, this was found here. This was a Saturday Night Live clip. This is so weird. And this just aired two weeks ago on March 12th. Listen to this. They had, quote, lifestyle influencer Dan Bulldozer come on the Saturday Night Live weekend update, which, of course, has been around for decades. And Dan Bulldozer, who looks just like Dan Bilzerian, is played by an actor named Kyle Mooney, who's dressed up to look look and act like uh, Bilzerian, came on Weekend Update to do this. Listen to this. Recent studies show that social media is making young people unhappy and insecure about their own lives. Here to comment is lifestyle influencer Dan Bulldozer. He's great, man. What's going on? Y'all got a legit setup. Uh, thanks, yeah. So, uh, Dan, you're super rich, and you just show off your crazy life on Instagram, right? <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Uh, so I basically wanted life, straight up. Just, like, parties on the yacht, vapes everywhere, snowboarding with, like, a bazooka. My life is insane. Yeah, that's, that's cool, man. Like- sure. Chuck, ask me how many girls I'm dating right now. Uh, how many girls are you? 940. <laughs> okay, cool, man. It is cool. I agree. So, yeah, I'm dating the 900 girls. I got the new book, which, like, why is writing so easy? You just have to type it out. If you're not laughing too hard, I understand, because I'm not either. Th- this is a terrible sketch. They need to fire whichever writer did this thing. It's just not funny. And even the audience is having a hard time bringing themselves to laugh. The, the biggest laughter was at the 940 girls, which still wasn't funny. Hey, how many girls are you dating? I don't know, Dan. How many? 940. <laughs> no, that's not funny. But let's go on. Oh, you're writing a book? Yeah, man. Uh, it's kind of like Hemingway, but for guys. Too thick. <laughs> Stone writing about my struggles with shirts. 
So it's like a memoir. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's the moving story of me stacking cash, blowing clouds, and changing the world through positivity. They showed a picture of him on a laptop, this, this actor, not Bilzerian. It's kind of like a Photoshop of him sitting in front of a laptop on a, at a beachfront hotel room. That's what he's referring to here. I, they're also making his voice artificially low. That's why you're kind of hearing in the background the voice modulator that they didn't do very well for the show for whatever reason. So you can hear that in the background. It's called Assbook. <laughs> yeah, it's called Assbook. Is that funny? Assbook? Wow, that's good for you, man. I gotta ask, despite all the success, how do you stay so down to earth? Let me put it this way. Do you know that ancient story of the farmer and the crow? No, I don't think I do. Oh, so it's like, farmer has three daughters. He's a very wise farmer. First daughter, because the farmer says, I saw a crow. The farmer says, maybe. Second daughter goes to the farmer, says, Daddy, I saw a crow. Daddy says, Maid. <laughs> then the crow goes to like an old maid, or it's like a cobbler. And then the first girl, um, I'm trying to remember. Hey, you alright, Dan? Yeah, yeah, it's just the point of the story is like, everything is just insane. <laughs> Okay, that's it? I think so. Hey man, um, are you happy? No way, no. Right, Ten bulldoze everybody. My life is crazy. We can that, I'm Michael I'm Jeff, good night. Yeah, it's very funny. So all this and, are you happy, Dan? Actually, no. I, okay. So we, we took three minutes to get to Dan saying, despite the fact that he's got all these riches and these pretty girls around him and all the partying, he's not that happy. Isn't that deep, folks? <sighs> Remember when Weekend Update was really funny back in the 80s? This was just very bad. Whoever wrote this should be fired. And again, it's not because I'm trying to defend Bulzerian. It just wasn't funny. I, I would have laughed hard if it was funny, but it was not. But you can find it on... Uh, SNL's channel called Saturday Night Live called uh, Weekend Update Dan Bulldozer on the Impact of Social Media. You can just enter, enter a Dan Bulldozer and you will find it. You can watch it and not laugh just like I did. So why would Gigi Poker keep Dan Bulldozer sorry, Bulzarian on their team? Now I mentioned last week that it was a weird time to fire him because when people are fired as ambassador of poker sites it's usually at the mark that they were about to renew. They either are just non-renewed or they're given a lowball offer, which they are expected to turn down, which they did. And then you'll hear something like such and such person is leaving such and such site. And usually they go away with saying nice things about each other. Occasionally they don't, as was the case with Vanessa Cade and ACR recently. But, it's usually a case where the contract is up and one or both sides decide not to continue. But you don't see many that are fired somewhere in the middle. And you can tell it's in the middle usually because it's not nearly exactly a year from when they signed or when they last re-signed. So when you see something like 15 months in that somebody is fired, that's very weird. 
And usually that only occurs if there's some sort of big scandal, sometimes not even one that's publicized, where the site wants nothing to do with that person anymore and determines their negative value and determine that they uh, breached their contract in some way, whatever it might be, and they just let them go. They usually don't announce, hey, guess what? We fired since this person. It's just noticed, and then the site will make a brief comment that, yes, they're not with us anymore, and that's that. But as I said, usually a firing in the middle of the term happens because of some actual tangible cause. And at the time, I said, I bet it's because of this free roll thing combined with just Dan not doing his job. And they probably went to him and said, hey, Dan, you're not doing your job here. You're not doing what you promised. And he's like, hey, look, I just don't have time, blah, blah, blah. And then they mutually agreed to part ways. That, that was my guess, but it looks like it's not true. Or if it was true, it has since been reversed. Whatever it is, he's still with them. And I don't see why they're going forward with it. As much as Gigi does right from a business perspective, even things I don't like, I will say that this doesn't make a lot of sense because he's just not promoting them. They tried. I understand what they were going for. I understand they were trying to reach a bigger audience than just the existing poker community, and that makes sense. But he just wasn't into it. He just was not into promoting GG. He was very enthusiastic about GG. He couldn't even feign enthusiasm during an interview. And he's not even playing a freaking free roll that wouldn't take very long to complete that he could do online. So I think these are all signs that your brand ambassador here just has checked out. He's emotionally and mentally checked out of his position, and you should just let him go. And I thought that's what they were doing, but apparently not. Now, this story didn't come from nowhere. I don't think this just got made up. So someone heard this, and it is very possible they either were about to fire him or did fire him, and then it was elected to keep him on because he made some sort of promise that, okay, things are going to be different going forward. Almost like when a woman serves a guy with divorce papers or tells her she's just about to go down to a lawyer to get it done. And the guy says, no, 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 honey, I promise. I promise going forward, I'll be better. I'll be better. I will treat you better. I won't cheat on you anymore. I'll be home a lot more. You'll see it'll be different. That may be what happened here. I don't think this story about him being fired is something that was completely wrong or fabricated. It may not have been 100% accurate. may have been that they were considering it. Maybe that they were threatening to. But why, why isn't he completing this damn free roll? I still want to know this. If he's staying on, why aren't they completing the freaking free roll? I want to know this. In fact, I'm going to, I'm going to contact this Alex chick, and I'm going to ask her if she could uh, press this a little harder. And if she'd like my help in pressing this harder. I think she deserves her free roll bothers me she got ripped off like this by a huge site that's making so much money this isn't like lock poker that was a big scam and was broke and couldn't pay anybody i'm not making excuses for lock but i will say when their problems got to the worst point they were broke and they just couldn't invent money they were trying to by enticing deposits that were of course scam deposits because they were not being honest with the people depositing that they were robbing Peter to pay Paul and the depositors were Peter here. So I'm not defending Locke in any way, but at least something that could be said at the time was Locke just didn't have the money to pay out. And GG, that's not the case. GG could easily give this 100K to Alex or make this free roll happen. In fact, 
if I were in charge of GG and someone said, Todd, what should you do about this situation? What are we going to do here with this woman, Alex, who has been waiting 15 months to play Dan Bilzerian in this free roll? I would say, not only is this free roll going to happen, but we're going to make it a $200,000 free roll for all the trouble. Or we're going to pay her such and such no matter what, and then she also gets to play for this much for the $100,000 free roll. I'd say something like that. I'd say something like makes up for it. Because the company has so much money, this would be such good PR, such great optics. And even if Bulzarian didn't want to, I'd say, okay, well, she can play Negranu for the 100000 free roll. Or she can play Fedora Holes or one of these other pros for this 100000 free roll. Now, I admit Negranu or Fedora Holes would be a lot tougher to play heads up than Bulzarian would be. But still, they got to make something happen here in some way. This is often where people can take their eye off the ball, where ideology becomes more important than actual victimhood. And so far in the entire GG saga, there has only been one victim, and it was not Vanessa Cade. Yeah, he said something inappropriate to her, but the real victim in this saga was Alex O'Brien, who won this chance to play Bilzerian heads up for 100000 in a free roll, and did not get to. And I'd love to see all the feminists that are getting on Gigi's case to bring this up, especially, I know it's been brought up a little bit, I think Vanessa Cade brought it up some, but this should be the main focus, to see they this. stole $100. I mean, 100 came from her. Yeah. Just like when, uh, just like when Bovada stole, stole about 200 bucks from me. Ah. <laughs> okay, Jeff, have a good night. I'll be back on in a few hours, so you're in the middle of the agenda. Okay. Good night, Trader Risky, with the declining sound quality. <laughs> Good night. I was about to force him to fix the sound quality because it was brutal, but uh, he's leaving anyway, so there's no point. Moving on here, we're going to talk about the World Series of Poker and the raise that they have given to their dealers. So a lot of you may not think very much about World Series of Poker dealers and how they're compensated. Dealers are people that are just kind of there. You go to the series, then there's a dealer at every table, and they are, of course, necessary to make the series run. There has been some concern in recent years since the pandemic started and since the worker shortage has been a thing that it's hard to get dealers. And that's when people started thinking a bit more about dealers. But the truth is, dealers are human beings. Dealers are doing this for a living. We have some dealers that listen to this show, which I appreciate. Unfortunately, we have one fewer because Shoeshine Box, Mark Fusil, passed away. But you have to show respect to the dealers. You have to understand they're human. You have to understand that they are not controlling the cards and that if you take bad beats when they're dealing to you, you cannot be mad at them for it. You just have to understand that's the way randomness works. And... When thinking about dealer pay, you have to understand that they are doing this to pay the bills and that to them, pay matters big time. You may or may not have heard of a term called downs regarding dealers. And we're not talking about down syndrome, though some of the bad dealers, I can understand why you might think they have downs. But the downs in reference to poker dealers has to do with uh, a 30-minute shift where a dealer is at a table before getting pushed to the new table. 
typically, and you've probably seen this if you played live poker, whether at the World Series or just regular cash games, that a dealer will move to your table, be there about 30 minutes, and then be rotated off. This, of course, is being done so just in case there is a dealer who is in cahoots with another player there that is trying to help that player cheat, that it brings the damage down to much less and also makes the incentive to do this much less because they're not going to be there that long and not going to be able to cause as much damage in doing so. Also, it's done so players can feel better. If there's a dealer they think is unlucky, then the dealer will move on. Or even if they just don't like the dealer for whatever reason, they think that the dealer is uh, rude, incompetent, whatever, they know the dealer is always moving on and another one's taking their place. I will frequently see superstitious players ask the dealers, when are you moving? How much time do you have left? They, I've never asked that in my life because, you know, if the dealer is incompetent, whatever, I know that they'll there, be there for at most half an hour. And if I'm not doing well, that has nothing to do with the dealer. So I never asked that question. But I've heard that asked many times, including just when I was at the bike and played cash after busting from the tournament. Someone asked the dealer that when they weren't doing well. But... Anyway, let me tell you how the downs work as far as compensating the dealer. Remember, one down is a 30-minute shift where the dealer is dealing. However, you need to understand that dealers are not always dealing. Sometimes they're sitting around or standing around, and there's no one to deal to. There's often more dealers on shift than there are tables running. If you think about it, when a new table starts, there has to be a dealer to deal that table. Where does that deal dealer come from if they've just added a table, whether a tournament table or a cash table? They can't just call someone up to quickly get dressed from home and run down there. These dealers are sitting there waiting to start dealing. So what's happening when they're sitting there waiting? Well, they are getting paid. In fact, they have to get paid by law. They have to get an hourly rate. But the hourly rate tends not to be very high. So the ways dealers get compensation comes from their hourly rate, which tends to be pretty low, plus whatever they are getting for these downs. Now you may say, what about tips? Well, in most places, not all, but in most places, the tips are pooled, and that's what ends up calculating what they get per down. And often what the dealers get per down is variable. So they don't know what they're going to get per down until all the tips are collected and pooled, and then they find out later what they're getting. But if you talk to dealers, they will tell you such and such place is paying typically this much per down. Sometimes there's a guarantee of a minimum per down to where if uh, the tips aren't high enough or they don't rake enough for whatever reason, then still they're guaranteed this much per down minimum, so they can't do worse than this, but they can do better if, if the place is doing well. So there's a lot of ways that it's calculated. And dealers are always discussing where is the best place to work to make the most money per down. That's often the way they talk about it. The World Series of Poker needs a lot of dealers. Think about it. Think about how many tables are running at once. Think about these gigantic events that run on the weekends that will have tens of thousands of people. And then you have to combine all the other events going on when understanding the need for dealers. 
that includes the cash games, that includes day twos and day threes of events that are taking place. This includes satellites, sit and goes, daily deep stack events, which are kind of like a smaller version of the bracelet events that don't award a bracelet. All these things are going at the World Series. All of these need dealers. There's a ton of dealers that they need for the World Series. I've heard complaints for years that a lot of the dealers at the World Series suck. And that's true. But there's a reason for that. It's the same reason that a lot of the players at the World Series suck in these huge field events. It's because there can only be so many good ones. And when you need a massive number, then you have to sacrifice average quality. So you're going to have a mixture. You're going to have a mixture when you need a ton of dealers there working at the same time. You're going to have a mixture of excellent dealers, decent dealers, okay dealers, below average dealers, and terrible dealers. You're going to have all of that. And the more demand there is for the job, the more particular you can be. If there's a ton of dealers looking to work, then you can fire or just not hire the terrible ones or even the below average ones, but in years where it's hard to find dealers, especially recently, then they have to take what they can get. Additionally, many dealers have a hard time dealing mixed games. Everybody knows Hold'em pretty well, and Hold'em is a pretty simple game to learn, even if you don't know it well. So it's pretty easy for a dealer to deal out two cards to each player, deal a flop, deal a turn, deal a river, and quickly read the board and understand who won the hand and ship it to them. It becomes much harder in these mixed games where not only is the game frequently changing, in fact, it's changing every hand with dealer's choice, and it is changing every round with mixed games, not only is there a lot of different games going within a short period of time, which can be confusing by itself, but also there's a lot of obscure games that these dealers may not know or understand well and are not as easy to learn when it comes to determining who's the winner. And I always watch dealers get really confused with Omaha 8 or better because there's two factors that are confusing with reading the board with Omaha 8 or better. Number one, there's four cards and only two and only two cards have to be used from the, each player's hand to make a hand. So you can't use zero, one, or two cards like you can in Hold'em. Here it has to be two out of the four. And then second, there's the matter with the low where it can be sometimes hard to determine from quickly looking at the board what makes a low, especially if the player is currently holding uh, one of the two cards already on the board. So like if you have uh, ace-deuce and the board has uh, deuce-3-6-7, it can be confusing if the ace-deuce beats other hands for the low. If there's no ace-deuce on the board and it's just 3-6-7, then it's very simple. Then the ace-deuce is always going to be the best low. But if there's already a deuce on the board then ace-deuce is not the best low. So this, this can be confusing to dealers reading it. And uh, I even see experienced players occasionally make mistakes when they look at the board and where someone only has one live low card. So you have dealers that are just learning the game and you can imagine all the mistakes that are made. And then there's obscure games like Raz and uh, you know whatever else that is not played all that often. Triple draws another one to where the dealers are not very good with it. The reason I'm talking about mixed games, that's part of the story. So the WSOP has been known as an employer that doesn't pay all that great, but jobs are plentiful and available, even prior to the pandemic. And some people just like being there. Some dealers 
want to deal the World Series of Poker. A long time ago, it was considered a resume builder that you dealt the World Series of Poker and that would get other casinos to hire you more easily. That's not the case anymore because the World Series of Poker is so huge and it's not considered something that's impressive that you've dealt there. It's, it's well known that they just need a ton of dealers. And if you have a warm body and can deal, they'll typically hire you these days, even before the pandemic, as I said, just because the World Series has gotten so big and they have such a major need for dealers. There's a lot of dealers that like coming to Las Vegas, dealing the World Series. Some just like being in Las Vegas. Some will play poker on the side, whatever it might be. There's a lot of people that like coming there and working at the World Series. However, something that has never been a big drawing factor has been the pay. The pay is not that great. In 2021, John Sofen, who writes for a number of publications, wrote about WSOP accepting applications for the fall WSOP that they had last year. And Sofen wrote... Jack Effel, who's the tournament director, said that they hire around 1,200 poker dealers each year, and they anticipate the 2021 World Series will be no different. Dealers are paid a $9 per hour wage and then receive a portion of the tournament buy-ins on top. So the portion of the tournament buy-ins is also not quite accurate. What he's trying to say here is that there is a certain amount taken out of every pool for the dealers but then also any tips the dealers receive, whether it's tips handed to them on the spot, which they're supposed to put into the pool, which occasionally they don't, but they don't get that many tips on the spot. Typically, the way dealers are tipped at the World Series of Poker, which does, again, have an auto tip taken out of the pool, so you have to keep that in mind. But if you want to tip above the auto tip, you can do so when you go collect your money if you cash in the event. So they pool all of that money and that combined with the amount that they already take out as an auto tip from each buy-in, that is what calculates the down rate, and it's variable. So this has annoyed some World Series dealers that they never knew what they were going to get paid. They'd come out there for the summer, and they really wouldn't have an idea from week to week what they're going to get. And of course, $9 per hour is not going to support them very well. So they really need to count on these uh, payments from the downs, and they didn't quite know what they were getting, and, and some dealers were grumbling about this. And this has been the case for many years. And there has been criticism of the World Series that they make so much money, why don't they pay the dealers a little bit better? Since they're so important there, why don't they pay them better? Now, there was a counter-argument to this, and that was that the average quality of the dealer is not very high there. So while it's nice that there's some excellent dealers that come deal, the truth is that this is a pretty easy job to get and it does not require a ton of experience and lesser dealers can easily get this job. And since all the dealers are being paid the same thing, that why should they pay more? It makes sense that it's a lower paying job compared to some other dealer jobs elsewhere. However... Remember, we have a worker shortage. And remember that there have been long complaints that dealers have a very hard time dealing mixed games. And in fact, it's just getting worse because when there's a worker shortage, then they need to hire any dealer with a pulse who's willing to show up and deal. And that makes the average dealer even worse because presumably a number of former good and decent dealers are staying home. 
So, what's a way to get dealers to show up? What's a way to, number one, get the number of dealers they need, which last year was 1,200. Maybe it'll be more this year. Probably be close to the same 1,200. So not only do they need around 1,200 dealers, but how do you get quality dealers rather than just 1,200 stooges who can't deal very well? How do you entice people to show up for such a job and sign on to do it? Hmm. Oh, yeah. You raise the pay. You do it with money. Well, that's what the World Series of Poker is doing. It has been announced that the dealers at the 2022 World Series are going to be getting a substantial raise over previous years. Remember that $9 per hour? Gone. It is now $12.50 per hour, which is a lot more. It may not sound like a lot, but compare $12.50 to $9. And we are talking about like what, like a, almost a 40% raise. But that's the hourly. Remember, the downs are very important because the dealers are not just counting on the hourly rate, whether it's $9 or $12.50. Hey, they go flip burgers at In-N-Out and make way more. So what about the downs? Well, the downs now have a guarantee, which they didn't before. Before, it was like, okay, whatever we get. So if we get a lot of players signing up and we also get a lot of tips that are above and beyond the auto tip, then you're going to get a lot per down. If we don't get as many people signing up as we hoped, and if we don't have many tips going into the pool, you'll get less than you hoped. Uh, we'll let you know when the time comes each pay period. And people grumbled about it, but accepted it. But that's not the case anymore starting this year. Dealers will be paid a guaranteed $15 per down for all Hold'em bracelet and side events. But if it's a non-Hold'em event, then it will be $20 per down, which means they're awarding people who can deal non-Hold'em. Now, I guess some people can claim they can deal non-Hold'em and then they really aren't good at it, but maybe you have to pass some little test to show you know how to deal non-Hold'em and do it well. I don't know about that. World Series also said, furthermore, if any additional dealer funds are left over at the end of the World Series of Poker, they will be paid out as a bonus based upon the total number of downs worked throughout the entire series. Also, as a little bonus for those who show up and don't completely screw up and get through their first shift, which I guess some don't, they're giving a $100 one-time bonus for those that successfully complete their first shift, which is funny because... I didn't know there was a problem of dealers showing up and not getting through the first day, but maybe there was. So not only do they get all this, but there's also a flat $100 that they will get as a bonus from finishing the first shift. Now, how much does this all add up to? Well, remember, a down is 30 minutes, but that doesn't mean you just double the amount they're guaranteed per down and consider that an hourly rate because they may not be dealing the whole time. They may be waiting around. So if you're waiting around, then uh, that's not considered a down. But whenever they're dealing, if they were to be dealing for a full hour, 
they could make $52.50 for that hour dealing mixed games. So that is pretty good. That is pretty good now. Now, finally, the World Series of Poker Pay is getting much better for the dealers because what they'd be getting is 20 per down. So if they deal back-to-back downs in an hour, which is 30 minutes each, that would be 40 plus the 12.50 per hour. So that's 52.50. And then remember, any additional tips the players leave above the auto tip, they could get extra. Plus they get that initial $100. So this is much better than before. Before it was $9 per hour plus whatever we end up giving you per down based upon a bunch of factors. Now they're getting a guaranteed. The only thing not guaranteed is whether they will be working the entire time, you know, how, how often they'll be standing around and not working for these downs or just sitting around. The way it's calculated is uh, you may say, well, what's the difference here? How do they figure it out? They, they basically have to sign in at the table. You may have seen it before. They're physically signing in on a card and then it's determined how many downs they worked and that determines what they're being paid. So if, if they're being guaranteed 20 per down, and let's say that's what they're getting, let's say there's nothing additional, then it will be looked at how many downs they actually worked, not how many hours they were on premises. The, how many hours they're actually at the job, that, that's where their hour, hourly rate comes, the downs they, they're only getting per down they actually dealt. But it's still an improvement. However, don't pat Caesars on the back too hard. They have not decided, oh, you know what? Dealers are important. You know what? We need better dealers. You know what? We've been underpaying them all this time. Let's show appreciation to these dealers finally. They're humans too. No, 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 no. That's not the way corporations work. At least usually not, and definitely not with Caesars. No. This is a response to the worker shortage. The World Series of Poker needs dealers, and they might be finding that they're just not getting the response they hoped for. Remember, the World Series of Poker is not too far away. The World Series of Poker is only a little more than two months away, and this was just announced a few days ago. So with two months and change left, they go, oh, yeah, hey, guess what, everybody? We're going to be paying more, more for the dealers here at the World Series. It's probably because they're seeing the interest is not as high as they need. So they need to sweeten the pot to get more dealers over there, And it's possible a decision was made that they need better quality dealers, that a lot of players are bitching that the non-Hold'em dealers are terrible and probably just learned the games yesterday, and it's really disruptive, which I've seen personally. I've been at World Series events playing Omaha, and they don't know what the hell's going on. So I've seen it. I've seen it where the players pretty much have to tell the dealer who won every pot. So... Maybe the World Series is thinking this is an embarrassment, and especially these days when it's hard to get quality dealers, that they need to raise the pay to entice more good dealers to come out and deal. So that's what they've done. It was definitely done with a business motive in mind. It was not done with a humanitarian motive. I can say that with relative certainty. I wasn't there in the room when this was being discussed, nor do I have any kind of inside track on why this decision was made. But to me, it looks pretty obvious. And from everything I've seen of the World Series, and you always need to keep this in mind, for the most part, their decisions come down to whatever will make them the most money. We've talked about this with the COVID thing. 
people saying, oh, the World Series is being woke and they were requiring that people get vaccinated, blah, 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 blah. Remember that last year? I know this year they're not requiring it, but last year, remember, you had to be vaccinated with at least two shots in order to play the World Series of Poker. And people like Alex Foxen and Kristen Bicknell were complaining, talking about the World Series has uh, caved in to the woke mob. No, they weren't. The, the World Series kept changing it back and forth, and they finally decided that the way we will get the most butts in seats is if we require two-shot vaccination, but do not require masks. This way we can satisfy the government, the local government, that we are taking COVID seriously, enough to where masks don't have to be worn, but at the same time, people will feel comfortable coming here. It was a business decision. The World Series didn't give a shit if you catch COVID and die. They really don't other than the possible bad press from it. But they don't care about you personally. They don't care if you're safe. They don't care about ideology. They don't care about whether the left or the right is going to be proud of them. This was a business decision, and that's it. You have to understand that. Sometimes it's very annoying. Sometimes I find that the World Series is making business decisions that are good short-term, but very bad medium and long-term. They have been long devaluing the bracelet by putting in these gimmick three-figure buy-in events. They shouldn't have $360 events. They shouldn't have these $50 online events where you can win what's considered a real bracelet. And that pisses people off who have won bracelets before, like myself. It really devalues what's supposed to be kind of like a, a special thing to have that you've won something against a tough field for a decent buy-in. And you can't have $50 tournaments awarding bracelets. You can't have $300 tournaments awarding bracelets. It's a joke. But they are. Why? Because it makes more money short-term. Because these get huge fields. So there's a lot of things I think they're making a mistake with from that standpoint out of short-term greed. I also thought the food situation was abominable. And they also needed to stop being so greedy with that. And I've gone over all this before. Marketing-wise, they do great. Marketing-wise, they do better than anyone. And I do give them credit for continuing to provide a very wide variety of events instead of making it all No Limit Hold'em and PLO. They have a lot of different events, including a lot of forms of poker that aren't really played much or at all in a cash setting. So I'll give them credit for that. But you have to understand their main motivation is to make money. Their main motivation is to present to their superiors because remember Ty Stewart who's the head of the World Series still reports to someone and he needs to show that the World Series is making good money for Caesars and it has been it's making big money from Caesars it's a it's one of their most valuable assets so from that standpoint Ty Stewart looks like he's doing a tremendous job and from the marketing standpoint from the participation standpoint they are doing a tremendous job. There's no bigger tournament series. And they continue to grow even when poker shrinks. So I'm not going to look down on those accomplishments. They just should be doing other things differently. But always keep in mind the motivation at the end of the day is money. 775-FRAUD-55-775-372-8355 is the number. From the 916, the... Dealers need a hiring bonus and then give the dealers some real training and prep for the series. That would be good, except uh, there's just not time for it. 
There's just too many dealers. They'd have to do a massive undertaking of training to get this done. In the chat room, Sean Fanning's limp dick. Glad he's back. He said, I've never heard Galfon sound like such an absolute moron in that analysis. Yeah, well, I, I guess Calwatch probably right. I'm glad Sean Fanning's limp dick agrees with me that the whole thing sounded weird. I'm reading the thing. I'm going, what? Am I missing something? What am I missing? Oops. I usually catch when it's satire. It's, it's unusual to get by me when something's satire, and I don't realize it's satire, but this one got by me. All right. We have an investigation on our hands at Poker Fraud Alert. We are engaging in an investigation that, to my knowledge, nobody else is investigating. We are investigating ACR and a weird withdrawal that allegedly was never initiated by the person holding the account. The victim of this is not anyone I ever knew personally, and in fact was not a member of the Poker Fraud Alert Forum and was not a listener of Poker Fraud Alert Radio, at least not to my knowledge. This person is on Twitter as underscore was all a dream, exactly as it sounds, underscore was all a dream, and then his name is Gamble Gamble there. I don't even know the guy's real name. But here's what he tweeted on March 22nd. I have no choice at this point but to post this. My reasons for posting this are that maybe someone can reach out to an ACR security rep that can actually help and so that others are warned that their money may not be safe on ACR and that there may be some potential very shady things on the site. I know anyone I'm tagging in this post doesn't have anything to do with the situation. I'm just trying to spread the word so this doesn't happen to others. I personally know that I'm not the only person this has happened to on an ACR within the last several months. I woke up on March 13th, about two hours after receiving an email that a withdrawal had been made from my account on ACR. I know this phone number. Normally I wouldn't take this call in the middle of the segment, but I'll make an exception here for this phone number. Hello. Is this the uh, El Pollo Loco discussion show? I wish it was. Instead, we're discussing a withdrawal on ACR that a guy didn't make and money disappeared from his account. Oh, I want to hear about this. Now, listen, I'm in the car. I only have about 20 minutes, uh, and then I'll maybe try to call back. With, well, what's, uh, first of all, good evening. Yeah, good uh, evening to you. Who are you discussing this with? Uh, myself. Mm-hmm. Me, myself, and I. Oh, I thought there was someone else. No, okay. there That's was Trader Risky for a little where bit. where we but... are. What was that? Uh, yo, buddy. Yo, buddy. Hey, Trader Risky. <laughs> uh, patch me up to where we are with, with, uh, with the ACR thing. That's important to me because, I, I, you know, I am a patron. Okay, well, it's it, Poker so, Fraud Alert is investigating this, or shall I say, I am oh, as as the owner of Poker Fraud Alert. But it, so, so the, yeah, this guy is well. I am he he. I'll I'll start again reading this number three. The the first two tweets didn't really matter. Just kind of saying this is why I'm putting this out here, and then you'll hear what happens. So here we go. I woke up on March 13th, about two hours after receiving an email that a withdrawal had been made from my account on ACR. I immediately emailed security letting them know what happened. Upon checking the login history of the email, there were no logins to my email other than myself logging in. There were two emails about two to three minutes before the withdrawal email with a link that needed to be clicked in order to verify a new device login 
and nobody logged into my email, so they weren't able to access those links. My password for ACR had not been reset or changed. This leads to two conclusions. Number one, someone internally at ACR is accessing these accounts or assisting someone to access them. Or two, the security measures that they have in place to prevent this from happening are that exploitable and easy to override for any knowledgeable hacker. Support emailed me back and locked my account for a few days for security purposes in order to update my email and then reopened it and have me change my password. Not a single mention once in regards to what I'd emailed them about, which was about a withdrawal that was made from my account from a new device and location that I've never logged in from and was allowed to cash out with any questions asked or verification. If it isn't so clear what happened, my account was hacked by someone without them changing my password or accessing my email and withdrawing my entire balance. It doesn't say in the history what method it was withdrawn, but it was assuming it's a crypto address. So then WePro83, who's a site pro there in some way, we've talked about her before, she wrote, I'm not sure what you're looking to have help with, honestly. I read through the post twice, but maybe I'm not understanding exactly what specific issue you're looking to have resolved. Feel free to shoot me a direct message if you'd like to explain further. And he said, there was money stolen from my account. <laughs> I mean, I, I understand what he wants. Uh, he wants to figure out what the hell happened here. That there. So I bet your question is... We Pro 83, she's this woman who – remember this whole controversy with Phil Nagy making uh, sexual comments on a stream? That was who it was to. Yeah. Yeah, that was who it was. I've never heard about who that was. Okay, all right. So uh, she she's the girlfriend of that Wug, 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 Wug guy on Twitter. I don't know if you've seen him, Ruben. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah kind of. So anyway. How uh, did she not know what he's asking for? It's pretty – Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. So I saw that. I his money back. Right. So I, I saw that. I'm like, what the hell? He's not getting any help from these pros reading this. So I'm going to respond. This is right up Poker Fraud Alert's alley. And remember, there was a guy who got his account locked by ACR like about two months ago. Wouldn't tell him why. He had 12K locked up and I assisted him in getting it back. He got the money. That. He got the money um, refunded. The free, the, the, guy that was doing slot spins automatically for bonuses. Yeah, yeah. It, it was like more of a casino matter than a poker matter, but yes, exactly. And uh, yeah. credit to Chris Moneymaker. He was the one who made it happen. I brought it to Moneymaker. I explained everything. I explained my concern. And I explained that I'm not 100% this guy's telling the truth, but please look into it. This whole thing's weird, and I think maybe the guy got fucked. So sure enough, the guy got his 12K back, and uh, thanks to Moneymaker for looking into it. And... You know, that was a happy ending. But this one is going to be harder because this one wasn't money that ACR confiscated. This was money that was withdrawn. Now, I bet your question is, how much, right? I didn't say how much in these... That was actually going to say that. Yeah, like yeah. the guy doesn't say. So I talked to him. I came to him and I said, I want to help. I want to help, but you got to answer some questions for me so I can know what's going on. That's always what I do. And do we know this guy? No, know don't know him. Random? Total, total random. Okay. So I went to him, okay. and as I always do in any situation like this, including the one two months ago, I don't just assume the player was right. I don't just assume they got fucked. They may have, but I want to know everything, and I'm going to ask some tough questions so I can determine whether the site was correct in what they did or if the person is trying to pull shenanigans or if they really got screwed. See, it's Sometimes it's one, sometimes it's the other, sometimes it's hard to tell. So I told him i'd like to talk to him about it if he's interested and he was of, of course he's going to want help here because 9k is missing that was the i, I gave it away it was 9k but 
he said it was okay to reveal this. I, I had the whole discussion with him, and at the end of the discussion, I asked, what is okay to reveal on Poker Fraud Alert? Because I explained what Poker Fraud Alert is and what I do, and I, I'm not going to violate the guy's privacy and give away info he doesn't want given, but fortunately he said I can basically reveal anything he told me. He's not hiding anything, so that's good. So I'm free to tell you about our private conversation. I'm not going to post it, but I'll tell you about it. So here's the questions I asked him. Do you live with anyone or do you live alone? Number two, was anyone visiting you on March 12th or March 13th? Obviously, you see where I'm going with this, that maybe someone in his house went and did a withdrawal and the blame is on them. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Number three, you say that nobody logged into your email. How do you know this? Number four, how much was the withdrawal? And I already gave you that answer. It was almost 9K. It was like 88 something. If it was withdrawn by crypto, do you have the address it was sent to? Uh, Which I guess I didn't read his tweet totally correctly because he did say he doesn't know how it was withdrawn. Number six, have you contacted ACR support to find out what happened? I know he got this info. Let me ask you a question. Did he know after the fact or did he know right when he... Because when you cash out from ACR, you immediately get an email. Did he see that immediate email? or? Did yes, he... but he but he wasn't logging into his email to see it, I guess. that like He saw it uh, uh, after... Right, it... He, did he know right away? Like, you know, within a few minutes? No. Or an hour? No, no. It, I, I don't know how long... That's a good question, but I forgot to ask that. Uh, but so the point it, I'm asking is you could obviously have gone in there and, and reversed the... the, the Cash out. No, it had already been processed by the time he saw it. That I know for sure. Okay. So, Got it. All right. anyway, he said he lives with his girlfriend of eight years, whose name is not Chantel, and nobody has access to his desktop other than him, not even his girlfriend. Maybe he uh, also has some porn links or something he doesn't want her to see. And uh, his desktop is always turned off unless he's using it. And I think I believe him. I don't think the girlfriend's involved. He said that nobody was visiting him on March 12th or 13th. So that takes away the possibility that a friend pulled shenanigans. Then he said that his email is a Hotmail account. Remember Hotmail? People still use Hotmail, apparently. But, I had a Hotmail back in the day. Yeah, he still he has, still has one in 20, 2022. Look, I have an AOL account. I, I have an AOL account from college I still use. So yeah, I get it. <laughs> so, it says, he you said, ever have he, an AOL account back in the day? I, I did not. I was not an AOL person. But he says, I looked at the login history, and my IP address and device were the only ones listed in the login history. See, I am not familiar with Hotmail. I used it like in the 90s. I, but had, a, I had a Prodigy and a CompuServe email address at one point, too. Remember those? I was, on, do, I was on Prodigy. Prodigy and CompuServe. I was on both in the 80s and early 90s. But uh, that was before they were giving email addresses on the Internet because, like, Nobody was interested in being on the internet then because it was tiny. Can you imagine now there are generations that would, look, would hear that term from us and they'd look at us like they have no idea what we're talking about? Yes. <laughs> I actually, you know, I made a friend on Prodigy. It was a girl, but it was never anyone like, like there was never any sexual or romantic interest either way. So we were really just friends. But I, I still talk to her occasionally to this day. Someone I met on Prodigy right. when we were like teenagers. Never met in person, actually. We only talked... uh, She lived in a different state. I forgot how we even got to know each other. Anyway, he said that uh, Hotmail lists the login history with IP addresses and that there's only his address there and that he can't see that there's any way to delete things out of that history. So it looks like just no one went into his email 
from a different IP. Again, I mentioned the amount was uh, taken as a it was $8,849, close to 9K. Then he said that he cannot see with the ACR software what method the withdrawal was, only that a withdrawal was made. So he sees a withdrawal was made for 8849 and successfully processed, but he does not see whether it was crypto or something else, but he's guessing it was crypto. Okay, and that's I- weird. That's weird because when you, I can just say, uh, at least on a laptop, I just made a withdrawal, funny enough, two nights ago on there. And when you look, it will say the method. Uh, mm. Okay, so in other words, right now when I look, and I'll, I'll actually even do it while we're on the phone, uh, it says the amount, and then for me, you know, it says next to it Bitcoin. Ah. So, now maybe he's know. using okay, may, anyhow, weird. Maybe going. he's maybe he's looking at it from a from his phone or something. That's, that is weird. Yeah. That that uh, okay. See, I, I'm not an ACR player, yeah. so I didn't know that. Okay, so then he also said he did a virus scan with Windows Defender, and there was no virus found. Now, now Windows Defender's kind of fail, so I, I told him to go get malware v- bytes, which is better. And he did a scan with malware bytes at that point by my request, and again it came up clean. That doesn't mean that there's no viruses because sometimes the viruses and malware can be ahead of programs like Malwarebytes and Windows Defender. But that's a good sign. That makes it more likely than not that this was not uh, some form of uh, malware, but that does leave the possibility open. So I said, all right, here. Since it seems that ACR is just not addressing this for whatever reason, which is weird, I said, you have a right to get this information, the following information. You need to ask ACR, number one, what was the IP of the person who requested the withdrawal? And they they can't say, no, we can't give it because of privacy reasons. Of course they should give it to you. It's your money. You have a right. You're, you're the person. Right. It's supposed to be you. It's your privacy. Yeah. I've actually had this before where my credit card gets stolen and someone orders something with my credit card and I call up the company trying to get info about the order and it's actually in my name and they won't give me the info. And I say, is it because that you don't know that I am uh, Todd Wittellis and that you can't verify I'm Todd Wittellis? And I said, no, even if you prove to us that you're Todd Wittellis, uh, we still can't give you the info on this order. <laughs> that reminds me kind of the whole never he Bogota thing. Or, uh, yeah. Bulldog thing. <laughs> secret, but it really wasn't. But why won't you tell us? That's right. That was a legendary phone call. Of, uh, what, why am I banned? Uh, we can't tell you. We, so why is it a secret? It's not a secret. We just can't tell you. Okay, then what's the definition of a secret? Sir, it's not a secret. Okay, then tell us what a secret means. <laughs> this went on for like 25 minutes. Uh, if only we hadn't lost a, uh, a seat they were giving away on Neverwin Poker. It would have been hilarious. Yeah. yeah. It was still hilarious. Oh, man, yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, I said, you got to find out from them, from ACR support, what is the exact IP address of the person who requested the withdrawal? Also, any info on the device that was used was, uh, what, what can they see? What, what type of device? Was it a device they've seen before on ACR? What, what do they know about the device? And the exact method of withdrawal and the exact address of crypto, if that's what was used, which it probably was. So get the exact Bitcoin address, whatever it was that was used to withdraw, get the exact IP and get all the info they can give on the device. And if they refuse... Okay, so hold on, I, hold on, hold on. I, I just wanted to do this, but I knew. So this is really silly or crazy. March 18th, okay, and you're going to laugh, 9080. So I went through $9,080. Yeah. 
Then it says next to it Bitcoin, and then it says the reference number. So and this is, I did it before on a laptop. So I know, but I'm obviously not home now. So I did it again on my mobile device, and it does list the method of of how you cash out. That's, I'm looking at previous cash outs too, and it's it's showing me. That's interesting. I mean, every time it says Bitcoin. So, I mean, I'm, well, I'm going to bring it up. To, I'm going to bring that up to him. That's uh, now. I don't think he's making all this up because it looked, it looked like he really wanted help. I'm just saying. It's, 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 I'm seeing it right now. I believe you. I believe you. Depo- it shows for deposits too. What method you use? Okay. Well, that's so, that's one hole in the story. That's one hole in the story. But but yeah. So anyway, I said that uh, you need to get all this info. And if they refuse, you need to explain this is my account. These are my funds. I have a right to know this. And I said if they still refuse, then tell me. And then I will get someone to assist, maybe Moneymaker, maybe somebody else. But I, I believe I can probably bring this to someone at that point and say they're refusing to give this info to this guy, and they shouldn't be. He need, he has a right to know these things with his own money that was withdrawn. Now, the reason I want to know these things is the IP address is very important, first of all, in, in a few ways. Number one, if it's his IP address, then we know right there that it's one of a few possibilities. Either someone did do this from his own house or somehow his computer has been compromised and someone remotely is able to use his computer maybe even the ACR client and maybe through some sort of malware that's installed that gives them uh, ability no. something, something like team viewer to to actually make a withdrawal from his device so i i that's why i want to know about the do ip you know, and the device do you know majority of what he plays on there? No. Meaning, like, the, the, the majority... Okay. Well, the only reason why I ask if it's poker, then maybe someone that he knows, you know, that plays poker did it, or it's less likely if he's just a casino player or a sports better that no one even would know who he is, that he logs in there. So that's important, too. I'd ask how... how you know, he accrued that balance. That, that's a good that question, too. Well, I was wondering, I was yeah. thinking, like, obviously this was targeted in some way. This wasn't just a random hacker. See, people always have the wrong impression of what hackers are and do. Uh, you always have the impression that a hacker is like a hacker on TV. When I say you, I mean the typical person. They, they, they picture that a hacker can just effortlessly tap a few keys, see <clears throat> everything in your computer, break into anything, break into any account, and also have instant knowledge of everything you're doing. So a random hacker will go, oh, this guy's a poker player. Oh, I bet he has a balance on ACR. Let's log on to ACR now and withdraw all his money. Like, that's the hacker fantasy. The hacker reality is that most hackings are mass targeting, meaning they are targeting databases with millions of records. They're not aiming it at you. And even if it is aimed at you, Unless the person has knowledge of you personally, they're not going to know to look at something like a poker site because the typical person doesn't have 9K on a poker site. So they'd have to know that you have money on a poker site to want to target that. So it has to be someone who at least knows of you and knows that you would have this money if they're going to target you. If it's just a random hacker, it's unlikely that they're going to do this and then hit your ACR account. So... I was kind of thinking like you, Brandon, that for someone to go after his account like this, if this really happened, that it would probably have to be someone who knew to go after it and knew that there was money on the other end. Because what if he's a microstakes player? What if he has $80 in his account? That's a lot of effort to get very little. So I don't think it's a coincidence that there was 9K to grab here. I also didn't ask if there's any money left uh, or if there was uh, 
And you may say, well, why would they leave money over? It's possible that the, they did this amount because they felt that it would be processed faster. Because of let, let's say hypothetically he had a hundred thousand in his account. I don't think he did, but let's say he did. You do a withdrawal for a hundred thousand, it may take a while to process, and there may be extra checks and everything. You know, like that's that. one thing I really. That's one thing I really like about Bet Online. I don't know if, if uh, Ignition or Bovada or the other side uses the process. And I know this can be circumvented too, but on Bet Online, before they even allow you to proceed with cashing out, besides every other protocol, they text your phone. Yeah. And then you have to put in a five digit code. Right. And Bovada does that too. Bovada Ignition, they do that as well. So they literally would have to have access to your phone as well, which is another great, you know, it's just an added layer of, of security. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot tougher. I mean, there's ways to do it, but it's pretty tough. Yeah. So, right, I agree with you there. That's a, a feature that really should be there. And I, I was pretty yeah. shocked that wasn't on ACR, which is something that should be looked at for sure. So anyway, where does he go from here? Well, again, he needs to get this information from them. And then, as I said, if they refuse to give this to him, then I can help him with that. But let's say they give it to him. Let's say they give it to him, and it wasn't somebody with his IP. Because remember, we have one clue, and that was that a new device logged into his ACR account, which would seem to indicate it probably wasn't someone using a TeamViewer-like program to use his own computer to access it. Then he wouldn't have gotten that email. So presumably a totally different device went on to ACR and requested this withdrawal and that it automatically kicked an email to him saying you need to click this link to verify the withdrawal and that uh, someone apparently accessed that link, which is alarming to him because he's saying that nobody got it in his email and also nobody changed his password. So he's saying, how the hell did they get here? So it is a bit of a mystery how they were able to click this link that they are verifying the new device logging in and then once they were able to do that, they did the withdrawal, which was processed quickly, and that now they have the money. Now, there are still possibilities as to how this could have occurred. Uh, that Even if you say, well, it's a different device, so it wasn't someone who was accessing his device, it, number one, could have been an inside job where someone at ACR has access to the mail queue that sends this out, either someone within ACR or someone who just has hacked ACR in a way and can interfere with emails going out like this when they can see the outgoing email from ACR and get these links, and that is a uh, huge vulnerability. Though that still wouldn't explain how they would get into his ACR account in the, in the first place. Like, uh, how, they didn't change his password, so it's not like they requested a password change. They only got the link to verify the new device. So he, he thinks, well, you know, maybe this is some sort of inside job where they're able to get his password but not circumvent the device email but they're able to get that link somehow and then click on it without ever getting to his email now there is a second possibility and that is that his computer is compromised in some way maybe with a keylogger that they are able to get his password that way from seeing his key being logged and regarding that email maybe they were able to go on to his email, maybe even through his IP address, and click on that link. He also showed it, it said it was unread. I asked him if it said, if it said emails were read or unread. He said unread, but you can always mark them back unread, so that doesn't mean a lot. It's still kind of a mystery to me, though. There's This doesn't completely add up regarding something I can logically explain, but I do want to say that if this really happened, and this guy's not just making up a story to mess with us, I don't mean me personally, but I mean like everybody, 
if this really happened, there always is a logical explanation. Not necessarily a good explanation, but one that is logical that makes sense. That once you were to piece everything together, you at least understand how it happened and what steps were taken. So we have to start with the IP and go from there. I have someone, sorry to interrupt you, that just texted me that plays on ACR a lot, way more than me. And they're telling me that every different deposit or withdrawal method will always show, is always shown. So if he's saying that either he just didn't look, know where to look, or he's, you know, I don't know. But it always shows the, the deposit withdrawal method. Yeah, that, that's the one hole in the story, so, as I said. I, I believe you and him. But... Uh, well, I mean, I'm looking at it now. I no, mean, I believe you. I'm, 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 that's what I'm saying. It's, 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 yeah, yeah. It's weird. Yeah. But I do want to see, like, let, so let's say, let's go back. Let's say it was uh, something in Russia was a different computer than it's ever been used on ACR before, so there's no link to somebody else in the past. And uh, and that's all we have. So, and let's say we get a crypto address, but it, that doesn't yield very much when we when we examine that. So where do we go from here? Well, unfortunately, nowhere. Unfortunately, he's stuck at that point. Unfortunately, he's fucked. Why? Because it's very hard to get ACR to cover this when they're not presently holding the money. It's a lot easier to get them to release money that they confiscated than money that they have to give you that they've already paid out. And ultimately, security is considered your responsibility. So it is true if, for whatever reason, your computer gets compromised, whether by a friend, your girlfriend, a hacker, a fisher, whatever it might be. If someone compromises your system and then requests a withdrawal and gets away with it, then it's on you. You can't expect ACR to pay you. Now, it sucks they don't have this text message situation like BetOnline and Bovada have, and they really need it. And that is a fair criticism to put upon them. But you can't say, hey, because you don't have that, give me back $9,000. There's no chance they'll do that. And this amount of money is too high. If it was like 100 bucks. They might just give it for goodwill, but they're not going to give $9,000 for goodwill in this situation where it may have been on his end that the compromise occurred, even if he doesn't realize it's on his end, or even if this was some clever thing that was done to him that a lot of people would have fallen for. So I, I'm waiting to see that information before we uh, draw a further conclusion, but unfortunately the guy is not in the best shape, but I would like to see what happened because this is still a disturbing story that somebody had a withdrawal done and didn't find out about it until after the whole thing was complete and that someone clicked an email link somehow that was verifying a new device. That's really disturbing because that's the whole point of that email link. And yet he claims that no one logged into his email. Very, very mysterious. We need Scooby and the gang to help out here to solve this mystery. That's that's what's going on there and I will let you know further... Uh, one one little postscript to this here. You may wonder, when was the last time this guy messaged me? The last time was on the same day I contacted him, which was uh, on Wednesday. Oh, hold on, hold on. I'm correcting myself because he's actually typing right now. <laughs> I was about to say he has not responded to me at 8.30, which is now about four hours ago. I messaged him and said, hey, I haven't heard back from you since Wednesday. Uh, what's the story? And he didn't answer. Now, it's only been four hours. I'm not saying he's ghosting me, but I was about to say he has not answered me and hasn't updated me since Wednesday, but now he's typing. Type, 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 type. And now it's now he's un- now he's not typing anymore. 
I'm going to tell him he can call in. Would you like to call into the show? We are talking about this right now. 775-372-8355. I'd love to just get him on here. He said that uh, no response to the email I sent, but ACR support messaged me the next day and someone's looking into it. It took my friend 18 days to get his returned, and it's been two weeks since this happened, so at least they're working on it, and hopefully they get it worked out. That doesn't say much. Tell him to log in and, and tell us which method of cash out he sees. Here, I'm going to say my co-host says that ACR always and, shows and he could do it, the method he could, he could of cash out. over a laptop or... Or on the mobile device. If he says he's not home, he can just log on his phone. And I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, so I, I, just, I just told him that. I just told him that live here. Okay. He's, oh, he, he's not calling in. He's, he's super tired. It's 3 a.m. and he's just leaving the casino. Okay, whatever. And some people don't like going on radio. You know, Some people are shy about that. So I'm not going to pressure him okay. with this. But, well, but, at least have him log in and, and text us back or text you a screenshot. I'll say, like to see that. text me a screenshot of it, please, if it doesn't. He says, I did find it, but not on the desktop. It was Bitcoin. Okay. He said he, on his, he, said he found it on his phone when he logged in. Well, whatever. He, he's telling me it's Bitcoin now. Okay, so I guess we're still waiting, and we'll uh, get some information on this later. I don't know this guy. You know, hopefully he's being truthful with me. Hopefully he's not making me do a radio segment for nothing. Well, he's not making me do anything. I chose to do this, but it is a mystery, and I do want to know the answer here, especially for our listeners, including... My co-host here, Brandon Drexler-Gerson, who plays on ACR, and I like to think that people's funds are secure and that they're not phantom withdrawals that are done by hackers without their permission, whether insiders or non-insiders. As a victim of online poker fraud in the 2000s, the, not this type, but super using, I am very sensitive to this. Oh, hold on. I have an update. I have a big update. Twitter account at underscore was all a dream tweeted. Thank you to anyone that reached out to someone they knew in ACR security or any help you may have provided in this process. My funds were returned to my account. Hmm. So he's oh. been made whole. Oh, bullshit. That's this. No, you're saying that since we've been on the air, magically he got his money back. There's no ex- explanation. There's nothing. He just has his money. So Brandon is a skeptic, huh? Was well, that what you're saying? That's what that he's claiming. And did he ever address why he claimed he couldn't see the type of payout when it, it's listed for everyone? Yes. Um, oh wait, hold on. He sent me some things. I I just missed All this. Right. Okay, let me see here. But don't don't be too skeptical just yet, though. I, we, this is a skeptical show, so I'm not blaming you. I'm just saying that. Uh, uh, let's see here. He he wrote to me privately. I just logged into my ACR. The cash out is no longer in my history. The money's been returned to my account. They didn't even send me an email and let me know. So then he's showing me a blank cash out history, which, of course... Oh, wait, hold on, though. He is showing me a different screenshot involving 8849's money in. And that was almost his entire balance. His, after it got put back, he had ninety sixty five in the account. So he, 8849 was almost the whole thing. But I see it says uh, money in, like almost they just dropped it in there. But then the – so the weird thing is he's saying the withdrawal is missing, but he does have this 
screenshot, which I see like a partial screenshot where it says money in and balance now 906522. He said they sent it 24 hours after I made that thread on Twitter. I just realized I haven't logged into my ACR account since, and they never sent me an email noticing me. I appreciate your willingness to look into this and the help you're doing a great job with your site, bringing attention to all the shadiness that goes on in poker. You know, I'm going to say since he provided that screenshot of the money in 8849, I can send it to you. That does seem like they dropped the money back in his account. And he's claiming they offered no explanation of what happened. I, 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 I mean, know, it's buddy. weird, but I, that also does make sense. If they noticed something shady went on, the last thing they want to write is, yeah, yeah it was, somehow a withdrawal was done without your permission. And uh, yeah, pond investigation. Right. Yeah, something fucked up here. Okay. So yeah, like that's the last thing they want getting out. That This would be something they could hope to do just drop the money back in and not admit right. to any wrongdoing no so. i'm not saying he's lying who the hell knows i'm just you know, like you said earlier you always have to you know just go on this on these type of things with an open mind you don't yeah. know what i mean you don't know yeah you uh, can't take the side of the player versus side of the card room i mean it's well either way that's fine i guess i mean i i don't know what do you think all this is legit i think probably because of the screenshot he sent me with this money in if he just showed me a blank withdrawal thing and said oh look it's gone now and the money's back then i could say well this could have all been for attention this could have been where he invents this crisis and then when people start asking too many questions he doesn't want it uh exposed and says oh the money's back oh look the withdrawal never happened they just uh, they just undid it ah look at the blank thing like a blank thing doesn't mean that they reverse it a blank thing could mean it never happened and he's making up a story however if that were the case, then there wouldn't be this money in 8849 thing. Let me ask him. I'm going to ask him, can you send me the full screenshot of this money in thing? I find that part most interesting. See if he sends me that because it's a weird cutoff screenshot. So I just want to make sure he didn't like redeposit it on his own or something. <laughs> uh, I can't imagine why he'd make this up but who knows you know like like for example i'm not accusing him of this i'm just putting out a hypothetical someone could have just chunked off a bunch of money on there and felt the thing was rigged and wanted to trash acr and then when he noticed there was too much attention being brought to it by with all these questions he, he decided to just like deposit that same amount back in and say oh look it's back guys and then kind of hope to slink away so that that could be a possibility, but I still think with that money in screenshot, it's more likely he's telling the truth. But I do want to see the whole screenshot. He's showing me that gives a piece of it. So I want to see that whole thing before I give the rough stamp of approval on this being a real story. There are some odd elements to it, I will admit. Well, the easiest thing to do to validate this would be just to message Chris Moneymaker privately and ask him just to confirm this even happened. Yeah, well, I, I don't like bothering Chris Moneymaker too much with things, but I think he may want yeah, to know no, about this. Right. That, this is not worth bothering. But it might be, though. I'll tell you why, because I'm not asking for him to help here. Here it's already done. I may say I just want to give you a heads up that someone's claiming this happened and then their money popped back in there. And if the guy's not telling the truth, then you should probably know about this. <laughs> and, uh, but but I don't know. Let me, let me see what this guy sends me in the screenshot. If the screenshot looks like it's... Uh, legitimate money in it is still the whole thing's still kind of weird like let's say the screenshot is legit like what happened here did they did they determine that this was an inside job and they're just quietly giving it back but it's not trivial to give someone 9k so like 
I can't see them giving back a guy $8,800 if it was just someone who compromised his system or his email and was able to do a withdrawal under his account. No poker site would do that for you. Even poker stars back in the day, they're just not... It was always accepted that this is a risk you take with online poker, that you are responsible for your own account security and that the poker site will try to help, but they, if ultimately someone gets on your account through your own breach of security and withdraws something before you catch it, you're not going to get the money back. That's always been the way it is. So for them to just give this back, I can't see this being a goodwill thing. This is almost like they either noticed that this problem was on their end or this didn't happen. I think it's one of these two. Otherwise, why would they give back $8,800? That's too much. That is weird. But yeah, I mean, it's possible they found this was a theft on their end and just want this to go away. So I I do want to follow up on this because if this really happened, well, I'll give props to ACR for uh, at least finally giving them the money back before this became too big. It's still disturbing that this could have. If the guy's telling the truth and ACR found that there was an inside job and they just dropped the money back in the dude's account, that's still concerning. I mean, is there is there ever even a confirmed report of someone inside a poker company from the inside stealing players' funds like that in that manner, like cashing them out to their own wallets, to their own crypto addresses? I've never heard of one. Well, there's there were some allegations that this was happening on Bovada. Well, but I said confirmed. Like yeah, no, 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 there's not. And I and I said with the Bovada thing, I could believe either way. I could believe there were shady people working there doing it. This is back in the day when they weren't showing you the wallet that you were cashing it to, which is a huge mistake. Right. Not the wallet, the address, which I, I said, and they, I, I don't know if they took my suggestion or just learned to do it, but I put out the suggestion right to them directly. I said, what the fuck are you guys doing? You have to, I actually called up and told them this. I called up, I emailed it, I tweeted it. I, I made it real clear. I said to Bovada, you have to show the player at least a portion of the crypto address they are cashing out to. So this way, if it ends up at a different address, then they can show you because the allegation to Bovada was it was being hijacked in the middle and someone was changing it to a different address to steal the money. As you said, it was not confirmed, but this was being alleged. And I said, this whole thing could be solved if you just let the player have an email saying, at least part of the crypto address it's going to. So if it goes somewhere else, then it's very clear it was stolen. And if it goes to that address, then it's very clear it's the player's fault. So why don't you do that? Oh, you know, we're thinking about it, maybe, blah, blah. And then it happened. So good. But no, there's no confirmed story of just money being withdrawn out of someone's account on any site, to my knowledge. There's been a lot of other things that have happened on online poker sites, as you guys know, but not this, at least not a confirmed account. All right, well, keep an eye on this one. Keep an eye on this one for sure. Sure. By the way, I have some. Well, I have an update here. I got the full screenshot from this guy, and I have to say, this does not look good for ACR. Oh wow! So it has a transaction Uh-oh. ID. It says payment category fraud. It says payment method SEC-reimbursement, SEC reimbursement, whatever that means. And here the description is especially concerning. It says reintegration due to breaching incident. 
breaching incident. What does that mean? I mean that sounds like yeah. something was breached on their end. And then it right. says date eleven fifty four forty one three twenty three twenty two. So it looks like uh maybe they put this back in days ago and he just didn't log in to see it. He says he said he got no email about it. Money in eighty eight forty nine Money out zero, balance nine oh six five twenty two. This looks authentic. So, okay, well I stand corrected. Well, well I, I mean, I, I, oh, I have listen. To... When you say it doesn't look good for them, like what do you expect them to do? Hold a press conference? No, you know, but paid. but no, he but got this paid at least, which is great. No, but here's the question. It. Here's the question. It's great he got his money back, but here's the question. They just dropped almost nine k back in this guy's account because he says, "Oh, uh, someone did a withdrawal without my permission." If someone made out with 9K that that accessed his computer because he just wasn't tech-savvy enough to prevent it, they're not going to give him back 9K. There's no way. That's too much money. I get it. So and, you're insinuating it was something on the inside. And also, reintegration due to breaching incident. Breaching incident really that sounds like... That infers that there's something on their end got breached. Yeah, yes, yeah. It. it wouldn't be like a, a refund of money stolen via cust- hacking of customer's computer. Breaching incident, reintegration, this is really weird. I just can't see them giving it. By the way, uh, this also would be too easy for people to steal from ACR with false claims like this. So, for example, you just get a buddy... Or even you could do it yourself. Just go on a different device and do the same thing. Do a withdrawal and go, what? I didn't do this withdrawal. This wasn't me. This was somebody else. This was a breach. Okay, give me my 9K back. And then you've done it through crypto. So you just pocket the funds or your buddy sends it to you and you split the money, whatever it is. And you just got a double cash out. So again, if this was a hundred bucks, I'd say they may just be doing it to keep the customer happy. But eighty-eight forty-nine bucks, no, that's not being given unless they know they fucked up. So uh, this is bothering me a lot. I, I would have well then discuss it with uh, you know discuss it with Chris. I think I might because uh, this is bothering me. I, there's a lot of people who have the opinion that like as long as these things end happy, then let's be okay with it. Well, it depends. If somebody's suspected of some sort of casino fraud and then they get their account frozen and then support is difficult with them and then they're eventually nudged to give the guy the money back that there's no proof the guy did anything that terrible, that's one thing because it's where they're suspecting some kind of wrongdoing and maybe are over-aggressive with seizing money. I don't like that either, but at least that's not something that's as bothersome. But where someone just gets money jacked out of their account and then... They get it back after complaining, but it still takes 11 days, but they they get it back and then aren't even notified they get it back, but they get it back and then it's never explained what happened here. Like you kind of want to know what happened after money was withdrawn out of your account without your permission. Kind of like, how do I know this is not going to happen again sort of thing? What happens when this does occur next time? Is this a one-time refund? Are you blaming any of this on me? I, these are questions you got to ask if you're going to keep playing there. Now, of course, he's not forced to keep playing there. He could withdraw everything now and be done. But what happened? I mean, that's a very weird thing. I think I am going to bring this to Chris's attention because this is a very weird thing. That is really, well, really I'm sorry strange. Sorry if I, you know, and I wasn't obviously, you know, saying the guy 
was incredible. But you know, I don't know who he is. You know, you just never know. People no, I agree. Make crazy things. So, I know there's weirdos you know. who make things up. Yeah, so that's you know we don't know him, and so it could have been. Uh, it, you never huh. know. It could have been someone taking us for a ride, but it, it appears it was not. It appears this was. Like it appears, he really got money stolen, and it looks like there's a good chance it was some from the inside. So that's really. And all bad. this happened while we were on the air. Yes, we got reimbursed at the same time. No, 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 no. I what happened is not a total coincidence. I messaged him. In uh, I messaged he hadn't heard anything back. He says this is since Wednesday. So I messaged him shortly before radio and said, "What happened? How come I haven't heard anything back?" And well, I didn't use those words, but I said. Yeah, you, know, you have an update on this, and then he responded four hours later while we were on the air. And it's very possible that what he went and did at that point was went and logged into ACR because he hadn't heard from them and wanted to like just went on to see what what shows on there. I know he went on he went on because we asked him to check on the withdrawal thing. That's why he went on. So he probably noticed it tonight because we were telling him to look at this. So he said. Oh, this is interesting. The whole incident that I posted on Twitter was exactly how it happened with my friend just a few months ago as well for right around the same amount of money. Let me ask him if you have his friend talk to me. Can your friend message me? I'm going to raise an issue about this. What I'm concerned about here is that someone working for ACR, I don't think that Phil Nagy CEO is stealing from people or, or is okay with this, okay? Uh, there's a lot of moving parts to these online poker sites, especially the offshore ones. So, you know, they've got all these third parties doing things, but it would not surprise me if some low-paid foreign employee has access in some way to just directly get into people's accounts and directly access the link that it sends people to verify that their new device is okay and that they came up with this to steal from people and maybe the amount that's being done here, he's saying it's a similar amount. Maybe that's the maximum amount that can be processed quickly. Maybe ACR has a threshold that once it's more than 9K, for example, that they take more time to review it. And obviously they don't want that. They want this to be super fast. So maybe 9K is the threshold, so they do things like 8849. Hmm. I mean, this needs to be figured out here. If, there, if there's dirty people in the company doing this shit, they got to get rid of them. I'm going to keep pressing this if, one. Uh, if you tweeted at Nagy directly, would he respond to you? Maybe. He has occasionally, but there's other times I've tweeted to him and he ignores me. I've also messaged him privately, and same thing. Sometimes he'll answer, sometimes he won't. He might over this, though, because this is calling his whole operation into question. Though, again, I if I had to guess, I don't think this is happening at the top. It's not like AP where Scott Tom was doing it or... UB where Russ Hamilton was doing it. I'm, I, I think if this is an inside job, which is a good chance it is, that it is some shady employee and ACR is just, when they catch it, they just eat the money and reimburse the people and hope nobody talks about it. I think that uh, this dude may have stumbled onto something that is going on at ACR that is not good. I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to raise the issue about this. This is something I'm not going to let go. I'm going to try to get the public's attention to this one. Now, Brandon, you messaged me a topic that you wanted to bring up tonight. Did Did you ever speak on this show about the restaurant in Las Vegas in which uh, many, I don't know, over 10, 15 patrons had to go to the emergency room? They were served THC in their food? No, I did not. 
Okay, so that was all over me. Well, anyhow, there's an update to that story. This made nationwide news uh, about three weeks ago. Again, this made worldwide news. A number of people over a 48-hour period, uh, mainly older individuals, were all hospitalized because they had eaten uh, a variety of different dishes at a local Thai place. I can't think of the name, but you could just Google Thai food and marijuana. Las Vegas will come right up. And obviously, the police got involved, drug enforcement, FDA, and they shut down the restaurant. Um, yeah, it's called Secret. Of it's called Secret of Siam, is what it's called. Yes, it's right off Lake Mead. So they shut down the restaurant, and you know they interviewed the owners, and you could tell they, you know, they were just petrified. They were shocked, and so long story short, it actually was reported uh, late this week. I think it was Thursday that the cause was vendors that they had used. Somehow THC was in the items they bought, meaning obviously that they they were not liable. They did nothing wrong. And now, you know, it's really sad because, you know, the owners are immigrants and this is, you know, not some big chain. And, they're, you know, no one's going to eat there. Their reputation is just ruined. But uh, anyhow, like I said, vendors, and I don't remember the name of the company, but you can look, you know, it's all on the Internet. Uh, had sold them food that was laced with heavy amounts of THC. No idea how it got in there. They were vindicated. Um, but still, you know, the damage is already done. I would imagine they would have to just completely shut it down and open up a new restaurant with a new name if they want to continue. Yeah, well, so I, I thought I, we talked about it. No, no I, I, I don't think we talked here. about it. And at least here we learned what the secret of Siam really is. <laughs> Yeah. THC. Uh, by the way, for um, those of you who, are, who aren't uh, familiar with why THC would do this, because you may think, well, that's the compound in cannabis that makes you feel high. People smoke pot all the time, and they don't get sick. So why why was this such a huge deal? I mean, yeah, you don't want it in your food if you, if you don't know it's there, but why is this a huge deal? Well, the problem is if you directly consume THC, it's much more potent than smoking it. So this is why edibles marijuana edibles you shouldn't mess around with them if you're not familiar with them someone just offers you an edible you shouldn't say oh you know i i've smoked pot before yeah it's fine it'll be fun no it's so much more potent i've seen i've seen personally right in, in my presence people get really really sick and feeling awful and freaking out when they had their first edible and I, I've, I've watched it and it's i, I watched someone be taken away to the er screaming they're going to die very Bad stuff. So you got to be careful with that. So that so yeah. they, it was reported that these people who consume the THC laced food, uh, they had increased heart rates, blurred vision, disorientation, loss of consciousness, numbness, and tingling within hours of being at the restaurant. So that uh, it, it wasn't the same effect as smoking marijuana. In case you're wondering, I'm surprised you missed out on that. I mean, that's something that would normally come across your radar. A story like that. No, I had seen it. In fact, it was posted on Vegas Casino Talk. I just never reported it on the show. Oh, okay. All right, makes sense. Well, anyhow, case is closed, but and I'm sure there'll be a lawsuit, you know, from the business to the vendor. But nonetheless, it's you know, it, it sucks for the owners. No, it does. It doesn't matter that they're innocent. People aren't going to remember that. They're just going to remember not to go to that restaurant. And then now there are lawsuits against them, you know, from the patrons that were in the hospital. Just a whole mess. But they uh, apparently did nothing wrong. So. 
Yep. Anyhow, well, okay. So if uh, if you want to cover, if you want to do dressy time, I'll mute myself, and uh, I'll you know, like I said, I'm it was in transit. I'm home, and I'll try to interject when I can, but I don't want to have any background noise and disturb the show. So, you guys know what time it is. You have any idea what time it might be? Hello, Ken and Nigel Fabersham here. This is Druffy Time Theater, and you know, Dan Druff's gotten so lazy that now he has decided that what he's going to do is just simply rehash elements he posted on the forum. It's, he cannot even separate the two. You, you know how it was said uh, by Offspring, I believe. you got to keep them separated. Well, Dan Druff apparently doesn't believe in that. He just rehashes forum nonsense as if it's something that you all want to hear over here. Oh, well. On with it. Thank you, Colonel Fabersham. Welcome to another edition, another exciting edition of Druffy Time Theater, where you learn about stories from my life that have occurred over the years. Sometimes it's something that was recent. Sometimes it's something that was not so recent. But nevertheless... These are stories, and I have seven of them, but we're not going to do seven tonight because it's too much. I debated whether I should do this over two shows or three shows, and I decided to land on two shows. We're going to do four tonight and three next week. What I'm going to do, and since we have Brandon hanging on the line there, willing to contribute, we'll have him guess, unless he already knows the answer. If he actually knows the answer, then I don't want him to guess. But I'm going to give you stories where I'm going to ask a question and then I'm going to give four possibilities of what the answer is going to be. Then I'm going to let you think about it for a moment and we'll let Brandon think about it if he doesn't actually know the answer. And then I will tell you the one that's correct and the actual story behind it. So number one, what mundane event in 1993 led to me becoming a poker player eight years later? in 2001, and eventually a poker pro. There is one event that made that happen eight years earlier. So here are the four possibilities. Number one, I tried very low stakes poker during my first Vegas trip at age 21, which was in 1993, and got very lucky despite being a fish, and eight years later thought about taking another shot. Number two, Lee Jones was my boss's cousin and that book was recommended to me in the year 2000, winning Low Limit Hold'em, which led me into getting into Limit Hold'em. And that was the first poker book I ever read. Number three, one day before my then-girlfriend of 93 broke up, she introduced my brother to an acquaintance who later both got us into poker. And number four, I asked a college professor for extra time and an assignment, and he gave it to me, and then we became friends because of that. And then seven years later, he got me into poker. So, Brandon, tell me first, do you know definitively what the answer is to this one? First, I thought it was one, but now I remember it was three with the uh, college professor getting you involved in poker. Wrong. Thank you, Mr. Trump. Brandon, you are wrong. That is not the correct answer. And I will let everyone hear the answer as I tell the story. In 1993, 
my then-girlfriend was at my parents' house with me. I didn't live with my parents, but we were visiting my parents, and she saw my brother. Now, my brother had just gotten home. She almost didn't see my brother. She'd seen him many times before, but uh, she happened to see him. He had just gotten home, just as we were leaving. So minutes later, if he had come home, she would not have seen him that day, which would have been significant. So when she saw him, she said, oh, there's a guy I know I've been meaning for you to meet. You two are a lot alike, and I bet you two would become good friends. So my brother thought this is weird. Like, like why is my girlfriend trying to like, get him to be friends with some dude? But he reluctantly said, okay, you know, like, if you really think so. And she's like, okay, well, can I give your phone number to him? It was almost like, it was weird. It was almost like a setup, except it's for friends, not, uh, not any dating. Uh, so my brother, like, reluctantly gave the number to her to give to him. So then she uh, gave it to this guy. And then a day later, she and I broke up. Not related to that at all. So that was going to be the last time that she would ever see my brother. Well, it turned out she was right. This guy and my brother did have a lot in common, and they actually did become friends. He was a little closer to my brother's age than mine, who's between our ages, and he had more common, more in common with my brother than he did with me. I, I became friends with the guy, too. Uh, my brother was closer to him. Well, this guy got into poker because he bought Winning at Low Limit Hold'em by the then-unknown Lee Jones, who at the time was just like a... Uh, Northern California Limit Hold'em player. And this guy enjoyed the book and told my brother that he should buy it and that they should both go down and play at the Hustler Casino and see how they could do. So my brother did this. Now, of course, this is uh, much later. This is almost seven years later. This is uh, six and a half years later they did this when they bought the book and went and played. And they both came to really like Limit Hold'em and started playing semi-regularly. So I was told that I should do this too. However, at the moment, I didn't have much interest. My interest is actually more at the time in blackjack, which I had just learned. I was just in the process of learning how to play positive EV blackjack. I was learning how to count cards. So I did that. I played some blackjack. And then I bought the Lee Jones book, but I didn't read it immediately. But then I started reading it and... By the time I got through it, I was excited to go play. So I went to go play at the Hustler just like they had. They recommended I go to the Hustlers. That's where I went. I went by myself, played 3-6 Limit Hold'em. I broke exactly even. I really mean exactly even, not a dollar up or down. And this is in January of 01. And that began my poker play. Otherwise, I probably would not have had the same trajectory in poker. I can't say I wouldn't have tried poker, but I'm guessing had this not occurred, I would have gotten into poker at the same time that most other people did when it appeared on TV in 03, and I probably would have tried No Limit Hold'em. I probably wouldn't even have tried Limit Hold'em. I think the whole trajectory would have been different, and I think that I wouldn't have done as well because I was naturally a better player at Limit Hold'em than No Limit Hold'em, and I probably wouldn't have found it or had that much interest in it. So... That's really the way everything had to happen. Now, who was this guy, though? Would you know him, this poker player? Do you have any idea who it might be, Brandon, from Poker Stars? Um, I, I mean, I think I do. I, I, I don't know now, but I, I know I've heard it before. You know, I think that somehow I would know, but I need more, a little bit more information. Okay. The guy was known as Good Eats. Yeah. And he I used to that. play a lot of the 100-200 game on Poker Stars, and... 
as a further butterfly effect type side note here, Good Eats was supposed to come play at the 2005 3K Limit Hold'em event at the World Series. And he ended up taking too long to leave and realized he'd show up late. And then he said, okay, well, I'll just be a late register. And then he took even longer to leave. And he's like, fuck, I'm going to get there too late. Never mind. This, this is too late. I'm not going to play. So he never ended up even coming to Vegas. Had he shown up, it would have changed all the cards in the course of the event. And we've talked was, about this before. Yeah. yeah. And that was the event I won. And there's a high chance I would not have been the winner had Good Eats not taken too long to leave his house that day from LA. Okay, here's number two. For four years, I kept my identity of Dandruff a secret and didn't associate that name with Todd the Live Player. Because I also played live. I played at Commerce. I played other places. But I, I never said who I was online. I told some people I played online, but I always refused to say my screen name and no one suspected I was Dandruff. So what changed my telling people why I was, that, that I was Dandruff? What made me tell people I'm Dandruff? Number one... I made the televised final table of the $1,500 Limit Hold'em event, and I decided I wanted the Neverwin Poker Forum to follow my progress. Number two, a Poker Stars employee who disliked my typing of G-A-Y and site equals joke let it leak out who Dan Dreff really was. Number three, the girl I met from True Poker in 2001, I really did meet a girl from True Poker in 2001, spent the weekend with me in Vegas and told some people years later after seeing me on TV... And number four, I told Brian Mikon in confidence, and he accidentally blurted it out when he was high. Brandon, do you know the answer to this one? I believe I do. Okay, so uh, since you do know, I won't have you reveal yet. I'm going to tell you, uh, okay. tell everybody what happened I'm, here, and then I'm, you... I'm pretty confident I know. Yeah, you on. probably do. So I had never planned, actually, on ever telling anybody who Dandruff was. My plan in poker was to be two separate people, to be... Todd, the live player, and to be Dandruff Online. I just didn't want to connect the two. I also didn't like tournament poker. I had no desire to play tournament poker. I never did play tournament poker. So I figured it was never necessary to link Dandruff to Todd at live poker. Well, that all changed in June of 2005 when I played my first World Series event and made the final table. Is that the one you uh, thought it was? Yes. Okay. So I was a very active Neverwin Poker poster. I was not a moderator. I was not an owner. That uh, Matt Berkey just said this week that I started the Neverwin forums with Neverwin. Incorrect. Incorrect. Neverwin and Micon started the forums, and I was a user there. I was not even a mod yet in 2005. And I wanted the forum to rail my progress. I was very excited that in my first tournament ever, first World Series tournament, I played one like little $100 buy-in or something at Commerce one time just on a whim, and that was it. I didn't cash. But this was my second tournament ever, and it was my first World Series event ever. I made the final table. So I'm like, I can't keep quiet any longer. I, I want this known. So I had my then-girlfriend Miri posted. I had no smartphone then. I couldn't go post it myself, but I had Miri post that I made the final table. In those days, the final table was not on a day by itself, so we went right from day two into the final table. But I wanted the forum to see it. I was proud of it. I wanted to see it. I wanted them to root for me. I wanted them to follow along, even though I couldn't see it as it was happening. Again, no smartphone. Nobody has a smartphone 
at least what I call a smartphone. I, technically, they had what they called smartphones in 2005, but they were not anything like the smartphones that we've had since the iPhone came out in 07. You didn't have a, a, a real interface to the web that you could see well. It was just, uh, it was very hard to use the web from your phone, and most people didn't do it back then, as many of you probably remember. But I figured I'd come back and see it, and it would be cool, and I just, I just wanted them all to follow along, even if I couldn't see as it was happening. So I was glad I did this because the forum was very excited for me. When I came home, I was I was very happy to see all the support I got in that thread and how people were legit- legitimately excited, almost like they were rooting for their favorite sports team. Yep, I knew that. Next story. This is not about poker. This is something that goes way back to the 1970s. So you may not know this one unless you've heard the story before. As a kid in AYSO soccer, I was the best goalie in the city in my age group. I know this. Oh, you know this too. You know too much about me. Why do you never hear about my exploits as a great soccer player? Number one, at age 12, I had a collision with another kid, which knocked me out cold for two minutes, and I was never able to play with confidence ever again. Number two, other kids eventually improved and became better than me, and I was only mediocre by the time I got to high school. Number three, this never happened. I was only average at best in all sports I tried. And number four, an error placed the city's second best goalie on the same team as me one year, and the position went to him when I was sick at the beginning of the season. So since Brandon knows that I'm going to begin this, then I'll pause and let him tell you the answer. So one common misperception about me that took place back then somewhat and takes place even more now was that I had and have no athletic ability. But it's actually far from the truth. I was actually better at some sports than others, but overall, I was an average athlete. I don't know so much today compared to other 50-year-olds, but uh, I know that in those days, in elementary school, junior high, and high school, I was overall an average athlete. Better at some sports than others. And And also, not giving nothing away, another big misconception is people didn't realize back in the day, how, just how quick you were on your feet. Right. I, that was part of it. Yes, I was, I, was I, very, right? I was a very fast runner. Correct. I was a very fast runner. Because I was average in most sports, I didn't shine in any sport I played. But there was one exception to that. <laughs> and I discovered it on an accident. And this is all true. This is all true. I'm not, I'm not doing uh, Al Bundy revisionist history here. The 1970s and 1980s AYSO, which is the American Youth Soccer League organization, uh, they, they attempted at the time in the 70s and 80s to put a known goalie on each team. So they would, instead of just assigning the team totally randomly, one thing they would make sure to do is say, who plays goal here of all the kids signed up and try to distribute all those goalies one per team. For whatever reason, my otherwise good team in second grade had no goalie assigned to it. And the coach realized this pretty fast. Like, hey, who plays goal here? And no one raised their hand. Who's ever played goal here? Nobody raised their hand. He said, okay, well, who wants to play goal? And nobody really said they did. And so he just asked around. He goes, well, do you want to play goal? He asked me. I'm like, uh, okay. Now, I had never played goal in my life before. But it turned out I was a natural at seeing the ball and quickly moving to it and blocking or grabbing it. I just was naturally good at seeing where it was going and just moving my body over there and stopping it, which is what you need to do as a goalie. So right away, I was a natural at it. And they put me in the first game, 
no goals were scored. They put me in the second game. Again, I allowed no goals. They put me in the third game. Again, I allowed no goals. Now, we weren't shutting out every team because I was not playing the entire game in goalie. I should have been, but for whatever reason, they would take me out after half a game or uh, for one quarter and put me in the field and put this secondary goalie in who sucked because he didn't have experience either, and but he wasn't good at it, so he gave up goals. And game after game, <laughs> the guy would give up goals, and yet they, they never had me play an entire game in goal, which I never understood. But the entire season, I allowed just one goal, and that was one that was in the top corner of the goal, which is eight feet high, which was, of course, impossible for me to reach as a second grader. So that was physically impossible for me to reach that one ball. Every other ball that was kicked to me, I stopped. Every single one. So I was very proud of this. And uh, my history in AYSO soccer prior to this, in kindergarten, I sucked, uh, even you know, compared to the other kindergartners on the team. I just wasn't good. In first grade, I was the best player on a horrible team, which was actually kind of fun. I liked being the best player on the worst team. But overall, I was you know, average at best. It's just we happened to have a bunch of terrible kids on the team, just the way it fell. But in second grade, the way they do it is, uh, or at least did it then, was that it would be two years together. So the uh, the first division is kindergarten and first grade, next division is second and third grade. So here I had older kids on the team too. So I was very happy that not only was I such a good goalie, but that I'm playing the entire game, never sitting out and considered a very valuable player when I'm like of the younger of the two years in there. So I was very proud of this because I wasn't used to being like any kind of athletic star. I was used to at best being like average. I was very happy about this, that I I'd found my calling in soccer as the goalie. Well, I wondered, could I repeat the next year in third grade? Was I going to be able to be good again, or was this a fluke? The next year in third grade, I played at least half the game in goalie, and the total number of goals I allowed the entire season was... 0.0. So I was especially encouraged now. Two straight years... And I was the best goalie, not just in the league, but the entire city. I mean, I only had one goal in two years. I was convinced at that point I had a lot of talent playing goalie, and I imagined myself going all the way through high school as a top goalie. Who knows past that? Who knows how good, I could, how much I could have taken this, I thought to myself as a third grader. So fourth grade came, and I was very excited about playing soccer again. First week of soccer practice that year... What happened to me, Brandon? What happens to me sometimes involving this show? You ended up getting sick, I believe. Yes. Uh, I don't know if it was wasn't a migraine. I don't know. You ended up getting sick. I don't yeah, I, I don't remember what kind of sick it was. I think I just got a fever. This was the first practice. This wasn't even like I was refusing to play because I was sick. This was the first practice, so they didn't get to meet me yet. So they have their first practice. Everybody gets their positions. And then I come in the second week, you know, when I, at the second week of practice, I'm better at this point. Come back there and uh, tell them I'm ready to play goal. And the coach says, Jeff is our goalie. And I said, Jeff, what? I said, oh, wait. wait. Uh, and they pointed at Jeff. I go, oh, I've heard of him. And so he was the other known really good goalie in the city. I, I'd never met him before. He went to a different school, but I'd heard of him. So I said, wait a minute. How's Jeff on this team? I, I'm a goalie too. Like how they put both the two go- good goalies in the city on the same team. And the coach said, yeah, that's, uh, that's strange, but uh, you know what? Uh, I'll be honest with you. I, I haven't heard of you before. I-, I haven't heard that you were a good goalie. <laughs> I was like, what? I've allowed one goal in the last two years. Like, no, I-, I haven't heard of that. I'm sorry. But but we've heard of Jeff, and he's done a great job. 
And I said, I know Jeff is good, but but yeah, you know, check with the check with the past coaches I've had. You know, check here. You you will hear that this is the truth. Well, who's going to listen to a fourth grader? He just dismissed me and thought I was a delusional kid. And furthermore, he told me even if I'm right that Jeff is a great goalie, that they had him playing goal in practice, that he did a great job. This is where he belongs. But he's sure I can do great at halfback. So he put me in halfback. I, I didn't do great at halfback. I was not a good halfback. So I, I tried to kind of make the best of it. I should have made a big deal about this to my parents, but for whatever reason, I just kind of mentioned it in passing. Oh, I'm not the goalie anymore. And that, you know, they didn't think to press this themselves. If I could go back in time, I would have made, like, made a big deal to my parents and say how devastated I was by this. And then they could have gone and talked to the coach and said, look, you know, you know, maybe at that point I could have even been switched teams or something. So me and Jeff didn't have to compete here because Jeff was very good, but we just shouldn't have been on the same team. So I said very little to my parents. I just accepted the halfback thing. I sucked. I was one of the worst players on the team. Uh, I actually went to a soccer camp the following summer and improved on the field. So I would no longer was as bad at halfback. And actually on the next year's team in fifth grade, I was one of the better players. And I thought, okay, well, you know, fine. You know, maybe, uh, Maybe I can make a go with this halfback. I wasn't one of the great players, but I was I was better than average, and and uh, I contributed a lot to that team. However, it was short lived. Once I got in sixth grade, they passed me in ability. The rest of the players in the field, and I kind of sucked again, and I quit. And that was that. That was the end of my soccer career. So I always wonder what would have happened if Jeff was not placed on this fourth grade team with me. Like how how far could I have taken this as goalie before I would have run into a wall that. You know, other people were better than me, and I couldn't continue. I don't know. Like, I may have played soccer in high school as goalie. Who knows? It was too bad that happened. It's one thing if I just wasn't as good as we got older compared to the other kids, but here, I never got a chance to show it. This one you may not know, number four, is from 1991, so definitely way before you knew me. A lot of you know that I met my current girlfriend, Benjamin's mom, in 91 at college. But we didn't date then. And in fact, we weren't even friends for most of the time I was at that school. Now, I graduated two years before she did. But she, uh, you know, I knew her for two years at the school. But most of that time, we weren't even friends. We only became friends towards the end. But what unexpected event caused us to become friendly, which is what kept us in contact for a little bit after school... And, I don't think I know this one. Yeah, I don't and, know, unless and, you've mentioned it on radio, I don't think I know it. Yeah, you may not. And and what? Uh, and, you know, eventually I found her on Facebook in '09. But what caused us to become friends? Because we weren't throughout most of the time that we knew each other there at school. So here's the four choices. Number one, she and I ended up in the same obscure general education class, and I was letting her copy my notes when she missed lectures due to a conflict with another class. Number two. My good friend at school had a crush on her, and while drunk, he slipped an inappropriate poem under her door. She and another girl called me to act as the middleman and stop his behavior. Number three, by coincidence, when my roommate stole an unlocked bicycle, it was hers. I recognized the bike, tracked her down, and we both went to the police. My roommate was arrested and kicked out of school while she and I became friends. Hmm. And number four... A girl gave me a ride back to L.A. through the ride-sharing board when I didn't have a car there, and it turned out she was this girl's best friend, and when the car broke down, she came to rescue both of us. 
we got to spend time together and got to know each other better. So which of these four do you think it is? Okay, you've definitely never said this, or at least if you did, I, I missed it. Uh, it's not two or three, so it's either going to be the notes with the professor or the rideshare. I'm going to go with the rideshare. So you think that it was the rideshare and that we broke down... It's not two or three. It's not the roommate getting kicked out. We would have known... We would have heard that. Here's my answer to you. Wrong. It was a roommate? The correct answer of these four was not the roommate with a bicycle either. It was number two that you said it couldn't be about the friend with a crush on her. So I'll tell you the story. Okay. No, definitely never heard this. Okay. So in October of 91, she was very new at the school and... I had been there already, but uh, I was online, not online like computer-wise, but actually on a line, on a physical line, to see a movie they were showing on campus. They had a theater that they would show movies that were not quite first run, but like kind of a little behind, a few months behind the ones that first run. So we were online to see this movie, me and my friend. And uh, a girl that I was friends with from the previous year in the dorms saw me on the line and uh, approached me, and the line was really long, and I was kind of like middle front of it, so I had a fairly good position in there, and she had just arrived. She would have had to go way in the back. So she came up to me and said, oh, hi, hi, Tati, you're here, you're here for the movie too? Oh, so can we get in line with you? So she basically wanted to get on, line, on the line with me to guarantee her a spot in the theater, or at least a decent seat. Now, again, this was a friend I had from the previous year. This is not Benjamin's mom I'm talking about. But she was with another girl I'd never seen before, a, a very pretty girl. And she introduced this other girl. And I'm not going to say her name because that's my current girlfriend. But she introduced this new girl she was with as a new student in the school, as a freshman, and that she had met her in her present dorm. And uh, I said, okay, so this girl seemed pretty shy. This girl... Uh, she didn't talk much to me, and I kind of got the impression, which it turned out was not correct, but at the time I got this incorrect impression, that she didn't care for me too much, that she just uh, like took a dislike to me for reasons I couldn't figure out. Now, here's a weird thing. This is a weird thing that I think about sometimes and, and wonder if I somehow had a weird idea of what was going to happen way, way, way into the future. For some reason, it really bothered me that this new friend of hers didn't like me from what I could uh, gather. It seemed very important that this friend liked me, and I usually wasn't like that. I didn't care so much what people thought of me. I I didn't want to impress every girl I met. Uh, I didn't just automatically attach myself to pretty girls I'd meet there. Like I wasn't like that. So usually if I got the impression someone didn't care for me, that actually made me care much less for them and not like them very much. For some reason, it bothered me because like, it was important to me that she would like me. It was weird. It was almost like I was, I was seeing the mom of my future child, and that's why it was bothering me why, uh, that, that she didn't seem to like me. I talked to her later about it, and she told me, honestly, that wasn't her impression, and she doesn't know where I got that. So, but we didn't talk that much. So, um, you know, I saw them around here and there over the next uh, year or so, but that night after uh, they had separated from us and we went into the theater and sat in a different location, 
my friend told me that he was really, really attracted to this new girl we just met. And he asked me what I thought of her. And I said, yeah, I, th- I thought she was very pretty, but I, I don't think she liked me very much. And she's, yeah, I don't know if I like her attitude here. <laughs> like I was, so I was kind of criticizing what I had seen of her personality, but I, I acknowledged that I, was, I found her physically attractive just as he, he did. So he told me that he didn't care and that uh, he really likes her and he wants to try to get to know her. And I'm like, okay, I, I kind of wasn't picturing that she was into him, so I thought this was kind of futile. But he seemed to really have a crush on her. Well, not that much happened with that. You know, sometimes I'd see her around. Sometimes uh, my friend would see her around. Uh, I'm going to call him Brad for the purpose of this story, but that's not his real name. But anyway, a year later in... 92, I think also in October. So it's now a year later, and I've had some on and off interaction with this girl, but I've never been alone with her. We're not friends, just kind of someone I see around campus. Still don't know if she, what she thinks of me. We were invited to the birthday party of this first girl, the one I was friends with from the previous year. So I went there, and Brad came with me. He was invited too. And this friend of hers, was there as well. Well, nothing much of consequence happened there, but Brad got drunk, which he often did, and after he and I parted ways, he scribbled out two perverted poems. This guy liked poetry. He was very into the whole poetry thing. So he scribbled out two perverted poems and slipped one under each girl's door. <laughs> Both the girl I was friends with and this, this other girl here that, that he liked. I don't know why he did it to the first girl. He wasn't even that into her, but I guess for some reason he he did for both. He actually signed both poems. They weren't anonymous. He made it clear it was from him. And the second poem, the one that was to my uh, now present girlfriend, was the dirtier of the two poems. The, the, the one for the first girl was kind of silly and mildly inappropriate. The second one was kind of like fairly dirty and, and very inappropriate. So my phone rang the next day, and it was the two girls on the three-way calling. They wanted me to be the middleman and stop Brad's inappropriate behavior. They, they read the poems to me. They said it was creepy. And uh, they said they want me to stop him. So I said, I agree with you, but I'm not the one who should be getting involved here. This isn't my business. So I'm not his, I said, I'm not his father. I can't control him. I agree this is inappropriate, but I don't see why this is my issue to deal with. So like, come on, he's your friend. Can you stop him? And keep in mind, it's not like I just brought him along to that party he wasn't invited. He was invited too. So he is a separate human being from me. Like there was no reason I had to be the, the heavy here to say, hey, I heard you wrote these inappropriate notes. You need to stop. Like I, I, it just wasn't my responsibility. I didn't want to deal with it. So they kept begging me to say something. I kept saying I didn't want to get involved. Finally, I said, all right, fine, fine, fine. I will talk to him about it. And I will make sure he understands that these poems weren't well received and never to do anything like this ever again. So anyway, we were on the phone about 90 minutes. Uh, maybe the first 15 was talking about the poems and the debate back and forth whether I should do something about it. But the remainder of the conversation was just all of us talking. And this was the first time that I ever got to talk to this new girl and really get to know her. Prior to that, I saw her around campus, but it was always like a very surface thing. Oh, hello, you know, whatever. We, we never had like any kind of real conversation. We had a real conversation there with also my original friend there, this girl on the phone with us too. It wasn't a private conversation. It was a three-way call. But we, we talked for about uh, 
another hour and 15 minutes. And by the end of this call, I thought, oh, wow. I actually really like this girl. I, I misjudged her. I actually like her very much, and she seems very smart, and she, I really like her personality. I said, oh, I wish, I wish I had gotten to know her last year. But now I, I don't really know how to approach this. Well, I happened to see her on the campus Unix system in uh, March of 93, which is only th- three months before I was graduating. The Unix system, when you get an account on there, and that was the way you would access the uh, internet then, which was a text internet. There was no World Wide Web at that point. No web browser. No web at all. But they gave these accounts for free. This is really all the students then's first encounter on the internet. This, this was the first way you'd get on the internet was, was this way. So she was on there too. And I happened to see her listed as someone online in uh, March of 93. So I actually started a conversation on there and we started emailing back and forth and we finally became friends. We actually had you know, talking a lot of talking back and forth and email, but we still hadn't hung out yet. I, I, I was looking kind of for an opening to ask her out or something. And, she, and from what I could tell, she didn't have a boyfriend. She had had other boyfriends that, during that time. But you know, now, now that I was talking to her actively, she didn't have a boyfriend. And uh, I was trying to look for the opening to say, hey, let's get together. I, I just couldn't quite pull the trigger. But an opportunity came up. This is really weird. So Brad was visiting my apartment. However, Brad was not visiting my apartment to see me. Why was he there? He was there to hang out with my roommate. Why not me? Because Brad and I had had a falling out unrelated to any of this. We had a falling out about a completely other matter I won't get into. Nothing that big. It was stupid, but we weren't friends anymore. And we hadn't been friends well, for Well, hold on. Why don't you want to get into it? It, it was dumb. It was just a... Well, was, okay. But I, because I don't out. feel like telling this story now. I'll tell it some other time. But it was a... Well, give us the cliff notes. There, there, there really weren't cliffs. It's, it's, it's something that wouldn't make any sense until I explain the whole thing. So it's not... Uh, All right. So, but it's, it's not an exciting Where's story. Where's Brad today? That's a good question. I, I, I'll get to that at the end. So... Are you guys still estranged? Yes. So... He and I had a falling out, and it was, again, it's not a super exciting story. It wasn't anything major or terrible. We just weren't friends anymore. So we were no longer talking to one another and hadn't been for about maybe five months. And uh, Brad was still coming over to the apartment because he had befriended my roommate when, back from when we were friends. So it was really awkward. He'd come over and visit sometimes, and we just wouldn't, wouldn't talk. We would like ignore each other when he's in the same apartment as me, like visiting the apartment, and I'd act like he was a stranger. And he'd act like I was a stranger. So in uh, June of 93, I mean, this is like a week and a half before I graduated. I see that Brad comes over and I messaged my now girlfriend. And I said, I have a plan. I have a plan for a funny prank. So if you want to know it, uh, let me call you. So she gave me her number. I never even had her number before this. She gave me her number and I called her up. And I talked to her very quietly so Brad couldn't hear. I was in the bedroom with the door closed. And I talked to her very quietly. And I told her that my plan is that I bring her over to the apartment and we pretend that we are a couple. Because Brad had no idea that she and I were communicating at all. He had no idea we were friends because our friendship started after he and I weren't friends. 
So remember, he had this big crush on her. Remember, he wrote this dirty and inappropriate poem to her. So I said, not only will this be a funny prank on uh, this ex-friend of mine, but it'll also be vindication for you for kind of getting him back for this poem that he put under your door that night and made you feel really creeped out. So we'll have you come over and we'll fake like we're a couple and he'll be so jealous. Well, she was very much for this. She said, yes, come get me. Let's do it. So I said, okay, I'm going to come over right now. We, you know, I don't know how long he's going to be here. So we got to catch it before he leaves. So I jumped in my car, sped over to the dorms. I wasn't living in the dorms by that point, but I sped over to the dorms where she still was and picked her up. I remember thinking as I pulled my car up there, this is weird. Like it felt like I was picking her up for a date. And I remember thinking, I wish that was really happening. I wished I was picking her up for a date, but I didn't say anything. I just kind of thought that as I was picking her up and she got in my car and it's the first time we were ever alone together. So I drove her back to the apartment. We rehearsed what we were going to do and say, and we walked in together. I think we were holding hands and then we we sat down and I put my arm around her and uh, we just kind of sat there and we're talking talking to the two of them, my roommate and, uh, and Brad, <laughs> just acting like everything is normal. And we were waiting for Brad to say something like, what? You two are a couple? How did this happen? He didn't say anything. But we could tell this was really eating him up. Like he wanted to say something, but he didn't want to actually say it and, and have us tell the story and, and like get him even more pissed off. So he kind of like, he, he, he bit his tongue, but you could tell he was really, really bothered by this and really, really jealous. Well, we had a second part of the plan, though. The second part wasn't just... The first part was just to demonstrate we were a couple, which we really weren't. She was my fake girlfriend. The second part was to then go to the bedroom and close the door and then imply like we're going in there to have sex. So after some time, I said, hey, uh, you, you want to go in there? And she says, yes. And then we go in there and close the door and I like turned on some music in the background and... Uh, the implication was we were going in there to bang. So what were we really doing in that room? Well, I remember thinking, oh, this is too bad. This is not real. Like, even if we weren't going to have sex, like, I, like I, I really wanted to go in and actually make out with her, but I, I couldn't say anything. I guess I could have, but I, I chose not to say anything. So what I was really just doing is, like, showing her my computer and showing her other things in the room. We were just whatever we could do to occupy the time in there because we couldn't talk other than like in a whisper, because we, didn't, we weren't supposed to be talking in there. So we, we stayed in there for a uh, sufficient amount of time. Then we turned off the music, and we left. We left together. That was supposed to be the end, is just we are going to go off together somewhere. It worked. He bought it. After I left there, I asked, hey, do you, do you really want to go out and get something to eat? And she said, yes. So we actually went out to a place there uh, in the town right next to the campus. And we uh, we ate something and we were kind of like people watching. I remember I was even doing this little routine where I was like, uh, we were, we'd see people at a distance and I would do like a fake conversation between them, like in a humorous way. I, I was trying my best to, to impress her there. And she, she was enjoying it. And she, everything was landing really well. And she was, uh, it, you know, we were having a really nice time together and we, we seemed to have good chemistry. And I was so close to asking her out, like, on a real date. And then I realized something. I was going to be graduating in a week and a half. What was the point? So I didn't. 
And we remained in contact on that Unix system after I uh, graduated. Actually, not on the Unix system. She was on there, but I was emailing her from uh, a different system. You, know, she, you have an email address there, just like today. So I was uh, emailing her, and we emailed for about six months after that, and then it stopped cold. Six months after I graduated, she just vanished. Stopped answering my emails. So I thought, all right, well, it's weird, but maybe she's sick of talking to me. I don't know. I mean, nothing happened. It, I didn't say anything that would have pissed her off. I went back and looked at my last email to see if I said something that would have scared her off, but no. It was very normal. Just no response. So I wondered over the next years, like, number one, why she vanished from the email conversation, and number two, what would have ever happened if we had dated? Because I kind of got the feeling that we were compatible. I kind of got the feeling that this could have worked out long term. But I figured I would never know. And then, who do I see on Facebook within two weeks of me getting on there? Was her. In 2009. And I messaged her and asked if she remembered me. And she says, of course I remember you. And then we talked a whole lot on Facebook. And then one of the days, she ended a message with her phone number. And I called her up. And the first thing she said to me when I called her up in 2009 was, wow, you sound the exact same as you did in 93. Like, you sound identical. I can't believe this. And we talked like two and a half hours that night, and we just talked like every night, and then she came to Vegas to see me, and you all know the rest here. So we had a fake relationship before the real one 16 and a half years later. A lot of people have stories where they reconnected with someone from their past on Facebook, even ones that they didn't previously have a romantic relationship with. I know that's not super uncommon, but how many had a fake relationship prior to the real one? But I did. I actually just told Benjamin this story recently, that, that, that me and his mom actually had a fake relationship in 93 prior to a real one, which led to his birth in 2010. <laughs> He thought that was strange. So life imitated the prank. Now, Brandon asked, where is Brad today? And as a second question you might want to know the answer to, does he have any awareness that me and Benjamin's mom are actually together today and have a kid together? Well, first of all, Brad actually learned that we had pulled the prank on him because I had told someone else and they stupidly told him because this person thought that I had already revealed to Brad that it was a prank. So this person's like, oh, yeah, that, that prank that Todd pulled on you, that was kind of funny. He's like, what? So I was told later that Brad was told about a month afterwards that it was a prank. But I am not currently in contact with Brad, nor do I even know where he is. Believe it or not, Brad actually did email me out of nowhere in like 97 or 98, and we uh, started talking again. We uh, didn't see each other in person because he lived in a different state by that point. But we were emailing back and forth, and it kind of felt like we were friends all over again. And it kind of reminded me of the old days. <laughs> and, then, and then just one day, Brad just flipped out on me and told me he thinks I'm an asshole and all these. It just made no sense, and so he just... That that ended the whole thing again, and I said, you know what? I don't know what's with this guy, but uh, I guess that's that, and I haven't heard from him since. I, I was actually very close friends with him at one point there, so I was sad when that friendship ended. I don't think he's aware of who I'm presently with and who my kid is with. He'd be pretty shocked if he knew. So that's the last one. 
have three more stories for you guys for next week. So hope you enjoy Druffy Time Theater. Brandon, are you still with us? Uh, yes, I'm here. I'm just eating a little uh, snack before bed, but I'm listening. I heard everything you said. Yeah, you, uh, what do we know about Brad today, though? N- not much. That's what I'm saying. Like I've tried to look him up. I, I don't think I was going to contact him. Like I've I've had passing thoughts. Like, and I'll admit partially because I want him to know what ultimately happened. But I've also had passing thoughts to just see you know if he's changed at all. And he was we're a lot older now than even back in ninety seven, ninety eight. So I've had passing thoughts to contact him. But he's un. I I can't reach him. I can't locate him. I I find like very old things about him on the web, but I can't really find anything that's. Uh, anywhere near current and he doesn't have social media so i don't know i well that means he could be dead or he's incarcerated no because i've seen little pieces of evidence that he's alive i mean yeah he could have died in the last few years but i have seen little pieces of evidence that pop up here and there with his name on something that's definitely him of being involved in such and such but he never had social media or anything like that so uh i'm Uh, do we know what he did career wise um, yeah, but I don't want to reveal it out here. So, well, you can give a, a general genre like office works. Well, office he worked in the inter- he worked in the entertainment field. I'll say that. So, okay. I am kind of curious whatever happened to Brad. I don't even know if he ever got married or had kids or anything. As far as I know, he has no clue of anything. I don't even know if he knows I play poker. Like if he Googled me, he would know. But I have to imagine he'd Google me by now because I was a pretty big part of his life in college. And we spent a lot of time together. So I, I have to imagine he'd think back and now, Google me at some point. In your opinion, if Brad was confronted right now, would he be interested in reconciling or at least having a you know pleasant conversation with you? Or do you think he's still bitter over whatever happened that you won't discuss? Well, he apparently wasn't that bitter because he emailed me in like 97 and we talked. And then just out of well, nowhere, I don't remember what pissed him off like in that era, why he stopped emailing me. It was That was even like more weird. But uh, I, I would think possibly, as I said, we were close friends at one point and, and we got along well and we hung out a whole lot. And when we were talking again in like 97 and 98, we up until that final thing, he was uh, we were getting along again very well, at least in our email conversations. So he might want to talk to me again. And then again, who knows? He could just decided that he doesn't like me anymore and still keep that opinion. You never know. I, I would talk to him again, I and especially if he's you know, changed a little bit and not as temperamental. And I also would love to hear his reaction to me being with the girl I am with that he would have never guessed would have been reality. After Not only didn't he expect the fake relationship that he believed at the time, but once he realized it was fake, he especially wouldn't suspect that we then had a real relationship, which resulted in... Uh, us being together for well over a decade and counting and we have a kid that that i think he would never guess so that's it's a kind of a weird story i have behind this relationship i i don't know anybody who's had a fake relationship become a real one do you no no i don't no Very Especially odd. with that many years apart it's not even like we did a fake relationship and then like a month later like hey yeah, let's date like this was separated by so many years too and i sat there wondering like oh what if we really did date what would have happened i used to tell people sometimes occasionally like hey you know there's a few girls i really wonder what would have ever happened and she was one of them 
there actually there were two girls in college that I really wondered what would have happened if I dated them, and she was one. And she was actually the one of the two that I thought had a higher chance of success, because the the second one I didn't know all that well, so I that was harder to tell. But there were two I kind of like really regretted for a long time never pursuing. And and when I say reg- never pursuing, I mean ones that I had a feeling liked me too. And that I just didn't handle right. It didn't pursue it properly. And I felt like if I had, then something could have happened. And it would have been more than just like a, you know, like a one night thing. It would have been like a real relationship. I guess I got to see. I guess I was right. I'll jump to the next topic for Brandon's sake. That wasn't going to be the next topic, but it'll be the next topic here. So Brandon can uh, give his opinion on this because I know he knows one of the people who was involved in this whole mess. And this is about scammer Dan Bekovac, formerly of the Midway Poker Tour, the former owner of the Midway Poker Tour, which was a disaster. This is a really weird thing, and it occurred in uh, Chicago. And when I call him a scammer, I can because uh, that's what it was. It was a scam. There's no question it was a scam. And even Dan has admitted, while he doesn't admit he was trying to scam people, he has admitted fault in a lot of this. But unfortunately, uh, the matter still hasn't been made right, and it has now been a year and a half. This occurred in October of 2020. There was a uh, Midway Poker Tour stop that was in uh, Chicago. And a uh, member of this forum, who's uh, friends with Brandon, has actually been on the show before, was a uh, player there who ended up cashing in it. But uh, a lot of shadiness occurred right away with this whole thing. First of all, they kept pressing people to use their Poker Bros player ID to register. Poker Bros was one of those stupid poker apps that people were using to play when they couldn't during the pandemic, when all the poker rooms were closed for a while. So they were definitely trying to push you onto Poker Bros to register to this, which was kind of weird. So he actually had to like download it and quickly make an account to register. But whatever, it was just kind of a weird hassle than anything terrible. Then he laid down $1,100 cash to enter. And he made day two. And then day two, it was announced that they were not going to pay people in cash like all other tournaments do. No, uh, they were going to pay the winners in gold. <laughs> And by the way, we talked about this back in October 2020, so I'm not going to rehash the entire by story. By the way, uh, silver. No, no, they said gold. It became silver later. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. I misheard you. Yep, yeah. that's correct. So uh, anyway, uh, that was already disturbing for people to find it on day two, thinking they're playing for cash, which they entered for cash. And now they're being told that they are going to be paid in gold. They were told that uh, Illinois charity gaming regulations, because remember, Illinois is not a place which... Uh, there's there's a lot of like charity uh, poker tournaments there in order to kind of dodge the law regarding gambling. So he, it was claimed by this Dan Bekovac, who is uh, the organizer here, that the Illinois charity gaming regulations say they can only pay sixteen hundred in cash. Anything above that will be given out in precious metals, and they claimed that they bought a ton of precious metals from some guy, 
and that he's not there yet, but uh, soon he's going to bring the precious metals uh, over there. And uh, But the problem was that uh, the initial plan was that they were going to immediately sell the precious metals back to the guy to get cash for it, but that supposedly the, the attorney general told them that they can't, that this would be illegal. So who knows if that story was at all true, but that was the claim. And basically, you're going to get 1600 cash and the rest is going to be paid in uh, precious metals and we can't cash it out for you, sorry. So people were not very happy about this. Of course, this was nowhere on the documentation for the tournament. So the guy posting this story said that he busted early and uh, got uh, 2600 was his prize. And by the way, I, this entire story is correct. This is someone who... Uh, 100% is telling the truth. So this person was paid 1600 in cash, and then the rest of the money, the rest of the $1,000, was going to be in precious metals. Now, by the way, they paid him the 1600 in uh, $20 bills as if they withdrew it from the ATM. <laughs> Imagine getting a $1,600 cash and they, they give it to you all in 20s. What the hell? But that was the least of the problems. So he got 28 silver coins, which were one ounce each. And they said, this is worth $1,000. Well, not being an expert in silver, as I assume most people are not, he didn't know if that was true, if these uh, silver coins, number one, were real, and number two, if together are worth a 1000 So there was a guy who was also in line to cash out who knew a little bit more about this, and he said that he figured out that the coins are worth 700 not a 1000 So at this point, the guy's pissed, realizing that not only is he being paid in precious metals, but he's being shorted 30% of the value of these precious metals. So, uh, indeed, he looked up the price and, and figured out, yeah, he, he probably would only be able to sell each of these coins for $25, which would be uh, $700 total. So, not only is it the big hassle of selling these coins, but they're, they're losing uh, $300 here. It got worse. At least this guy got coins given to him. The people who finished deeper in the tournament, who won a lot more, did not get their prize at all. So... Uh, this is what was uh, posted on Poker News about the matter, and this is by Chad Holloway, who was actually there to cover the tournament and was supposed to be kind of covering it in a kind of a promotional way, but ended up being the investigative reporter blowing the lid off this whole thing. It was a props to him for it. But Chad wrote at the time, Day 2 hasn't officially kicked off yet, and if there, there have been developments in the inaugural Midway Poker Tour all 31 players returning to action today are guaranteed a 2300 prize while the eventual winner is slated to receive 55 k However, due to Illinois Charitable Gaming Acts and regulations, organizers can only pay 500 in cash atop the buy-in. And then, so he explains the 1600 thing. So, Chad reported this, but apparently people just didn't get uh, enough of these coins who finished on top of this whole thing. So there were a lot of people who just were completely left out in the cold. So number one, a number of people who did get the coins didn't get the proper value, and others just didn't get their prize at all or all got a, a small percentage of their prize because there just were not enough coins to give out there. And keep in mind, someone getting 55K worth of coins, this would be a lot to carry. These things are... Uh, 
not that light and you have that many coins, you see these coins being worth $25. Can you imagine uh, or they claim they were worth more than 25 30 whatever they claim they were worth. You have, imagine how many you have to have to add up to 55K. So people ended up getting screwed. There was some suspicion at first that the coins were fake, but it turns out they were not. Turns out the coins were real. They just were not worth what they were claimed to be. And again, some people didn't get what they were promised. So the bigger cashers just didn't get enough. And Dan Bekovac, the one who was in charge of this whole tour, he blamed a lot of different external factors for causing this whole thing. But ultimately, he admitted this happened. He admitted that he that this was screwed up. A lot of people got shorted. Here's what he posted on October 4th, 2020. I busted my ass trying to bring live poker back for the players. I spent upwards of 55K of my own money getting this set up. We were informed on Saturday we could not have a gold buyer on property to buy gold prizes. I suggested paying the 1600 cash payout and give a certificate to pick up the gold the next day if the players are out of town. This isn't the option that was chosen. It was decided silver would be purchased by a supplier at $35 per ounce, uh, which is over, which is $11 value more per ounce than it's really worth. It was not my decision. Players are being paid out, just not as much as expected due to overpaying for precious metals. I've spent a lot to bring this event to the players. will not receive one penny back. I lost a lot of money trying to put this together for everyone and had to blow up, especially in our faces. We had last-minute changes that were sprung on us that were completely out of control. I truly wish it could have turned out better, but I did not, but I didn't and will not receive $1 in compensation for everything that was purchased, rent, security, advertising, etc. He's trying to make you feel bad for him. <laughs> so if you think this is what I intended, you're sadly mistaken. By the way, he's capitalizing every word, which is making it very hard to read. I noted that at the time when I read it before. I left this morning to try and seek a better option that didn't pan out. Again, this was nothing I could have done differently. I would like to personally apologize to the players that were affected by the payout differences. I've attached a screenshot of my suggestions to correct the issue, blah, blah, blah. So uh, this got worse and worse. More and more came out that this was really shady, that a lot of people got shorted big time. He had the nerve to post that he made it right for this one guy who had a small cash. And it turned out this one guy was like friends with him. So that's why he made it right for that person. And it turned out that a lot of people were left being owed a bunch of money from this whole thing. So it's never been totally clear what actually happened. But what did become clear was that Dan Bekovac was not ever going to make it right. He continued playing poker. He continued gambling. But he would not acknowledge this anywhere. And if anyone ever approached him about it at events, he would cuss them out and tell them to fuck off. In fact, uh, he even did that to Chad Holloway when he saw him at an event and went off on him because he was mad about Dan exposing this whole thing. Someone else posted on 2 Plus 2 about Dan Bekovac, about all these different allegations regarding him, that he has eight kids and one on the way with three different women, so soon to be nine, uh, and that he had screwed over the mother of these kids and that he's a con artist and all these other allegations. Uh, I have to admit they're probably credible. (laughs) I don't know for sure, but knowing the way this guy handled everything, not very good. A few weeks later, Holloway posted an update to the whole thing that 
there were still a number of players who were unpaid or partially unpaid, and that uh, there was uh, 50185 of missing value. And of that money, 16000 of which was missing from the uh, 55K top prize, and that it looked like these people were never going to be made right. A grid was posted of the value that everybody still owed, and the people at the bottom were owed a few hundred. The one at the very top was short 16K. Most of this was because they were given coins that weren't worth what they said they were. So that seemed to be that. These people had to basically write it off. I mean, it went for another uh, year and a half, and even though Bekovac was not, uh, even though he was sometimes seen winning money, he would never contact the players or pay anybody. I mean, you think even if he couldn't afford to pay this money he owed, it was only 50k or so, and he could have paid it in payments over time. But he did nothing. He did absolutely nothing. Someone had messaged Dan Bekovac in January of 2021 on Facebook and said, where's that 50K? Must be out in Iowa trying to win the money to pay people back what they're owned. Fucking scum. And he just responded back, I'm sorry, are you some relevant person I'm supposed to give two shits about? So like, he's not sorry about this at all. It's just basically a big F you, big middle finger. And then he told Chad Holloway in March of 2021 to go fuck off and got a warning when they were both in the same tournament. So I have to say that I never expected anyone to get any money out of this guy. Well, there's some hope again. Dan Bekovac won about 200K in the largest poker tournament in Iowa history with 1,094 people in a $1,100 event. This was at uh, Riverside Casino in Iowa. And there's a picture of him. It's a picture of him sitting right there with his big trophy. The cards he won with, which is 4-5 suited. All these cheap-looking chips in front of him. So he won the biggest tournament in Iowa history, which probably isn't saying much, but he won like 200K. So Dan Vekovac is now vowing that he is going to pay people back. That this is what he was waiting for. Now he has the money. And now people are going to be paid. Do I believe this? I am very suspicious of this claim, but that's what he's saying, and I I guess we're going to have to see. But he is saying right now that he's going to make people whole. This article was from Poker News by John Sofen. should be by Chad Holloway, but uh, it's by John Sofen. Maybe it's assumed Holloway can't be neutral on this since being told to fuck off, but maybe just Sofen got the assignment to write this, but... Dan Bekovac is swearing that he's going to pay out their full winnings. Actually, I guess it's sixty-two thousand, not fifty k that's owed. Oh, it is fifty k. It was a. Um, it was originally sixty-two k. He paid back twelve k, so it's fifty k left. He won one hundred ninety-three k at this tournament, and he said. I've promised to make everyone whole, and even though it's been taking some time, I'm finally positioned to do so. It's not just because I won, although winning did help expedite this. You can confirm with Chad Holloway, I reached out to him last year to set this up. I think all you can confirm with Chad Holloway is he was told to fuck off. <laughs> so we'll see. It shouldn't take long, right? I mean, he was just given 193 k Can't he just cut a check immediately? 
But I'm going to make this offer. I don't know Dan Bekovac. I've never talked to Dan Bekovac. I've reported on this, but I've never had any direct interaction. Never met him to my knowledge, unless maybe we were at the same table sometime and I didn't realize it. But I've had no interaction with the guy. But I will tell you this, Dan Bekovac. If you send me the money, I will put out the effort to distribute this to all of the people who were not made whole. I will do this for nothing. I require no commission. I will pay out every penny. And you can ask around. You can trust me. I'm not going to run off with the money. I've been around for 20 years, never ripped anybody off, and I will not start now. So you can send me this 50K, and I will distribute it according to this list that was posted on Poker News that I assume is still correct. If it's not, you can tell me what the numbers are, and I'll distribute it. So if it's a problem with distribution, you don't want to deal with these people, you don't want them cussing you out, whatever it is, I'm giving you this offer. Send it to me and I will distribute it. And I've done this before. I've done this for people before in poker who didn't want to deal with each other because of animosity. And I, I'm like, okay, look, you can send it to me and I'll be the middleman here if you don't want to deal with this person. And people have actually done that before. Multiple times. Because I, I just want to see people get paid. When someone gets ripped off, as a bunch of people here did, I want to see the ones ripped off getting made whole. And that's why I did it for these people on ACR recently. I've done it in other situations. I just want to see these things settled. And if he's really going to pay, great. Now, that does not make him to a great guy. This shouldn't have never happened in the first place. And the fact that it took a year and a half to act on it and a 193K score to act on it, that's crappy. But it's better than never doing it. So if he's really going to do it, great. That doesn't exonerate him from the whole thing. That doesn't exonerate him from criticism. But at least it gives a happy ending to the story. And at least it shows that ultimately he did the right thing. So hopefully Dan Bekovec will ultimately do the right thing. And I am volunteering. And I'm not joking here, Dan. You text me 775-372-8355. I am volunteering to distribute the money if you think it's going to be too much trouble for you to do in any way completely serious with this offer and I will distribute it very quickly as soon as people contact me. Anybody who knows Dan Bekovac, you can let him know I made this offer. Completely serious and I'm not going to make one penny from the whole thing. I'm not asking for one penny from the whole thing. Brandon, is your friend aware of this uh, development? Yeah, apparently he was quoted. I didn't read it, but apparently either he was quoted or mentioned in the Poker News article. I didn't see that for some reason. Okay. Well, I'm glad he's aware. Hopefully he gets his money. Everybody there on that list deserves to get their money. It's outrageous. I mean, it's bad enough to get paid in precious metals for the full value, but to be shorted and not even be told you were shorted. And they're like, oh, yeah, we had to pay a premium. Sorry about that. Yeah, it's the only way to get this so fast. And the whole thing was so shady. And my whole... friend had heard has heard nothing since since all this happened. Yeah, of course. Uh, no one ever reached out. Yeah, I know. I'm just, yeah. No one ever reached <laughs> out to him. Nothing. No, so I, I think with, like, do I believe this is going to get paid? I think he said this probably because he felt he had to or everyone's going to get on this case. And then so either he really is planning to do it or was at the moment and since have thought better of it, like, hey, well, I've got this money in my pocket. Why should I pay it out? Or it's possible that he never intended to and just, you know, he wanted people to go away. Who knows? It could be any of these things. He could really want to pay it. I well, don't know. the other thing is, if he thinks he's going to be in the poker world long term, 
and wants, you know, to be a viable, you know what I'm saying, then he'll, he'll, he'll do it. Meaning if he wants a career and, you know, he wants the possibility of just blowing up, being, being respected, making something of himself poker wise, then he'll do it. If he doesn't do it, then, you know, that there's your answer. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, and it also could be maybe he's thinking he's going to go to the World Series and doesn't want to get hassled there because now he's got 193k to play well, with, and so so yeah. What maybe. I mean, if he plans to stick around, then he probably, you know, but you know who knows? Uh, you know, he. I think what did you mention? I remember reading this back then, but I don't. I don't remember it now. He has either kids and he's divorced, or kids that, that he's not taking care of. Well, yeah, that someone said be, he had nine kids so, <laughs> from three right, different yeah, women. That's what it was. So he could be in arrears and child support. I oh, mean, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. There may be tons of other people that, you know, with bigger priorities that have their hands out for their money. I mean, yeah. You never know. I'm sure there are. Usually, usually this is not an isolated circumstance. Usually when something like this happens, it's someone who owes money in tons of different places and good luck getting it. So I don't know. Now, as you said, maybe he would bump these up to the top priority list to be able to play poker in peace, especially at the World Series, but who knows? Like He could even worry that maybe uh, someone influential could get him banned from the World Series. These could be thoughts in his head, but he's been very brash and unapologetic for this whole thing. Like, like When this happened, it was more like, woe is me, I made no money, I'm going to take a loss on this, what's, what's your problem here? I tried to do what I could to get you guys paid anything, what's your problem here? He took a terrible attitude. So... We will see what happens going forward. I would have to say the smart money is on him paying nothing because it doesn't take that long. You don't have to wait a long time to get this process started. You would think if he's serious, he'd say, okay, I'm going to pay it. So I'm contacting everyone today or you contact them for me and have them come to me and I'll pay them. Like, what's that delay here? Why can't you just pay? So we'll see. Well, does I mean, logistically, doesn't he have to still track everyone down and no, but he hasn't started the process. Like he hasn't tweeted if if I owe you money here, I've got it now. So so message me. Well, Why when doesn't did this he ma- happen? When did he actually win the tournament? It wasn't that long ago. It was uh, about a week ago. Oh, that's long enough. I, I yeah. thought it was like a day or two ago. No, no. That's, yeah, you're right. That yeah, does make sense. That, that's what's weird. That's why I asked if your friend uh, had known about this because I was wondering if he'd been contacted. Oh, yeah. He sent me a message with the Poker News article this morning. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah. so he hasn't been contacted either. Yeah. It's not a no, good sign. No. No. It's not a good right. sign. Right. <laughs> I thought it was more recent, like 24, 48 hours. It has been a week and there's not even. I mean, did you look on his social media? Do you know that factually? Uh, no. But I, yeah, if your friend hasn't heard anything, that's a bad sign. Well, I, yeah. I don't know if my friend's following him on Twitter. Go, go ahead and why don't you just do a while we're talking here? Why don't you do a quick uh, little Google search and just or for, you know for his Twitter? No, let me look at his Twitter just to make sure. You yeah, know. and actually, I'd be curious what his last tweet was about. Yeah, if there's any mention of him winning or just because you're right, it. if he hasn't even brought it up and confronted it, you know, in a week after winning, if that's how long it's been, then no, he's never going to pay anyone. Yeah, I can't even find his Twitter. I have a feeling he got off Twitter. Okay. All right. Fair enough. But yeah, there's a good chance he's never going to pay. All right. So moving on, there is quite a large award given in court for a pretty disturbing situation where uh, this is a, it happened at a Vegas area casino, though not in the city of Las Vegas. Someone was served cleaning solution instead of beer 
and had a lot of internal injuries as a result of drinking this cleaning solution, and they were awarded a very big settlement for this whole thing. $100 billion. No, but it was more than... $1 million. It's actually $8 million, the settlement. So it's a pretty big settlement. But what happened here? What was the story? Well, this occurred at a small casino and bar that was actually owned by Station Casinos. But it's not a station's property, to my knowledge. It's called Barley's Casino and Brewery in Henderson. On- well, no, it's like a pub. I mean, it's owned by the company. I've been- no, I said, I said it's owned by the company. Oh, okay. It's but it's not. They don't have table games. It's right. More like a like a tavern. That's yeah. what I was saying. It's not like it's not like Barley Station. It's a it's Barley's Casino and Brewing Company in Henderson, which is owned by Stations. But right. I, what I mean is it's kind of misleading because people hear that and they're thinking, oh, you know, a casino. It's more like a slot house with restaurants, and you know what I mean. It's not. It's more like a bar than it is a casino. Yes. That. Yeah. Yeah. They just call it a casino because, as you said, there's machines in there. So. Yes. Exactly. A man named Lon Enright, who was uh, at the time 35 years old, drank cleaning fluid that he believed was beer. This was on December 18th, 2018. He thought he was actually drinking honey blonde ale at the time. I don't know how you don't spit this out the second you taste it. That, that's the confusing part. Like it, any drink given to me, if it was cleaning solution, the second I would taste it, I would spit it out and not even swallow it. But somehow, uh, I don't know how much he drank of this. The This chemical that was given to him, this was actually used to clean the beer taps and beverage supply lines. You may wonder how would someone end up a cleaning solution? Like, what the? Hey, give me a beer, okay? And then the guy pulls up a bottle of Windex and dumps it in there. It wasn't like that. It was that it was cleaning solution used to clean the beer taps and beverage supply lines, and somehow this was confused for being beer. It must have been still in the uh, in the lines there, and they uh, uh, they gave him the beer, which wasn't really beer. And he drank it and suffered nerve and tissue damage after drinking this. The law firm that represented Lon Enright, who was a uh, special education teacher in Clark County, Nevada, said, although Barley's staff knew the lines were out of service or cleaning, the bartender offered Dr. Enright the samples. Uh, so it's actually owned by Town Center Amusements, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of Station Casinos. Town Center Amusement would not admit responsibility for the injuries until four days before the trial, according to attorneys. Finally, four days before trial, the only thing left was determining the amount of damages for the jury to decide. So it's interesting that the defendant denied responsibility almost the whole way for well over three years and then finally said you know what we think we're fucked here okay yeah fine it's our fault how, how much how much we got to pay so i i guess by admitting responsibility they were hoping to not pay as much well you know you know station casino's motto don't you 
and all their advertising campaigns. In fact, they just even renewed it now since the pandemic, and we see it on TV uh, all the time. What is it? Station casinos, we love locals. I'm not joking. No, I I know that is, yeah. I know know that's the motto, yeah. And so now what they do is their their campaign that they have going now is it's a series of them. But like I said, uh, TV commercial, it shows a guy that is doing his job at a station casino and it shows, you know, that he's been there for 20 years. And they show him interacting throughout his day and everyone's smiling and the customers are hugging him like, you know, like. What casino do you ever go to where, like, the, you know what I mean? You see an employee and they all start hugging like they're at a reunion. <laughs> but you know, but you know what I'm saying? That yeah. kind of thing. And it's just, it's, you know, it's actually funny because uh, station casinos over the last 20 years has battled with the union um, for the, their, their culinary union, and there's been a lot of instances. Uh, in fact, right now they're in a they're in a dispute. They're you know, I guess my point I'm making is it's probably one of the unfriendliest casinos to work for um, with all their shenanigans. And yet that's how they, you know, and again, for those that don't know, Stations is, is a casino very similar to Boyd. Uh, in fact, you know, they're basically rivals and they from day one have only gone after the local market. They're very they're by far the biggest station casinos is by far the biggest uh, locals corporation in vegas not even close and like i said boyd is second but they've never even attempted to have a strip casino um they've never you know attempted to go after the tourist dollar the closest thing they've i guess you could say they've done was red rock and that's only because it's such a nice property in a nice area right off the highway that they do get some convention business and some tourists there but again that red rock is close to 20 miles west of the strip so anyhow go on yeah, so the $8 million judgment was $3 million for past damages, which was physical and mental pain, suffering, emotional distress, anxiety, anguish, disability, trauma, and loss of enjoyment of life, and $5 million for future damages. The statement from the law firm representing Enright said, as a result of defendant's negligence, Dr. Enright has and will continue to suffer and seek treatment for lifelong internal damage, a lifelong burning sensation in his tongue, loss of taste, ulcers in the esophagus, and permanent damage to bodily tissue. And this verdict was filed in Clark County District Court on March 18th. In case you're wondering what the chemicals were in the solution, it was a potassium hydroxide and nonalphenyl polyethylene glycol ether and potassium hydroxide is actually a powerful alkaline meant to liquefy organic material. So that's not something you want going into your body. Wow. Liquefying organic material. Surprised he didn't turn into liquid. Did did it say and I'm forgive me, I'm trying to finish my snack without, you know, eating, chewing on a radio. Did you mention what any long-term consequences, side effects, permanent damage, that sort of thing? No, that's what they just said. Uh, physical, mental pain, suffering, emotional distress, anxiety, anguish, disability, trauma, and loss of enjoyment of life, and that he has uh, uh, internal damage, a lifelong burning sensation in his tongue, loss of taste, ulcers in the esophagus, and permanent damage to bodily tissue. So what it sounds like to me, you know, they, they always exaggerate these things in lawsuits. So 
what this sounds like to me is that it probably caused some uh, permanent burning and damage that will never get better in his uh, esophagus and on his tongue that probably did affect his taste somewhat and might cause some burning when swallowing or eating or whatever. Actually, they say it was in his tongue he's getting the burning. So how severe is this? I don't know. Like, is it an annoyance? Like, he sometimes feels burning on his tongue, or is it like it's ex- very, very excruciating to eat, or somewhere in between there? I don't know. There probably is something he's going to be dealing with for the rest of his life that is, at the very least, uncomfortable here. Uh, so, I don't think this is debilitating where he's like a vegetable, or he's just going to be you know, confined to almost no quality of life. It doesn't look like that. It just looks like it's going to be something that's going to be bothersome for the rest of his life. And that it will never get better. I mean, he's lucky he didn't get any liver damage from that. Yeah, I'm surprised, too. They would have totally mentioned that, too, if he got uh, liver damage. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, g- given that this uh, potassium hydroxide is meant to liquefy organic material, if he drank enough of this honey blonde ale, actually cleaning solution, if he drank enough of it, then he could have turned to liquid and they could have served him to the next patron. <laughs> Fortunately, that didn't happen. I think he would have gotten a better settlement then if that's what occurred. In fact, the next patron would have too. That would have been a story if the next patron drank the previous patron. That would have been a first. There was a similar story I heard about. I forgot where it took place, but something else happened where someone drank cleaning solution that was supposed to be an alcoholic beverage. And there was question whether or not it was intentional because I think they had argued with the bartender beforehand. I don't think it was in Las Vegas, but I read about this, I don't know, like a year or two ago, and it wasn't this. So when I saw this, I was like, wait, is it that same story? But it wasn't. I didn't bother to Google it. But this has occurred in other places, believe it or not. And I, I know in the other one, it wasn't as much as a clear explanation for what happened, where this looks like it wasn't malicious at all, just somehow there was cleaning solution left over from when they were cleaning these beer taps, and it took out of service, and somehow the bartender didn't realize it was out of service, and said, hey, would you like a honey blonde ale? Oh, yeah, I like honey blonde ale. And then he was actually serving a cleaning solution. Oops. I'm wondering if they... We're trying to make the case here on the defense that there is contributory negligence here on the part of the plaintiff that once he tasted that it wasn't correct, that he shouldn't have swallowed it. Because there is a concept in law that even if the initial damage was caused by somebody else, that if you continue to make poor decisions which compound the problem, that those are actually your fault and you can't collect further damages from it. In fact, this concept was demonstrated by our own Colonel Nigel Fabersham. You may remember a prank call Colonel Fabersham made to the ARIA. In fact, the ARIA may still have a free room waiting for Colonel Fabersham. Where When they first opened, they had this weird parking situation where there were all these spots that looked like spots but weren't. So you'd be driving around and see an open spot there and just as you're pulling up, you see all the, the lines through it. So Colonel Fabersham called up with a story that he was exasperated about this and that he'd be driving around looking for a spot, looking for a spot. He said, oh, there's a spot. Oh, bollocks. Uh, there's another spot. Oh, bollocks. And, and then... I'm sorry. And then they... Uh, and then Colonel's story was that 
he finally found a spot, but he was so frustrated and tilted by this that he went to the Aria poker room, which is why he was coming in the first place, and dusted off $10,000 because he was in such a tilted mood. And they actually offered him compensation of a free two nights there and said they're putting it in the system for Nigel Fabersham, which obviously uh, I'm not going to be able to redeem. <laughs> no one will be able to redeem, but uh, this is when the Aria first opened. So what's interesting is this actually illustrates that concept that in reality, Colonel Fabersham would not have that sort of legal claim because he didn't have to go play poker when he was in a terrible mood, even if you want to say their parking situation was their fault, which that also doesn't make them legally liable right. if the parking is, is frustrating. I, but yeah, I remember I went there I don't know, opening week, the next day, whatever it was. And that was I remember thinking at the time, this is the most fucked up parking lot I've ever seen. Like, you know, d- describing what you're mentioning, where it looks like your spaces and there's spaces next to a space but it's not a space i, I still don't understand <laughs> yeah now that's why that's I what i thought I, I this was based on my own experience except i didn't go into yeah. the poker room and chunk off money but i i really drove around in my first visit to aria super frustrated to find a spot that was a real spot and i'm like why would they do it like this so like i got to make a radio bit out of this so anyway linking it back to this there may have been and i don't know this is just my guess but there may have been the claim by the defendants this bar that he shouldn't have kept drinking that he, he obviously should have noticed the taste wasn't right and that some of this was his fault. So that may have been why they weren't admitting responsibility. Oh, that's a terrible counter argument. Give me a break. But what else could they say, though? They, they definitely no, served I know, a cleaning I solution. I, I get it, but that's just absurd. No, I'm not saying I agree with it, but I'm just saying that. No, no, I know you don't. But I mean, really, for them to, vic- to blame the victim, I mean, give me a break. That's well, that's you know, in these lawsuits – you have to find some defense if you're not going to admit wrongdoing. And sometimes you have to reach to find one if you're afraid you're going to be out for a lot of money and you don't want or you're afraid they're going to hit you for too much. If you know, if you say, okay, well, yeah, we fucked up here, but we're afraid if we admit this, he's going to hit us for way too much than he deserves. Yeah, no, I so, get it. I so get it. so we've got to put up though. some defense and, you know, the whole legal process works. So, so they will come up with anything they can or their lawyers will help them come up with anything they can. And uh, it's very possible that they – You know, it, it's funny. I, I know the story, you know, I've read about it. I just wonder sometimes how much or if, if there's really any kind of collusion between the newspapers, you know, which, by the way, our main newspaper, for those who don't know, it's owned by the family of, of well, now the wife of Sheldon Adelson. But the newspapers immediately, if there's somehow just in, in collusion with certain casinos, because a story like this, you would think that it would be a dominating story. It was reported on when it happened. It was reported on when the lawsuit was filed, and it was reported on when it was settled. I mean, there were like three different stories over the years. It wasn't covered in depth at all. It was almost like it was swept under the rug to a certain degree. I mean, they couldn't completely sweep it under the rug because, you know, a lot of this is public record, the lawsuit. and But it, it, some things are just covered, and you're like, why are they giving this so much attention? And then there are other things – you know what I'm saying? Whereas, like, you would think yes. this would be a big story. Yeah, it's like, very possible. It, it, it just yeah, it's very possible that the it, it, it's very in, odd. In order to maintain a good relationship with the casinos, which are so influential and powerful in Vegas, that they 
don't. And they're also the biggest ad ad buyer, right? You know, for for so I mean, I don't, I don't know. You know, I'm not, no, it's possible. It's possible that it's, they don't aggressively cover. Well, you these. would think something like this, right, would be aggressively covered, and I can tell you, you know, as someone who reads a lot, it wasn't. Yeah, it just wasn't. Yeah, they might just be trying to cover the absolute minimum, so they can't be accused of completely covering it up, but uh, also not wanting this out there very often, and then hoping stations says, "Yeah, hey, you know what? That's that was pretty cool. Okay, well, uh, yeah, we're gonna keep we're gonna keep advertising. We're gonna keep giving you scoops. Yeah, you know, there, there's there's a lot of this stuff that goes on in in uh, news. Unfortunately, I'm like, not it's saying very, this happened. Strange. Like like another example was. There were several, you know, when that, when that, and I don't even understand this. It doesn't make sense. When that cop robbed the Rio, the first three days, the the newspaper, the Review Journal here, and two TV stations, uh, in print and on television, would not identify the casino, but they'd give the address. They'd say a casino in yes, the, I the noticed that thirty one hundred dollar thirty one hundred block of West Flamingo, and then of course you know you Google it, and it t- but for three days. They didn't. They wouldn't say the word Rio. They wouldn't say Rio, and I, it started driving me crazy. I'm thinking, why aren't they saying it? Why are they? Why do they keep saying? At one point, Channel Eight here in Vegas, they were standing in front of the Rio, right off Flamingo, and they still said a casino in the three thousand block of West Flamingo, <laughs> which I, I don't. I mean, there's got to be more to it. There's some reason behind them not doing that. I'm sure there is. Yeah, that's very that's weird. I thought that too. I was like, why are they saying it's the thirty one hundred? I thought the same thing when I read it. It's it's a yeah. So there's something. I, I like I said, likely collusion to some degree. It just doesn't make sense otherwise. But that was just especially weird because you could just type in casino thirty one hundred or three thousand block flamingo. It's the only one that's going to come up, you know. Or you know, I mean, I don't know. It's it's insane. Now, what do you think? What would be the reason of of for three days them not identifying the Rio, but yet it's easily identifiable? I don't even know. You would think this yeah. would be something that they would just say because it's newsworthy and it's a public place. So it's not publicly owned, but it's a public place. Anyone can walk in. So I don't know why they would not identify it. It's it's not like yeah. they're protecting an individual's identity. Like right, right. It's not like a woman that's been sexually assaulted. I mean, I don't, I don't get it. It just or it also would make sense, like if if something occurred at someone's house and they say this had occurred at a, on the whatever block of the street. Uh, there was a uh, domestic incident. I can understand that because they don't have to give the sure. exact address. But sure. but the Rio is a different story. That's a public business. Right. Really, really weird. Yeah. There's a lot of weird things I see happening in Vegas yeah. still, to be honest. Yeah. All right. So Texas Cardhouse. I'm sorry. One last thing. Uh, you mentioned the guy. What was the guy's name again? The patron with the drinking the cleaner? It was a doctor? Well, sort of. This Lon Enright. No, uh, he's he's a special education teacher, but then he was later called Doctor Enright, so he probably has a doctorate in education. Really, I wonder the Enright. I wonder if related to Barbara Enright. I think it's spelled differently. It's with a W. E N W R I G H T. Also, the guy's he's thirty eight, so he's a lot younger than her. Of course, it could be related, but it it wouldn't be here with a different last name spelling. No, no. Okay, well. Thank God he's all right. He got eight million. You said, yeah. So the lawyers will probably get. I'm um, likely they took all this on a contingency. So the lawyers get what? There probably three and a half to four. Probably about half of it. No, maybe. usually it's around th- uh, a third. So okay, so lawyers get. And you know, I don't. I've, I've never been in a lawsuit like that. Uh, in a lawsuit like that, does he have to pay taxes on any of the eight million? I don't believe so. 
Okay. So he'll get, uh, you know, we'll say four and a half, maybe five million when all said and done. Yeah. I still wouldn't want that kind of money. I mean, if he really has those lingering, you know, burning tongue and other, you know, come on. You know, well, see, that five million isn't enough. Well, it it depends on a few things: how bad it is, and what his financial situation was before that. So, let's just say hypothetically, someone has five million to their name, and this this makes them worth ten million. That it's totally not worth it because their their lifestyle is going to be essentially the same, and and they're doing just fine with five million to their name. So, the, the to have something that's stuck with you for life that's very uncomfortable, you'd never do for another five million. Someone who's close to broke who does never has that much money and this is the only way they're going to have uh, a lot of money to their name uh, maybe it could be worth it if it is not something that is so bothersome to where they are unhappy living day to day and that's uh like uh like no toe yeah yeah i, I think i well what are, you, what are you arguing that having no toe is something you can't live day to day like would you give up would you give up your Right now, you know, we're not going to get into your specific financial situation. Would you give up one of your toes for five and and hold on, and you don't have to go through the pain of like losing it. So like basically you wake up and you don't have a toe anymore. Okay? Like your toe is gone and you're five million dollars richer. You know what I'd have to research before answering this? If would this give me pain walking or things like that? Or if I if I couldn't do anything Okay, but if you had to make a decision right now and you didn't have time to research it, okay, you're literally on. The oh, no, I, I'd, I'd say I'd say no because there's too much potential. This could have issues and walking and stuff that would be very bothersome. Okay, if they if you researched it and you said ninety percent of people that have had toes amputated or whatever can walk with zero to minimal pain. Uh, I, I think probably ninety percent wouldn't be good enough. Just to saddle yourself with with that okay, for for life. Is this crappy? No, it's. I agree. I agree. And now, so if, they said, would, if they said if they said one hundred percent, if they if if it's just cosmetic and it's just going to look weird, then I might consider taking off one toe if I can. Uh, if everything okay, else will be how fine. Much, how much for minimal pain? And you have no toe. Like you know, what's your number? Like hundred million, fifty million, two hundred million. What would you do that you're going to face minimal pain for the rest of your life? Like you know, not like excruciating, you know, but just you know, like you some days it you know sore some days it, it hurts some days you're totally fine what would be your number for me i'd consider it starting at maybe 25 30 million yeah I'd probably around there yeah, I, I agree i consider probably- it not saying i take it i you know i guess my take number would probably be 50 million no taxes and i would snap accept it i don't think it again being assured minimal to you know no pain well, like you, some days you know you're what? a little, you know. I, I listen. We're we're getting older. We're going to face pain for free soon. Well, okay, you know, we already I, do. I had I had this thought, not about pain so much, but I it had just this goes to thought. Show what kind of person you are. I had this Go thought on. three and a half years ago, not about my toe, not about accepting money to be disfigured, but of an actual bad problem I was facing, where I was living day to day with extremely extremely high level anxiety and depression and also with something called anhedonia where i could not feel any kind of happiness or pleasure in any way and i've described this many times before and it was a very very lousy existence and even though i could speak to people and seem normal and i even got on radio to explain it and i went back and listened i seemed totally normal you would never know what was going on other than i was saying it was going on but you other than that i sounded the same 
but I didn't feel the same. And I couldn't, like, I thought, oh my God, I'm going to be going through life like this for the remainder of my days. And this wasn't something that I said, okay, well, you know, let me wait out a week and see what happens. Maybe it'll go back. Once enough time passed and it didn't go back, and in fact, it was getting worse, I started to really grapple with the possibility that it's never going to get better. And I'll be stuck like this. So then I started to think, not that this offer existed, but I started to think, if I could pay a certain amount of money to make this go away and never come back, how much would I pay? And I actually determined at one point, when I couldn't stand it anymore, that I would actually pay basically most of my money if I could get rid of this. If I could snap, if I could get that deal and 100% it would be guaranteed. And God himself could come down and say, yes, it'll never come back if you pay this money. That I would do it. And I say most because I, I'm not going to leave myself flat broke. Because that would bring on a whole different set of problems. But that I would really give up most of my money, I said back then, in trade for having that removed. Because it was that miserable and I thought it was stuck. Now, had I been able to see the future that it would get significantly better and that I'd find a way to solve a large portion of it, then I would not have taken that deal. But at the time, it looked like it wasn't going anywhere and nothing was working. So I actually thought of that. I actually thought about that I would give all that up to just go back to feeling normal. So I've, I've dealt with those thoughts before. I'm sure others who are living in a way that is unpleasant or very unpleasant or even worse than that, have thought about that the only thing that's important is to have good health again, whether it's good physical health or good mental health. And for some, it's never going to come. Now, you brought up a good point that as you get older, problems are going to come anyway. And there's also the second thing that you have less time anyway. So like, uh, let's say with an extreme example, let's say that you were terminally ill and in fact, so far along that you were thought you're going to die in the next week. If someone offered you uh, money to have your toe taken off, you'd snap accept that. And then you expect whoever inherits your money is going to get that and be worth it to you. You're not going to live very long with that if you only have a week left. And if you already have a lot of problems, you're much worse. Uh, if you are 18 years old, then it's a much bigger deal to take anything that's going to cause physical issues. So the older you are, the less of a big deal it is that you're going to be suffering some kind of pain or discomfort, both in the time you have to do it and in the severity it's going to be, uh, how much it's going to impact your life compared to everybody else your age. Similarly, uh, prison sentences are, for, for people who are very young, well, in one way, it's worse. One way, it's better. For people who are very young, it's worse in that a very long sentence. They're going to be serving out you know, many years of it because they've got a lot longer to live. Whereas somebody who's 70 and gets a very long sentence, they probably aren't going to serve that long. At the same time, if you're 70 years old and you get a 20-year sentence, you know you're probably fucked with ever getting out of there. It's a life sentence for you, probably. Where someone who's 20, it's not. 
So if I've, I've seen it before where someone gets like a 20-year sentence and they're 65, and I go, wow, that's uh, – I wonder if they're ever going to see the outside of that prison. they got to know that. Speaking of prison sentences, and this just blows my mind, uh, do you know who is getting at it? Do you know what, what, what notorious person who we've discussed back in the day on PFA in detail? There's a big thread about him who's getting out of prison. Uh, after serving six years out of a seven-year sentence, and <clears throat> excuse me, later this year. Hmm. No, I don't think I do. The gentleman's name—I'll tell you his nickname and what the press dubbed him, and then you'll know. Pharma bro. Oh, okay, Martin Screlly. All right. Can you believe that it's been six years already? Seems like he just went to prison. He's getting out in—I think it was October or November of this year, hmm. which is amazing. Uh, which, by the way, there's a really interesting documentary on him that I just saw. If you know, you're know you interested or were interested in that case it's on Hulu, funny enough, it's called Pharma Bro. Oh, it's maybe an hour and 30 minutes, hour and 40 minutes, not too long, but uh, definitely interesting. Uh, I followed the case a lot. And in fact, funny enough, there is a uh, docu-series or actually a mini-series, whatever you want to call it, that took – the world recently by storm it was the number one rated streaming show for you know a couple of weeks it was called inventing anna did you happen to see that no do you know anything about that no i don't wow that's amazing so okay i won't get into all this all these tangents but uh there's this girl named anna delvey do you know that name actually no okay well she was a girl that was of Russian descent that claimed that she was a German heiress. And she ended up coming to the United States and basically scamming uh, people and also hotels in New York City out of a ton of money. And when you say scamming hotels, meaning she literally somehow conned her way into being able to stay at some of the most prestigious hotels in New York City and never paid them. Uh, with the premise that she was an heiress and there would be money wired, but money never came. And then she'd get kicked out and then go to the next hotel. So anyhow, there was a uh, docu- or miniseries, I should say, that literally it was the highest rated, in terms of views, uh, streaming show ever. I mean, it's been all over, you know, even more so than Tiger King, you know, back in the day. Um, well, so anyhow, I, I can't believe this is bigger than Tiger King. I, I heard about Tiger King from the very beginning when it became a thing and then it was really all over the place and i i well, may have heard inventing listen, anna in passing the, but but I, I haven't i haven't heard anything like tiger king you couldn't miss tiger king this is all over the place you've just somehow missed it um i would bet you our listeners right now eight out of ten have watched it and probably nine out of ten know the story i mean it, it's it's you know it's all over social media or it's dying down a little bit now because it, it you know came out about a month and a half two months ago and But during that two-month, three-month peak, I mean, it was just everywhere. You know, newspapers, you know, TV shows, anyhow. Um, I suggest if you have uh, Netflix, that that was a site I was on, I I would definitely give it a watch. Very interesting. Again, it's called Inventing Anna. But anyhow, funny enough, uh, at maybe the halfway point of Inventing Anna, there's a scene or an episode where she's at a dinner party and hangs out with Martin Scarelli. And, you know, they later, I guess, did fact-checking, and and that actually happened. You know, they were out together. Even more interesting, for a while, when she got kicked out of one of the hotels between scams, uh, she needed a place to crash. 
and she crashed at the house of a then not known to the world. Uh, I, God, I know his name. It's a guy that's now in prison for the fire festival. What was his name? Billy McFarland. She lived with Billy McFarland for like eight months. <laughs> two scammers. That's, yeah, that's funny. The two known. scammers yeah. were together there. Yeah. Yeah, and they showed that in the show, and you know they did their fact checking, and I guess they interviewed Billy, even he confirmed he knew her. And but anyhow, I would suggest for both you and your uh, misses, if you haven't seen it, definitely put it on. It's entertaining. It's an entertaining watch, um, and even more so, everyone that is in the know says obviously certain events are dramatized just to you know increase the the viewers you know enjoyment, but the premise is pretty accurate. Meaning when you watch it and when you're done, you'll at least know that, you know, most of this really happened in the fashion it was described as, uh, inventing Anna, you know, again, watch it. I saw it. Uh, you're lucky because I saw it over, I don't know, five or six weeks. You know, they were just dropping. I think they dropped the first four and then every, every week, one more episode. Now it's all done. So you could just watch it in a couple days. Oh, okay. I think there's eight episodes, 10 episodes, but no, it's, but really shocking you don't know this because it was just everywhere. It was literally like Tiger King. I, maybe I heard more, maybe a little less, but like the same a, degree. Yeah, like I heard a little bit in passing, but I, not much. Like Tiger King, I couldn't miss. All right, so let's, let's move on and talk about Texas Card House. Well, hold on. Do me a favor. So I can do maybe one more topic, and I'm going to go real fast. Uh, tell me again the topics that are left. Obviously, Texas Card House. What else? Uh, we have a uh, what would Druff do regarding a casino reneging on a promised dinner comp? We have right. talk, talking about uh, Isle Casino and Blackhawk becoming horseshoe, and a couple being charged with cheating in Pittsburgh at roulette. Um. Okay, let's do the Texas. As you said, maybe we'll do the roulette, and then I will go. I'll okay. try to do two. Okay, go on. So Texas Card House. If you remember, we've talked about it recently on this uh, show not super recently but we've we've talked about it and we've been revisiting it every so often they got a notice in January that their license to operate is being revoked and it wasn't from anything they did specifically it's different than the one we were talking about that was in a small town east of Houston this is something where Texas Cardhouse Basically, they, they were doing everything they said they would, and there, there weren't going to be any criminal charges, but that the city of Dallas just didn't want them there anymore. The city of Dallas gave them a notice that their certificate of occupancy, which is basically like a business license, was being revoked. And the reason was, quote, keeping a gambling place. Texas Cardhouse, which has been around for a while, said that this isn't fair, that they've known since they started what they were. They were very clear about it and that they can't just pull the rug right out from under them here. That they've done everything they said they would do. Texas Card House got its license in October 2020. So this was more than a year later. They got this revoked and it was revoked despite the city initially being okay with them being there. So this was not a hard shutdown. This was a notice that there was going to be a shutdown coming very soon, but that Texas Cardhouse did have a right to appeal this shutdown, and uh, they would be able to remain in operation until the appeal 
was finished. And if the appeal was denied, then they'd have to shut down. If the appeal, but I think they could even uh, take it further at that point. I'm not sure of the whole process, but at the very least, they get to have an appeal and keep operating. Texas Car House also has other locations in Texas, so they assured everybody that it's not going to be pulling a Johnny Chan and just disappearing and having no money to pay anybody, that they were going to keep operating their other locations that were not affected by this and that anybody could cash out whenever they want and that this would never be a problem and that even these chips are good at the other locations, but they wouldn't even have to do that. Basically, we're going to keep going on, so don't worry, your chips are good, which I believed when they said So there wasn't an immediate shutdown coming, but it could have been coming soon, and it could have had bad implications not only for the Dallas area card rooms, but also for all the other card rooms around Texas, which are not operating as actual card rooms. They are all operating as social clubs where poker happens to take place, and we've discussed that many times. So I thought this was going to be a very long, drawn-out legal battle, and we may not find out about this for a year or more. Well, no. Matter has been decided. Dream Crusher, a regular poster on 2 Plus 2, I don't know exactly who he is, but he posted this, and it was checked, and it was determined to be accurate, by the way. The city of Dallas's Board of Adjustment just unanimously voted 5 to nothing to reinstate their certificate of occupancy. And Dream Crusher was watching this meeting, and he said the city attorney came out pretty strong, while the Texas Cardhouse attorney came out pretty weak. However, the Board of Adjustment in Dallas shredded the Dallas city attorney, and then the Texas Cardhouse attorney finished strong, rebutting the previous points. So it all looked like the... Texas Cardhouse attorney uh, wasn't doing too well at the beginning, in Dream Crusher's opinion. But then once the board wasn't buying what the city was selling, then the Texas Cardhouse attorney was revitalized and came out uh, strong and refuted the points pretty well. Basically, it came down to the fact, according to Dream Crusher, that the city didn't do its due diligence when... Texas Cardhouse first opened and didn't have a valid reason to pull the certificate of occupancy. So basically they were saying, it's your fault, city of Dallas, for giving this certificate to them to operate in this way and not checking into it further of impacts of this to where you may not like this business here. It's too late. You already granted it. You said you're cool with it. Just because you didn't look into it carefully enough is your fault. So tough luck. The city also didn't even have the support of the DA, the state attorney general, or the police department, nor were there any arrests or prosecutions or legal precedents that would give the board reason to side with the city on the revocation of the certificate of occupancy. This is, again, according to Dream Crusher, who watched the whole thing. And the board said that they cannot give a legal opinion on whether the Texas courthouse should be able to operate this way, but that there wasn't anything to convince them that this should be revoked, that basically the city issued them the certificate to operate like this, and they have done what was expected of them, and that's that, and the rest of it is moot. That was what came out of this. So that's it. Matter over. 
and they can keep operating. So this was an attempt to shut them down by revoking their business license. And this board of adjustment said, nope, not going to revoke that license. It's coming back. So that's it. Now, maybe in the future they can try a different tactic to get it shut down, but this one's not going to work. The revocation of the license is not going to work. And they can't appeal the appeal, so the whole thing's done. Is this good news for the rest of Texas? Not really. Because this is just one tactic that's being used by one particular city. So this just shows the revocation of the license in Dallas isn't going to work to shut down these rooms. But that's not going to help rooms elsewhere in the state. It doesn't really set a precedent either way. It sets a precedent in Dallas that you can't shut them down this way, but that's about it. So it doesn't have far-ranging implications. But on the other side, the fact that they didn't get shut down could be good for Texas poker because it won't inspire other cities who try to do the same thing as much. When something is tried and fails, it's a lot less inspiring to copycats than if something tries and works. So that's it. I feel this just needs to end. They just need to make a decision one way or the other for Texas poker. Either, yes, it's legal and we're going to license and regulate it like they do in so many other states, or no, we don't want it. This is all gone. It's got to go one of two ways. That's how I've always felt. These these middle grounds never work out well, and then you get dumb things like the Johnny Chan's 88 Social, which mismanage and maybe steal the money, and players are left holding the bag. And you also get like that guy who got kicked out of the final table. Right, that too. That's a good yeah. point. The guy we, we featured on here who got booted because he called the place a rat hole and pointed out that they were taking a rake that they shouldn't have been taking, and they booted him and said, your membership's been revoked while he's at the final table. Yeah, another good example. There's got to be regulations for these rooms to operate. There really have to be. Otherwise, uh, the rights of players get run over, and that's not good. Let's uh, move on to the roulette situation in Pittsburgh. This wasn't a sophisticated scam, but uh, and it wasn't for a lot of money, but somehow it was working. So a couple, a male-female couple, Sean Benward, who's 33, and Danielle DeRohan, who's 42. Danielle, by the way, is spelled D-E-N-I-E-L-L-E. Not Daniel, but it's Danielle. By the way, I knew a Daniel at one time, too. I've known, most are Daniel, but this is the first Daniel I've seen. I've seen it, and I've known a Daniel. Danielle is uh, nine years older than Sean Bedward, who's 33, but they're a couple. I saw pictures of them. Sean Benward is black, and Danielle DeRohan is white and looks kind of busted, to be honest. They have been charged with theft by deception, conspiracy, and five counts of perpetrating fraudulent schemes while gaming. This scheme took place at Rivers Casino in Pittsburgh, and it is not to be confused with Riverside Casino in Iowa, where Dan Bekovac just won almost $200,000, which he probably won't be using to pay back the people he ripped off. Which isn't related to the one in Laughlin, which is Don Laughlin's Riverside. Yes, not Danielle Laughlin, just Don Laughlin. Now, neither of these two were residents of Pennsylvania. They actually were from Mississippi. I'm not sure why they chose to do this all the way in Pittsburgh. 
that's what they did. What they were doing was pretty simple, but it worked out for about two days. What would happen would be Danielle would show up at the table first. She would play normally. Then a short time later, her boyfriend, Sean, would show up and he would create a distraction for the dealer. And then I believe she would somehow slip a chip onto the winning number that had already landed, which the dealer didn't notice because he was distracted with all the conversation. It was something along those lines. One would create a distraction, the other would pass post, and they supposedly didn't know each other. They would pretend like they were two strangers who showed up separately. They won more than $10,000 through three different times they pulled the scheme off, winning around 3500 each does- time. Does it show what they were past posting on? Meaning, at which I doubt, because that draws the most attention straight up on numbers, on corner. Like, what were they? No, it, it doesn't show that. But uh, this happened on February 18th and 19th. Also, on February 18th and 19th, their attempts failed. But what I don't understand is why they weren't, like, arrested for this, or, like, why didn't something happen when their attempts failed? They they failed well, twice. Well, that probably means the dealer said no, you know, no more bets or you know, cut them off. Which, yeah, maybe you know what that's what it was because it happened once on the 18th and once on the 19th. They also were successful three times for thirty five hundred dollars. It probably was on a number. That's what I'm guessing. And then, especially because it was thirty five hundred, so my guess is they were probably dropping a hundred on each number, on the number that that won. So they pulled off thirty five hundred each time. Oh, that well, obviously, if that's the number they're quoting, then that's yeah. So they put a hundred dollars. Putting black chips on. Yeah. yeah. So they put a hundred each time, probably on each number. It doesn't say that, but that makes sense. And that got away with it three times. Twice were told they couldn't do it, probably, and it wasn't uh, resulting in any kind of arrest. Uh, no offense, but I'm kind of surprised that this is even news. Meaning, you know, for the amount, this kind of stuff happens all the time in casinos every day. In a casino in the United States, multiple times this occurs. It's strange that this has actually made some sort of news. I think maybe because they did it three times and got away with it and twice got caught within two days. And they, Is that really n- newsworthy, though? I don't know. They noticed on, on security that every time they were together and every time the woman was at the table when this Ben Word guy would show up and that the same thing happened... And that I mean, it's a relatively low amount. Okay, I mean, and then they arrived in the same vehicle, but then Benward would drop off his girlfriend at the front entrance before going to the parking garage, and then when they left, they would do the reverse. And the police say this is because they were trying to not draw attention to their activities. It doesn't want to. They didn't want it to be seen that they were walking in or walking out together. They're supposed to be separate, so. That was a further evidence of this scheme, though they don't really need much more if they have it on surveillance, what they were pulling, but uh, just that this, that how premeditated this was. So yeah, it's not for a large amount of money, and I know this has been done a lot of times on roulette with the past posting when the ball's hit and the dealer's distracted, but that just happened in February. Thought I'd mention that. You want to do one uh, one more topic here? Sure, yeah. Okay. okay. Was, the, both of those were fast. I didn't think they'd be relatively that fast. Yeah, well, that's the way it goes sometimes. Some things are slow, yeah, some okay. things are fast here. Uh, you took the wind out of my sail. You said, this isn't even a story. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. Well, no, I'm, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. I just meant I thought there'd be more, like some complicated scheme. No. It, it's just that, I mean, I read about stuff like that. I've seen it. It just that happens all the time, every day. No, I've multiple thought, times, I thought about multiple that. Multiple cities. It's just, 
you know, no, sorry, I'm not. Just, no, no, no. You know. I, I thought that when I read it too. Like I, I know I've read about this sort of thing before, and I, I'm I sure this is. I kept waiting for you to drop the bomb, and there's no bomb. You know, no, just... no, there wasn't a huge bomb. Okay, so here's something. I, I want your comment on this too. This is what would Druff do? This is from a forum member who also listens to the show, who goes by Bedwetter Better. That's spelled B E T. W-E-T-T-E-R-B-E-T-T-O-R. So he both wets his bed and bets. Never heard of him. He, he more posts in the, the uh, scam scandals uh, section. But anyway, this was in the casino in Las Vegas section of Poker Fraud Alert. And he also is a radio listener. So this is what he posted. I frequent a casino on the East Coast, and I play high limit on the weekends in order to avoid the large crowds and drunks that stumble onto the table games. Prior to this most recent visit, I've always received a dinner comp of some amount and always thanked them. I've seen other people whine and complain about only getting $100, but you have to be grateful for anything they give because they have a set limit and can't exceed that. I have to say, I don't know what he's playing, but a $100 dinner comp by himself, uh, I think that's fine. I don't know why people would complain. He doesn't complain. He's just saying some people complain. So I asked for enough to get dinner at the steakhouse and was told after 30 minutes of additional play, quote, you have $30. I said, can I have the comp voucher to take with me? To which they replied, it's on your card. Now, let me stop you right here, Brandon. I'm going to stop right here. I'm going to stop myself right here and ask you. At that point, would you feel confident that you have a $30 comp or would you ask for more details? Well, I can tell you that when I, sorry, this is kind of a detailed answer. When I first started gaming and when I first moved here, is for most comps were done with paper back in the old days, and that, which is strange from to say that because that's such a thing of a bygone era. But comps were done paper wise, and then I don't know, two thousand three, two thousand four, five, it became a big issue out here of people counterfeiting comps and just taking the same comp and duplicating it with, you know, color paper and, you know, technology and then so on and so forth. So no, everything obviously is added to the, your card. I don't even know of one casino anymore that adds that the, remember even the Bellagio back in the day, they'd give you a paper cop. If you play poker uh, for, you know, a couple hours, it wasn't even a policy. It was so LOL. Like if you tipped $5, you'd get, you know, a couple of these, they used to give you a $15. Paper oh, that was up until very recently. Paper. Yeah. That's been going on for a while. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, sure? I did. It, I did it pretty recently. Yeah. They still have those paper comps there. I'm not now sure I if they was on a card. I don't think too. anymore. But I like as recently as like uh, 2019 for sure. Okay. So anyhow, point being, um, I mean, I geez, hundreds of comps I've gotten over the last 15, 17 years, and I've never had it not be there. Well, I shouldn't say that. The only time it hasn't been there when was when there was some sort of error, like meaning it was added to the wrong restaurant or there was some kind of error. But it's never been something that was promised to me that was reneged. It's never happened. So to answer your question again, if a host or casino marketing, whoever it may be, tells me it's there, I would just say thank you. And I'd walk to the restaurant with total confidence that, you know, among you know, when it was time to pay and leave, it would be fine. You know, everything would be there the way it was described to settle. I would okay. never well, it wouldn't even be an afterthought. I will tell you the rest of what happened here, and then I'll tell you what I would have done. 
So he said he interpreted that. And LOL, at- by the way, Sharif is calling me now. I swear to God. I'm not answering. I'm not going to do this tonight, but he's calling me right now. That's funny. At three in the morning. I know. All right, go on. Second Sharif. Everyone believes that so Sharif. Wait, so wait, you're saying, yeah, the second Sharif. Wait, so you're saying you wouldn't be confident in getting that comp and just going? You'd ask more questions? Yes, but I'll get into that after the story is done. So he says, which I interpreted as the comp is on my player's card. Again, nothing new, as they've almost always put the comp on there as discretionary credit, which goes along with what you said, Brandon. However, on one occasion, they didn't put it on by the time I finished eating, and it took an additional 20 minutes to resolve the matter. This time, they didn't put it on at all. And when I went to pay the cashier, the, 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 the cashier said, there's no comp on here. Do you want to use your reward points? At this casino, you can exchange reward points for free play, and they accumulate at an abysmal rate. So I said, no, I'll call the host. After no answer, I walked back over to the high limit room and said, can you please add the comp so I can pay for my dinner? And he said, it's on your card, to which I retorted, actually it isn't, that's why I'm here. And he said, oh yeah, it is, just check your rewards balance. I just stared and shook my head proclaiming, yeah, great, wish you would have told me that instead of pretending like it was a comp. I promptly went back to the steakhouse, paid using my reward points, effectively wiping them out, and haven't returned since. It's not the amount or even the money. It's a simple matter of them hiding the fact that they didn't want to comp me dinner and acting like it was no big deal that I used my earned rewards. Then they used the language to cover themselves rather than admitting they did nothing to help me. I'm sure Dreff would agree that this is a shady practice, and I did report this to a supervisor who responded with the usual tripe of, sorry for the inconvenience, we're understaffed and our comp allowance is restricted. But seriously, they should have offered a free dinner to compensate. Thoughts on whether I should press the matter or not, or is it not worth it? So here's my answer. First of all, this happens all the time at Caesars Properties, unfortunately. This happened to me many years ago, and I wised up since then, which is why I have a different answer than you, Brandon. Uh, There's this problem here, and I know, Brandon, you're very familiar with this too. A problem with rewards credits or RCs, being considered, quote, comps. And, of course, other casinos have the same system. It's not specific to Caesars. That there's some sort of program where you're earning points that can be used to spend on property. And are these a comp? Well, technically, yes, but this is not what the player considers a comp. They consider this earned points that they bank and that they can use at their own discretion. So nobody's comping them here. You're basically comping yourself, and and you, it, it's a very hard and fast uh, value. You can't ask for more RCs. You can't ask for less RCs. Whatever you've earned, you've earned. So you, you see what you've earned. You see your balances. You can use it at any time of your choosing in any way of your choosing on property, provided they're accepted, which they usually are. So that's the way these points work. And when... The points get used, you're not saying, oh, you know, thank you for comping me, host. Oh, thanks for giving me a comp. You see this as just something you've earned from play. Comps are a different story. Comps, most people consider to be things that are discretionary, where the host gives you a comp where you say, hey, I've been playing here a while. Can you give me a comp for dinner, comp hotel room? And they comp something that is not from anything you have earned. That you, you may have earned the right to get this comp because you've been playing, but you haven't earned a specific value that you can just redeem yourself, that the host has a discretion to give you a certain amount or a certain thing on property for free. That's what most people consider a comp. Now, what, now hold on. To be fair, there is one exception to what you're saying, and I only bring it up because it's a big exception because it's 
the biggest casino or or second i don't know i lose track either the biggest or the second they go back and forth and that's mgm and the reason why there's a difference with mgm is about 10 years ago they installed a system to combat this and eliminate the confusion and what that system is is the way they give you comps uh for the average player or even like the decent player we're not talking you know five thousand thousand two thousand dollar hand type player is that they give you what are called express comps and it says in their program and any host will tell you this the whole point of that is that you are able to comp yourself as you see fit without interacting with the host um and that what that means is you know you just go to anywhere on the property and that could be a gift shop a restaurant, a show, or even something that is off property that they're putting on, uh, or even rooms when you leave, and use your comps as you see fit. Different experiences. You know, in other words, you can go to the gift shop and buy whatever. You can go to one of their outlets that they own and buy clothes or a bathing suit and take home. And they make it clear that you have to go through your express comps before you can even see a host well i was going to get to i was going to get to that because caesars has had that policy for years and for a while some markets weren't enforcing it but now uh, i believe all of them are but yeah it's that same system but let me say yeah let me say i'm sorry one other thing so when you asked me uh, prior if i feel confident or if i say anything else when i get asked for a comp and i'm told it's on the card i don't but the one thing i do is and I, i say this to everyone everyone should do this if you do have points on your card um, that can be used for, you know, to purchase your meals or whatever it may be. I will always, always say to the host, whoever I'm speaking with, I'll say, hi, I don't want to use my points that I've earned. I'm saving them for, and then I give some bullshit thing. Oh, right, right. That's what I was going to say. It's a family's birthday in three weeks and we're going here. And I name like the most expensive restaurant or something like that. Can I please have a comp? Well, yeah, and that's and, what I was going to say, and and that's why I was going with with the two different types of comps. That there's the points, whether it's RCs or express comps, right. whatever it is. And unless and unless I'm overcomped, which you know I normally know going in, there's a fifty fifty chance, or maybe even you know a ten percent chance. I I don't have a problem. Basically, what I'm saying is, if I know deep down I have these comps coming to me, whether it's by a loss or just you know a big play, you know big average bet, big you know long duration of gaming then they normally 99 out of 100 times aren't argumentative. They ignore the points and then will just give it to me on top of it. But again, I'm very clear that I want to save my points for something. And I go about like mentioning some fake thing in the future as a direct reason why I don't want to use them. Well, yeah, and, and that, that's what I was going to say. So so the when I was giving a little speech here to everybody about how there's two different kinds of comps, there's actually a third kind, which is offers, where you actually get an offer from the casino, which is different from both of those, both in the discretionary comps and the RCs. But we won't even get into that because that doesn't apply here. But when you are getting comped, and I see this happen all the time to people who are unsuspecting, where they earn a bunch of RCs or whatever the points are where they are playing, and then they go to the host and say, hey, can I have a comp? And the host says, oh, yeah, sure. You know, you have $400. Uh, oh, great. $400 for dinner. Sweet. And they go to dinner and they have a nice, lavish $400 meal. And then $400 are missing from their points. And they say, what happened? Who took my points? Oh, no, 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 no. We didn't take your points. You spent your points at this restaurant. No, no, no. The host said I had a $400 comp. 
No, no, no. The four, hosted you had four hundred dollars in comps that you can use, and uh, and in some really nasty cases, the host qu- says he'll quote take care of it, and all he does is just take out your RCs, and then you find out the bad news later. So, especially at the beginning when Caesars came out with this policy and people weren't aware of it, they were just finding their RCs disappearing this way, and they and they usually didn't have any recourse. So, as Brandon said, you have to make it very clear when they are giving you a comp, unless it's a paper comp. If they're writing you out an old-style paper comp, which doesn't happen as much anymore, but if they write one out, you can be pretty certain this is not going to come from your RCs or your points and whatever program you're part of. But if you're told it's on your card, you need to make 100% certain. Wait, you're not talking about the points I earned, are you? This is a separate thing you're giving me right now, right? And make sure they say yes. And you can even, if you're still concerned, maybe they're bullshitting you, you can even ask the outlet you're going to if they see such a comp on there separate from your points, rather than find out the bad news when it's time to pay, like this guy did. So I got hit a little bit. And when I say a little bit, I really mean a little bit here. Uh, sort of in a way. So nobody promised me anything. But many years ago, I think I was staying at Paris or something, and I I went and got a quick, cheap thing at a a restaurant or fast food outlet there, something which was $14. And when I checked out, I was told, oh, uh, good news, that uh, $14 you were talking about selling on your card... Uh, the host took care of it for you. I said, oh, great. Well, the host didn't take care of it. The host just charged it off my RCs. But I was actually told the host took care of it for you. And that just bothered me. I mean, I was fine. I would have spent my RCs on it anyway. I, I Like, I forgot the moment I could pay for, for RCs. I was actually going to put it on my credit card stupidly. And then they said the host took care of it. And then I was like, oh, sweet. And then I saw <laughs> then I saw they took it out of my RCs. And like, it just was so offensive to hear that the host took care of it. But we've seen, I've seen people on my Vegas Casino Talk site complain about hundreds of dollars disappearing this way. So you always need to make sure if it's not a paper comp, which it rarely is this, these days, that it is a comp separate from your points. Uh, and Brandon's suggestion that you should preface it with an excuse of, oh, I'm saving this points for such and such, and of course come up with it beforehand. Uh, that's that's a good idea before just trusting it. Now, what were you going to say? Uh, so what I was going to say is two things. The first thing being uh, the gentleman that wrote you that email or letter has every right to be upset. Uh, totally shady, uh, unprofessional what they did. Uh, assuming it just wasn't either some sort of misunderstanding between the player and the customer, or, you know, uh, there's no, I mean, there's just no excuse to mislead someone like that, knowing they're going to eventually find out or thinking they're so uneducated, they won't notice it. Uh, what I would have done in my, you know, if I was in the exact same situation was I would have gone a step higher. You know, I would have gone, well, so the first thing actually is it just, you know, we don't know how much this guy plays, you know, if he's a real good customer, someone that they value, then he definitely should have escalated it. And I'm pretty certain he would be compensated. They, you know, I don't know if they would have returned the points, but they'd give him another comp. Somebody higher up would just want to keep his business, assuming he's a decent player. If he was a nobody, you know, a flea or whatever, then 
you know, they're just going to apologize, like you said, and cite some sort of excuse. But n- nonetheless, it's totally uh, just irresponsible, unprofessional, unethical what they did. You have every right to feel that way. I would have felt that way as well. Um, but it, again, it just depends how far you want to take it, you know. And then, of course, you no, know, you don't want to risk, you know, really just going off on someone and then just, you know, getting banned or, you know, you know what I'm saying. You have to, it's a risk reward how much you care about the property and, you know, how good of a player you are. But yeah, it would, it would hurt, you know, any player's feelings. That's just a shitty thing to do. And then the second thing, it's not really directly correlated to this, but, you know, this is likely going to shock a lot of people when they hear this. When you get, and I only thought of this because you mentioned offers, a lot of people don't know. When you get free room offers, okay, whether you know you live in the city or outside of it or any kind of offers at all, people are just thinking, oh, you know, they get it. It's a free offer. You know, it, it's, but in essence, all of those free offers aren't quite as free as you think. And do you know, do you know where I'm going with this, Drumpf? I think so, because they keep track of everything you redeem. Everything has a value. Yes, and it goes exactly. to something called MDV, yep. which is called Marketing Daily Value. Yep, exactly. So my point being, you get something that maybe you don't even really care that much about, but you're like, okay, well, I'm going to redeem it. And I'm not talking about like the gifts, like, you know, earn 25 points or, you know, get this or even come in for free and get a bottle of wine. No. But what I'm saying is, you know, the the free play and you know, definitely meals, you know, $50 dining coupon, $100 dining coupon, you know, two free nights, three free nights, up to four free nights. All those things come off as you know come off your available comp dollars so meaning say you have a thousand dollars like say you've played enough that if you just walked in you know well okay we'll even drop that we'll say five hundred dollars say you've played enough you haven't been real greedy that you know or a host has told you prior that you have five hundred dollars whenever you want it and you're thinking oh i'll take my you know girlfriend here i'll take the whole family here and then you start redeeming, oh, if, you know, a free night here or a free, you know, gift card or whatever it may be. Those are all coming off your comps. Um, I had this is one of the most shadiest and I hate to bring up station casinos again, but I had a friend who got chairman. Uh, this was Larry, actually. It doesn't matter. But, you know, we talked about my friend Larry uh, got chairman at station casinos. And one of the biggest perks for him with that card was that he got a free pack of cigarettes every 24 hours from any station casino all you have to do is show him so literally he would go there and he would almost every day get his pack of cigarettes for a while and you know mainly this was at red rock but sometimes he'd go to other properties and it reset at midnight sometimes he'd come in at 11 45 get his pack of cigarettes wait till after midnight and do the same thing again you know cigarettes are what i don't know six seven dollars i guess uh so Anyhow, after doing this for quite a while, he had a losing session and he went to a host and asked a host for a comp. I'm sure you all know where this is going. The host said, listen, Larry, you know, you, you lost. I'm sorry, but, I, you know, it was either I can't give you what you want or you're totally overcomped. And I was like, what do you mean? I haven't asked for anything. And the answer was you're overcomped because of your cigarettes. You're comped in cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> And, and Larry was like, I don't understand. Like, what do you mean? It's a f- So even though it's listed, it literally was listed on their brochure. Now, this is 2015. So this is seven years ago. I don't. I assume they still are giving out the cigarettes, but maybe, they, maybe they're not. But it was, even though it was listed on their brochure as a benefit, as a perk for chairman, it still came off your comps. And it doesn't say that. There's no asterisk telling you that. So the point I'm making is if – 
you're patronizing a property in which you, you know, have accrued, you know, something that you enough comps for something that you want. Uh, I'd be careful and don't utilize offers that don't mean much to you or, or even more importantly, offers that don't have much value because whether you realize it or not, they're going to still affect your bottom line. And that's just the way it is. And that's kind of, again, I don't know. I'm sure, Druff, you have a name for this kind of shadiness where it should be up front and it's never up front. You know, but they'll tell you it when you know when you ask, wait, why can't I get this? And they're going to say because you you redeemed this here, you stayed here. You know, uh, what, what's the ploy for that? I, I don't really have a name for that, but no. I do. I want to tell a, a separate little story uh, related to all this. Wait, and, do you agree with everything I said? Yeah, I know. I agree with everything you said there. Yes, for sure. Yeah, all right. and go on. The uh, one added attitude I see sometimes that hosts and other casino employees will take that I really hate is when they see your RCs or other banked points as completely expendable and you can totally waste them without worrying about it. And, and it's not like they're saying, look, that's the policy here. You've got to spend them down to zero before I can help you. I understand if that's the policy, that's the policy. And if there's no way around it, there's no way around it. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where they are really annoyed with you if you don't want to spend your points in ways that are bad value. So I'll give you a perfect example. This is from many years ago at the uh, great gift wrap-up for Caesars, which I used to go to when I was earning enough points to be able to redeem things. So you'd go to the great gift wrap-up and you've you've, you've earned these separate points called great gift wrap-up points and you'd go down to one of these dates they'd have the event, which would usually be in late November, early December. And then you would spend your points. These were not RCs. These are totally separate points that you can do nothing else with. And you could spend it in various ways, on free play, on gifts. Usually free play was the way to go because it's the best value. But I did find occasionally some gifts that were surprisingly good value, actually better than the free play. So there was one year that I found a gift that was fairly expensive, like 500-something. That was definitely good value. I sat there on my iPhone like looking up values of things. And I wanted to buy it, but I was a tiny bit short in points because I'd already spent some. So I was a tiny bit short in points I needed. I was like, I think that maybe the item was uh, $530 and I had 515 left. So I can't just go buy more gift wrap-up points, I thought. So I, I asked an employee there, is there anything I can do about this? And they said, yes, there's a host desk over there. You can go over there and they can make up the difference for you. I said, oh, perfect. Thank you. So where is it? So they pointed me to where it was. It was in a really strange location, almost like they were hiding out. It was almost like a like behind a false wall. It was very strange. So I went back there, sat down. The host is sitting there in his suit and everything. And you know, very friendly at first. I, expect, I explained to him what I needed and explained to him just what I told you. And the guy takes a look and says, yeah, um, yeah, I can convert your RCs to pay for the difference there. I go, whoa, 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 whoa. That's, that's not what they told me. They, they didn't say they're going to convert my RCs. They told me you're going to just be able to give me something to make up the difference. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. We don't do that here. But I, can, I can convert your RCs to it. I go, okay, you know what? Fine. All right, fine. I'm, I'm $15 short. Convert my $15 in RCs to it. That's fine. I'll just accept that. And he said, oh, what, $15 short? No, 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 no. Um, if you need you need fifteen dollars worth, uh, it's going to cost you uh, five thousand RCs. <laughs> I, I said what? He said yeah, that's uh, that's the rate we're doing here. I said but that doesn't make any sense. Each uh, 
RC is worth a penny. So that would mean 5,000 RCs is $50, not 15. Oh, no, I understand, he said. But that's what I'm offering you. I said, that doesn't make any sense. Wait, I, I missed that. What was what was the actual dollar value? that? It, I, I was 15 wait. short, and he wanted to oh, spend $50 that. worth yeah. of RC. $50, oh, 50. Okay. To, to get me $15 there. So I said, that doesn't make any sense. I, what, this is the worst ratio I've ever seen. You can spend RCs here. This is worse than getting free play for it. Uh, I mean, how can it be... Uh, how could he be charging me $50 in RCs for $15 in points? And he says, that's what we have set up here. And that, that's that's what I'm offering you. So I said, all right, you know, uh, I, I'm not going to do this. It, does, it doesn't make any sense to me. But there's no other solution because I really want to get this thing. And I'm $15 short. And you're telling me this is the only way to get these remaining great, great gift wrap-up points? And he said, yes, that's what I'm telling you. But... I'm noticing here you have $2,200 worth of RCs. Why does this bother you? You're going to have so many left after this. You're still going to have $2,150 left of RCs. So why don't you do it? You want this item, so why don't you just do it? I don't understand. Why, why don't you just do it? And I said, but it's terrible value. I can spend these RCs in another way that I'm going to get full value for them. Why would I get like a third value here? It doesn't make any sense. And he says, look, you have so many RCs, I don't see why you won't do it. He just couldn't get it through his head that because I had $2,200 in RCs that I don't want to waste them. It was a crazy discussion. And at one point, he says, look, it, it's only uh, $50. And I said, yeah, well, look, it's only $15. So why can't you make up? If $50 is so little, why can't you make up my 15 which is much less than 50 So uh, he finds a look, look, I'm, I'm telling I'm you this curious. is all. Do you remember what the item was? Yes, it was an iPad. Oh, okay. I was there with you. I don't remember that story, but I was there. That, that was the one you got your – didn't you get it for your son? Or I did. Either way. Yeah, I was there with you, actually. So, so, so then I, I – you weren't with me when I was sitting there talking, but it's possible you were with me. I told you after it happened. I was there that weekend because I remember you told me you got your son an iPad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so anyway, I, so how did I end up solving it? Because uh, as Brandon said, I got my son the iPad, which I did. So how did I get that iPad? I, I was not going to back down about this. I was super pissed. I, just, I, I couldn't bring myself to give them the, – and I thought, how shitty is this? Like why are they even doing this? Why do they have the host sitting there? to then rip people off on their RC redemption. Why not just redeem it one for one? Why are they even doing this? But I thought, okay, uh, I'm not doing this. If necessary, I'll just not get the iPad and get the shit in free play. Like, I'm just, I'm not going to do this out of principle. So I went, not just principle, but it made the value less too for the iPad, which wasn't as good of a deal anymore once I get stiff for 35 bucks out of RCs. So I went up to the cashier there who the one who checks you out and actually processes all the stuff you're getting and i said to them you know i just have a quick question for you uh and and there's a big line of people i i didn't want to like hold up the line or he said i didn't stand in line yet I just quickly went to them and asked them a question i said i just got a quick question is there any way if i'm a tiny bit short for an item there's something you guys can do up here to fix it. I didn't even mention the host thing. I was hoping they may have a different solution. And the cashier's like, yeah, yeah, this happens here. Just just mention it to the cashier. They can probably handle it. I go, are they going to take my RCs? What? They're not going to take anything. No, yeah, ask the cashier. They might be able to handle it. I go, uh, okay. So I got in line, got to a different cashier, told the story, pretended like I didn't go to that host, pretended like I didn't know about the host. And they go, uh yeah, well the fifteen dollars short on this five hundred. Yeah yeah okay we'll just do it and put it through. What a difference! So the the freaking 
cashier uh, not only did it, but uh, according to another cashier, they're all doing it. So it wasn't just like one rogue cashier. Somehow they're authorized to do this for free. And the hosts are sitting here stiffing you out of your RCs. I couldn't believe it. It should be the other way around. It should be the hosts were there trying to help you. And the cashiers were the buy-the-book people. So that, that's how I got the iPad. But I thought that was crazy. But what pissed me off, much more than the policy itself, was the flippant attitude I got regarding the banked RCs I had. Why does it matter? You have all this. So I always think of that when I hear about things where people are told you have this many RCs. Which I ran into something similar. I won't go into a long story now, but I ran into something similar when I asked for a hotel comp at a Caesars property in a different year where they looked up my RCs. And this is still back in the day when they didn't have to use your RCs. It was kind of like a, 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 a soft rule that wasn't always followed. So it wasn't like a property that couldn't do it. But the host looks at it and goes, why do you need me to give you any room? You have you know, 1,800 worth of RCs. And he could not get it through his head that I don't want to spend them this way. That the, the, the like it it was not even that he had to he couldn't understand why why on earth would I even be asking if I've got this many RCs why don't I just want to spend them couldn't get it and I I don't I never like when someone uses the logic of you have this much of anything money RCs why don't you just spend it frivolously I I've always hated that sort of argument so anyway bedwetter better Brandon and I agree. And by the way, Brandon, I also suggested to him he should, if this is important enough, he should go to a these the person who is the boss of that supervisor he talked to, and just politely say that yeah. he, he's always gotten this comp because this wasn't his first time at the property. He he was used to always getting a hundred dollar comp, and here they were offering him thirty, and in reality, he wasn't offering thirty. He was just looking at his balance and saying you have thirty. So I, yeah, that's that's kind of dirty and. Uh, I, I agree it has to do with I mean, the, the only other thing he could have done is if that host was on property, you know, you could have called her from the restaurant and been like, why is the cop not here? You know, and, and then kind of just get a little aggressive with her and say, no, this is what you promised me. I'm not going to pay. Kind of escalated a little bit. And, you know, you probably would have just had her eliminate, especially if she knew what she did. The only, like I said, exception would be if there maybe there. I'm just saying maybe there was confusion. She didn't understand. He didn't understand. I mean that happens at times, you know, too. But uh, outside of that, if that happened to me, um, and I can say I, I cared about the property, I wanted to maintain a, a good relationship, then I would have found a supervisor and just very politely explained what exactly happened. But you know what? But he did, and he run, he was rejected. He he talked to the supervisor who yeah, told him right, no. Right I, know, right, I know. I'm just saying what I would. In the long run, what it comes down to is, in terms of what they will do, is how valued of a customer. So by you telling me what they did, I'm going to assume he's either a small stakes gambler or he's, or he's an advantage player. Yeah, if I'm he not was sure. a fish or just straight up gambler, they would have made him happy, especially for such a small amount of money. But, you know, they can look. And they can look right away. It's gotten down to almost a straight science. And they can look, and within 20, 30 seconds of them scanning you know, your, your history, they can tell whether you're obviously an advantage player. They can also tell if you're just a small little flea. What a flea means is that's casino talk for just a small, a real, real small-time gambler. Um, and, you know, and, and they go from there. And that's what I'm – you know, and I got it right. You said he's an advantage gambler? No, I don't know. I don't know much okay. about him. So, but what I'm saying, he's definitely, you know, I can tell you almost certainly he's definitely not someone that is a, you know, semi to medium high roller. You know, and when I mean that, I mean even like someone that bets 25, 50 a hand, you know, can, you know, all the time, you know, just 
consistently because for a hundred dollars they just would have made him happy because that's what they're instructing. It was actually thirty here. They they always gave him a hundred in the past. This time he said, "Can I have a comp?" And like, oh well, we okay, have right, there's thirty right, for you, right, and right. and then it was actually what was on his card. Uh, so that also tells me the fact that they, he only had thirty available and they wouldn't even go. That's such a weird number. You know, it's not twenty five. It's not fifty. Like you barely ever hear a host say. Normally they round up. Like if you have seventy or eighty, they give you a hundred. If you have thirty or forty, they give you fifty. They're allowed to do that, and then you'll just be slightly overcomped. Meaning, you know, you'll have to kind of. But but they, I don't think the host play. really thought. I don't think the host thought they were giving him thirty. I think the host just told him, "Yeah, you have thirty on your card. Like you have thirty dollars worth of RC right. equivalent there. That's not. Uh, we're not giving you anything, but we're going to tell you you have thirty because they're treating RCs as comps." Which, which I hate. I hate when that, that they're interchanged because they're not the same thing. I, I have a question for you. Was this at Caesars property? No, it was at some, quote, East Coast property. But uh, he actually doesn't say either way. It was East Coast, but he doesn't say which kind of property it is. Uh, l- let me ask you what you would do here since you brought up about, like, refusing to pay a dinner. This was, I think, around 2014 or so at a Caesars property. That $500 dinner comp you used to get as a seven-star where you get to use it once a year. Yeah. Uh, back in the both times I was seven star or three times every time whatever it was in Lake Tahoe at that that steakhouse with the view which was fine it was good yeah well in this case is that a Harris now there's a it's a Harris and it's it's in it's a Harris Harvey's and I think it's in Harvey's that that steakhouse now but uh wait isn't Harvey's across the street uh, I haven't uh, been there a number of years it's under a tunnel but it's uh they're next to each other you you can go between them through a tunnel yeah I know right I remember that yeah but what so right, okay, but what, Harris at one point was Caesars. I, I know I stayed. No, at no, no, Tahoe. See, no. Caesars Tahoe is was is now Mount Mont Blue or whatever it's changed. Oh yeah, to yeah, you're yeah. right. That's right. Okay, gotcha. Okay, anyhow, that's where I've used my seven star dinners. But go on, please. Okay, so what I'm referring to here, is, yeah, the seven star dinner that is different than today, where you get actually five separate hundred dollar comps that are digital. Then you got a one time five hundred dollar comp which could be a pain in the ass because you're not going to go use this by yourself. You need to go with people, basically, to uh, get the value out of this. So that's what I was doing in those days. I would wait until I had family there or whatever to, to bring them to, to some nice meal. So my parents were in town, and uh, so I went with them and my girlfriend and Benjamin and I think my sister may have been there too, but we went to a steakhouse in Vegas. I won't say which one. We went to a steakhouse in Vegas that was. Why, co- why won't you say? I, I just, one? I just don't want to say it. I, but, uh, but that's weird. How could that? Because I, I choose story. certain things to reveal or not. It's a steakhouse in Vegas at a Caesar's property, and I. Oh, I think I know which one. But okay, go on. I do know which one. I won't say it, but go on. I bet I, you, though, I know it. Okay, well, you can text me if you think you know it. But no, yeah, I won't say it. I won't say it. Okay, go on. Anyway, I went to the steakhouse with my family, and everything seemed normal. And I had a paper comp, so I felt pretty damn confident that there's no issue. That the last thing I thought was going to happen was that there'd be an issue with this paper comp. I shouldn't say okay, the last... Your phone and tell me if I'm right. I'm just happy okay. to know. I, I shouldn't say the last thing, because with Caesars, there can always be failed. But I, I felt pretty confident holding this paper comp in my hand mm. that... Uh, right. That it was okay. Yes, you're right. So God, I'm good. I got to save my memory. Okay, I'm sorry. So, so I'm, I'm. I know the story. This so, so yeah. A long so time ago, so we we had this ni- nice meal there. Everything went fine, and then I hand them the paper comp to pay, 
And remember, this is my seven stars dinner. This isn't something I asked for from a host or anything. And they break the news to me. Sorry, we can't run this paper comp. And I said, what do you mean you can't run the comp? I have it right here. Do you think it's phony? Do you think it's counterfeit? Is there any issue? No, 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 no. We know it's real. I go, okay, then what's the problem? We can't run it. What does that mean? Well, when we try to enter it into the system, it does not accept. I said, why would that happen? They said, we don't know, but it's not working. I said, okay, well, what do we do about this? Can you call someone to get a fix? Yeah, we've attempted to do that. That's why it's been so long. That's why we haven't brought you back the bill after you know, you've gave us this comp. Uh, we've been trying this and trying, and we cannot reach anyone to get this solved. So I said, okay, so what are you saying we need to do? I'm not understanding. They said, well, how about you charge it to your room and have the host fix this later? Wait, I missed it. Why couldn't they, why couldn't they run the paper comp? It's, uh, some issue with it. It just wasn't working. Like on their, with the system, like you did nothing wrong. Right. The comp was valid. Right. They said they believed them. it was a real comp. They believed I was not counterfeiting anything. Okay. And but, I assume they wouldn't let you charge it to the room and use it. No, no. That's what they said. They said I should charge it to the room. So I, I just played the laughing sound effect because that was my response. I said, no way. I'm not doing it. Wait, but hold on. Hold on. But did they say charge it to the room and we'll, we'll be able to take it off once it's able to go through? They said charge it to the room and bring it to your host to fix it later. Oh, okay. All right. Go on. So I said, I'll no. What, I, I said, no, I'm not. Because the answer could always be No. I'm not going to try something to the room with my signature promising to pay $500 that I don't owe. I will never do that. So I said to them, this is a problem on your end. You need to fix it. And they said, no, no, no. It's not a problem on our end. It's a problem over at uh, the properties end that gave you this comp because there's two different properties, but both Caesars properties in Vegas. So I said, yeah, but no. did they explain to you what the problem was? That's, yes, it was that's a system part. problem. They could, they said that they it, it was coming up that it was not valid, that it was not working, that there was some issue, but that it they, that it was not okay. an issue where they believed it was counterfeit. So immediately, what I would have done is I would have stayed in the rest. I'm just telling you, I would have stopped right there and I would have not left that restaurant until I got a host on the phone at Caesars. And back then, at least, you know, they really cared about their seven star guests. Right. Okay. So and that's they, that's they, what I said. So I said to them, yep. I said. Let me tell you something. I am not signing anything to my name that is going to promise I owe to pay $500, that I owe $500, which I shouldn't know. So no way. I'm not doing that. I'm not counting on someone to fix this for me later. And then if they don't, just tough luck on me. I'm, I'm on the hook. I have a paper comp that says I get a $500 dinner. If you cannot process this comp, I am fine with waiting if you need to reach someone to fix it. But if you can't, then you need to just trust me and take care of it tomorrow when you can reach somebody. You, you, you don't put this on me. So I'm willing to wait, but I'm not going to take responsibility. This is your responsibility. Unless you, unless you think this is phony, which you don't. You've admitted you don't think it's phony. So, so if, since you think it's real, and I'll give you all my info, I'll tell you the room number I'm in. I'll tell you all how to find me. You can get a copy of my driver's license, whatever you want to do. I, but I am not going to take responsibility. And they would not back down. They're saying, sir, we understand how you feel about this, but we, you know, this bill needs to be paid and we can't reach anyone at that property and you can't leave here until the bill's paid and uh, there's no other way to do it. We can't do it tomorrow. And I said, well, I'm not paying. I have a document here which says that this is covered and you're refusing to honor it. So the answer is no. So we got in a standoff there. 
And then I started getting more and more pissed when they just were not backing down. And I was trying frantically to reach someone at this property, including my host, and nobody was reachable. They were right about that. Uh, but uh, but I I told the manager point blank, look, we've been doing we've, this for like 25 minutes. I finally said, look, I'm done. It's 25 minutes we've been doing this. You can't do this to me. I am holding a paper comp that is valid. And if your system has an issue with it, then you deal with it. I am not paying you a dime when I have a document that says that I do not owe this money. This is your problem. If your computer's broken, you fix it. You don't make me pay. So they were really reluctant, but said, oh, fine, fine. Like, they were really trying to make me feel like an asshole for making them deal with this the next day. But they finally did. And I don't remember now if they finally reached someone before we walked out or if they uh, did it the next day. But whatever it was, I never signed for anything. Uh, but uh, but I know at least they, they did agree after a lot of fighting that they were not going to force me to pay walking out. But I couldn't believe how like, they kept trying to push me to charge into the room. And and, and uh, by the way, we, I'm not going to go into this whole long story, but I had there was a similar situation that came up when Matt the Rat had a $150 food offer and took me to uh, Toby Keith's I Love It This Bar and Grill, and they were unable to charge it to his room. And we later found out something which we didn't realize before, that if you disable room charges, that that also means you cannot redeem offers that are attached to the room. So he thought that that was disabling like real money room charges. No, it disables all charges to where even if you have a hundred fifty dollar offer, they Wait, can't be redeemed. Why would he do that? Why would he disable? Charges? I don't know. You can ask Matt the Rat why he does that. that. Makes but, no sense. But he had disabled okay. charges, and then uh, so it took a while for that to be figured out. But again, they wanted us to pay first and get the money back later, and we both gave them the middle finger. And then finally, someone realized it that they had called after a while that they finally came up with what had happened here, and then. Uh, so he was able to call up and get them to lift right. that. And then, I'm going to ask Matt right now. Yeah, you can ask him right now. But uh, so you're saying he checked and he, he disabled, meaning the ability to charge something to your room while you're staying. Yes, maybe to prevent fraud. Who knows? But uh, he thought, yeah, okay, I have this. That's not. You never have to pay for any of that. No, and, I know. I don't know why he did it, but he did it, and then he uh, had a $150 offer for food, which he used with me, which I appreciate. And then they. Uh, they we sat around forever while they're trying to solve this. But my the, what I said to him then, and he agreed, and what I said back at that steakhouse is that never, never should the customer take it on them to pay the wrong amount and fix it later. And I've had other things. I'm not going to talk about it further, but things related to casinos, things nothing to do with casinos, things where hotels want me to pay an incorrect amount and then fix it later. And the answer is always no. It should be the no for any business. Never pay an incorrect amount to any business that they'll fix later. Never. You should always uh, just dig your heels and say, nope, it's your problem. You fix it. So uh, regarding Bedwetter Better, this is a little bit of a different situation because uh, you know the host is going to say, no, that's not what I meant. And the bottom line is he needs to pay. And you know, I, I actually wouldn't go as far as refusing to pay out of my points because, number one, they could just forcefully take my points anyway to pay for it if I won't. And and number two... Uh, that no, you, but what I mean is you could have just got more aggressive and called Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I would have gotten more aggressive, but but he got a, yeah. he got pretty aggressive. He got all the way up to a supervisor and they just... Uh, right. I mean, I guess he went afterwards, but that's the, that's the only thing he could have done differently is called them right then and said, uh, fix this for me, but... Um, 
but uh, yeah, I, I would have definitely protested this, and I see why he's pissed. Like as you said, it, this is messed up, very unethical, yeah, terrible. Bait and switch. That was the word I was. Oh, a bait and before. switch. Not, yeah, but it, yeah. but this is incompetence. I don't even think it's a bait and switch. I I think it was a combination of incompetence and also just this flippant attitude, like points equals comps. It, it's kind of a combination of that, and they don't get that a lot of patrons, myself included, don't see it that way, and it shouldn't be seen that way. They're two totally different things, and it's it's ridiculous. Okay, so we got one last topic here. About uh, Black Is this Hawk. it and then the show's over? Yeah. Okay, then I'll just stay. Is it a long topic? No. No, it's not long. Okay. So, have you ever been to Black Hawk, Colorado? I have not. Okay, so Black Hawk is a casino town in Colorado. And I had never been there before. I had heard of it because I had people who were from Colorado that listened to this show, more than one text me that I should visit Colorado sometime because Blackhawk has a good 30-60 limit hold'em game. So then I'd respond, look, 30-60 isn't that exciting. Uh, you know, I play bigger in L.A., play bigger in Vegas. I wouldn't go all the way to Colorado to play 30-60. And they say back, no, 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 no. You don't understand. This is a great game. It's way better than the one at Commerce, way better than the one at Bellagio. It's tons of fish here. All the good players are in the places you mentioned. They're, you know, the good limit hold'em players just aren't here, and it's too far for them to go. So you just have a bunch of really awful players in this game, and you, you, you could clean up. Like, the people would tell me, look, uh, I'm not even as good of a limit hold'em player as you are, and, and I clean up, this person would say to me. And I had multiple people saying similar stuff to me about the, the game in Blackhawk. This was years ago, but uh, I was thinking, okay, you know, if I'm ever in that area, maybe I will try to make an effort to play the 3060 and maybe stay at Blackhawk and see if the, this really lives up to the hype. However, I didn't get to Blackhawk until the summer of 2021. And I asked one of the people who had told me about this, does this game still go? And it turned out because of the pandemic, it really uh, fell apart. And that it sometimes goes, but it's not as good as it used to be. It's still still a pretty good game, but the problem is during the week, it may not go. And it happened I was going to be going through Blackhawk during the week. And that's the way I built the trip. I didn't realize this game didn't go during the week anymore so by then it was too late but whatever you know i had my whole trip scheduled i wasn't going to change it this is my summer trip to colorado i took in uh the summer of 21 but i had never been to blackhawk before so i i learned about blackhawk and uh how far is that from denver aspen vale because i've been i've skied my childhood a lot almost once a year in colorado but i, I well part of the state is blackhawk so Blackhawk is kind of in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it is not that far from Denver. Uh, you can get there in about 45 minutes with no traffic. And uh, But it's out in the mountains. It's actually fairly high. It's like at 8,500 feet or something. Denver is like 5,200 something, which is why they call it the Mile High City. So Blackhawk is like the mile and a half high city. And it's not really close to anything that is well known in uh, Colorado, but it is directly west of Denver. So if you think of it that way, so Aspen is not that close to it. Uh, I went to Aspen on my trip as well, but uh, in the summer, but uh, Aspen is uh, 200 miles from there. So that's not a, a close drive by any means. 
But it's in the greater Denver area. But it, I wouldn't even call it a suburb because it's it's way out in the in the mountains out there. I had thought these were Indian casinos, but apparently they're not. And yeah, I always thought that too. Yeah, but but apparently it's it's not. But but uh, or some of them are, but it doesn't have to be. So that that like I was confused about Blackhawk. But but anyway, that's not the point I was going to make here. I knew very little about it other than they supposedly had a good thirty sixty game, which turned out may not go when I was going to be there, and uh, that it's a casino town that mostly functions on casinos and is a pretty small town west of Denver. So I went there and uh, I stayed in a very nice new property that was uh, pretty high up to. When was this? When were you July there? of 2021. Oh, during the pandemic. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. But th- but remember that July is uh, when people were traveling and doing things again because the vaccines had all been available and there, there weren't many breakthrough cases. And uh, this is before. Right. Even, yeah, okay. This is just as you. Delta, just as you started to hear about Delta. Like when I left on this trip, I started hearing about Delta and how it might be breaking through. But it turned out it wasn't even Delta breaking through. It was just the vaccines were getting old and people didn't realize that uh, the vaccines were wearing off so fast. But anyway, I, I at the time, it wasn't a big deal to be traveling during the pandemic because this was we, we thought we were pretty much done with COVID once you get vaccinated and it's all good. Uh, so so we learned that wasn't the truth. So in Blackhawk, I was very impressed with the hotel itself. It was very nice. I just had a standard room, but it was very nice. The hotel was new. They had these super fast elevators that you that you would actually that didn't have any buttons in them. You would actually enter where you're going to go when you're in the lobby there, and then it would send an elevator that's, to get. Uh, you. By the way, that's the exact same technology at Virgin. Okay, interesting. So, same exact. So I'd never, so, I'd never been in an elevator like that. Before, yeah, I hadn't either. Way. That was my first time, yep. and, and it would yep. like it would. So you'd virgin. enter where you're going to so go. No, I mean the Virgin uh, in Vegas. The yeah, that's what I. That's what I figured. Yep. So it said like like you enter what floor you want to go to, and then it would tell you, okay, it's going to be elevator D, and then D would come. And what it's doing is actually like scheduling the elevators, so this way it it does it the most efficiently, rather than just the old school thing where you just press a button and the elevator comes in with the first one to get there is the one you uh you get so i i I really like the hotel and in the casino it had a free drink bar where you could just uh, i'm talking like like sodas but i could get sodas to my heart's content you you it's self-serve you could just walk up and, and and fill up a cup of soda over and over and over if you want it was it was free soda there free coffee and tea it's right right there in the center of the casino uh, the game sucked there, but okay, whatever. And and I couldn't. There was no thirty sixty that going. In, fa- in fact, there wasn't even more than like a two fives so that even bothered to play. Funny I, enough, Harrah's in uh, Kansas City is the exact same way. Oh, uh, all sodas and coffee and tea are self serve, right? Like in a center console of the main casino. I'd never seen that before either. But yep. So I I went to Blackhawk uh, as I said in, in in that summer during the week and. The one thing that bothered me there was the town itself was not equipped to serve people food. Really weird. You have these big, nice hotels, more than one. I stayed at the one called the Monarch, but there was a Caesars property right across the street called Isle, and that became a Caesars property because of the merger. It was once an El Dorado property. 
But there's other casinos there, some big, some small. There's an Ameristar there. But boy, the food options are sparse. There's a few crappy little restaurants, and I say crappy, they really are crappy, that are poorly poorly rated. They close early, like 8 p.m., 9 p.m. So after 9, there's like no options in the city. There's not a single fast food place in the city. There's, there's no McDonald's, Jack in the Box, Sonic, nothing. Nothing. No Carl's Jr. I mean, not one bit of fast food anywhere in, in uh, Black Hawk. And the restaurants in the casinos are all poorly rated and expensive. You look at Yelp, they're 2.5 stars, two stars, one and a half stars. I couldn't believe it. The Monarch itself, as nice and new as it was, they had crappy dining options made even crappier because the buffet was closed. And that was one of the, or not the buffet, the, the, uh, like the coffee shop was closed. Your options were like a crappy buffet that was poorly rated and an expensive steakhouse that was poorly rated. There's not even like a fast food option on property. So I actually walked across the street to Isle, which is going to be the subject of this story, by the way. And when I wanted quick food, I'd actually walk to Isle and they had one fast food type outlet, which was just internal to them. It wasn't any kind of known brand with a very limited selection with a tremendously long line at all times. I saw that line sometimes look like it was an hour and a half. I'm not kidding. On a weekday. Because it's the only place to get quick food. I'm talking about Isle now, which is across the street is Caesar's property. So I'm like, oh my God, I'm not going to stand an hour online to get this shit. What am I going to do? And I went up to the cashier and I said, I'm sorry, I, I don't want to be disruptive here at all, but uh, this line is crazy. Is there anyone, any way you could get someone else to come out here and operate the other register to speed that up? And they said, no, 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 we're sorry. We're short-staffed and... I said, no, no, I understand. Everybody is these days. And they said, yeah, you know, unless you're a diamond guest, there's no way you can uh, get through this any faster other than just getting in line now. I go, whoa, whoa, wait, a diamond guest? Oh, yeah, I forgot you're a Caesars property because it's called Isle. It didn't say anything about Caesars. I had forgotten about that. I go, whoa, you're Caesars. Oh, what sweet. What is it called again? What aisle? It's called Isle Casino in uh, in Blackhawk. So I said, oh, sh- shit. I'm a diamond here. I didn't realize, but I'm a diamond here. So I go, oh, so wait, if I'm a diamond, I can go to the front of the line? Yeah. So I go, okay. So uh, I go, well, how are we going to work this, though? Like, where is the diamond line? Like, I see the giant line that you guys are taking, but there's only one cash register open, and there's no diamond line, so where do I stand? And uh, they said, oh, yeah, there is no diamond line. Yeah. Um, you know what? Uh, I'll just open up this second register and just take you. So they did. They opened up the second register just for me and took my order. And and then when I was when I was done giving the order, someone else tries to move over and take my place and they said, No, 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 I'm sorry, sir, we just opened this register for him. <laughs> and boy that guy was pissed. And then people started going, What why does he get to go ahead of us? And they had to explain I was diamond. I, I kinda wanted to get out of there. I was embarrassed. Like I like the, the, the mob was angry at me for cutting what in they front do of- for seven star, Jesus. <laughs> so uh there must have not been many diamonds there, the fact that they, they kinda had to learn on the spot how to deal with this for me. So I, at least I got my food fast, but everybody else had to stand in this tremendous line 
And when I came back this next day, it was the same way. I just knew what to say. I knew I, I'm Diamond. Can you take me now? And they did. And again, I had some people kind of giving me angry looks. Uh, but I'm talking about other patrons, not the employees. But I thought, boy, the food situation is terrible here. And we'd go out to sightsee, and we'd come back late, and we'd come back at eight fifteen, and everything's closed. Not that fast food outlet. Why do you say that? Because that's how Laughlin is now, or was a few months ago. Yeah. So uh, I was seen as just atrocious. It's not even worth going. Because you're hungry the whole time and can't get a good meal. Right. That's how I felt. So so we ate this crappy fast food that I would go across the street from aisle to get and take out and then bring back to the room. And and my girlfriend hated it. And and we, we left the city. And our opinion was that the hotel was very nice, but the food situation there is horrendous. And then I talked to other people who'd been to Blackhawk, and they're like, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The food situation there sucks. Yeah, it totally sucks. Yeah, I agree. Like, everybody notices when they go there. And I said, this town could be so much better. I think this would get... I think people would have so much of a better experience here if they just got it together with the restaurants. I don't know why every freaking hotel has such a bad food situation. Not just bad, but just not enough of it. And why why are there no fast food outlets in town? Why is there nothing? So... That's that's what's going on in Blackhawk. So just prepare for that if you're going to go to Blackhawk. But the reason for this story, I, I already said some of this back in July when I came back from my trip. The reason I'm telling you this story is that Caesars is now making more of an aggressive play to make their Blackhawk property, Isle, relevant. So it's not going to be called Isle Casino anymore, which is what it's called. Wait, they're making a play to make it what? More relevant to the Caesars brand. Oh, okay. So what they're going to be doing is changing the name of IL Casino to Horseshoe, and they're going to put Horseshoe branding all over the place, and they're going to put World Series branding all over the place. It is not clear to me if they plan to hold any circuit events there, or if they just want to slap WSOP branding as if that means anything. They, they, I don't even know if they have a poker room there. They might have some small poker room. It's probably why they're doing the World Series branding, but it's going to have WSOP branding. Are you, are you sure it's not an Indian casino that's run by Caesars or managed like I was California? Okay, so I was pretty sure it was all Indian casinos there. And then I talked to someone later and said, oh, it's all Indian casinos here, blah, blah, blah. They go, no, it's not. I go, it isn't? They said, no. And so they told me it wasn't, and I trusted them. There's someone from, from the area. Maybe they're wrong, but... Uh, that was my impression coming in, especially Blackhawk. That name kind of implies like it's uh, something Indian, but maybe uh, maybe I'm stereotyping here. But that's what I had thought, but then it wasn't. It turned out, at least according to the person from Colorado who I spoke to about it. I, I never bothered to verify. It's uh, Now I'm making me doubt it. But anyway, the, the, the aisle is going to be no more. It's going to be Horseshoe Blackhawk. And... Maybe they're going to attempt to have a poker scene there. Maybe they're going to have a tournament stop there. It kind of sounds like they're going in that direction. But I have to wonder if they're going to be able to do this without fixing the food situation. Or otherwise, I think there's going to be a lot of grumbling about it. Uh, The IL Casino Hotel's general manager named Norris Hamilton said, IL Casino Blackhawk is the premier choice for gaming, dining, and nightlife, and the transformation into the iconic horseshoe brand will only enhance the experience for our guests. We couldn't be more excited to bring this legendary brand to Colorado. That's what they're doing. Yeah, it's the what poker is, What room. is it called right now? Is it just Blackhawk Casino? No, it's called IL Casino Blackhawk. Blackhawk is the Isle town. Casino. 
Yeah. And I, I didn't get to see the hotel rooms. They, my my experience in aisle was walking across the street, uh, going through that fast food clusterfuck, and then while I was waiting for make th- for them to make the food, I wandered around the casino just to kind of take a look, and it was just kind of a typical casino, nothing that exciting. And it wasn't bad. It was just kind of a typical casino. And then I went back and got my food and walked out of there. But I don't I don't know what's with that town. They also had a weird rule. They had a curfew. They had a curfew for kids that not only can't kids walk around on their own after something like 9 p.m. or 8.30, something fairly early, but they can't be present at all. They cannot walk around at all. Wait, is it Isle Capri? No, Isle no, Casino Blackhawk. I don't even see that. Okay, well, it's it's there. No, no, okay, I'll find it. <laughs> But, yeah, kids can't even be present. And I said, well, what will happen if a kid is eating at a restaurant here? I asked the monarch this. And then the clock strikes 8.30. Do you kick him out? And the first person I asked about this told me, yes, they are actually going to kick them out. (laughs) So I I said, you're telling me mid-meal they're going to tell you you have to leave because it's 8.30 and there's a kid here? Yes. Well, then I turned out that was wrong. It turned out that if you're already in the restaurant by whenever this curfew is, 8.30, I think is what it was, that you can finish dinner, but that the only way a kid can be on property at that point is either if they're in the room or they're walking to the room. But that's it. So you, the, the kid cannot be seen anywhere except returning to their room after that time of night. So you want to bring your kid down for a bite to eat at the restaurant after 8.30? Nope, can't do it. And they claim that was a, a city or, or state law. Very strange. Huh. I think Nevada has it right. I, I don't know what's with all these other localities, but Nevada, they have it right with the way kids are dealt with in casinos, where if they are on the way to something, they can be in the casino, but they just can't stop and observe or be part of the action there. But if kids need to walk through the casino to get to a restaurant, they can. Walk through the casino to get to a hotel, they can. There's no curfew. There's no bullshit. So it doesn't interfere with anything. Because there's no harm in having kids with you. It's not like somehow after 8.30 anything different. And it's not like that somehow if your uh, family is visiting a uh, hotel casino that somehow keeping the kids away from walking through the casino is going to stop them from having a gambling problem. If they know their parents are there to gamble, it's going to be the same thing. It's, it's really dumb. And I can tell you this as a kid who went to Vegas in the 70s with my parents, who were never big gamblers, but they were recreational low-limit gamblers, but they did go to Vegas uh, sometimes and, of course, took me. And I was fascinated by the casinos and the gambling, but it wasn't because I'm walking through and going, oh, wow. It was because the, the whole scene. I knew I was in a casino. I knew they were gambling for money. Like, it was that whole thing that fascinated wow, me. By the way. It wasn't. Looking at the restaurants, I've never seen such a thing. It shows four restaurants. One of them's a Starbucks. One of them's a bar. And then it shows Dash Cafe and Farmer's Pick Cafe. Right. See, the, the Dash is what I went to, I think. Wow. Dash is only open from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m., so the Farmer's Pig Cafe is the only restaurant, and it's open till 9 o'clock during the week, 
10 o'clock on the weekends, and that's it. What a fail. That's unbelievable. Yeah, isn't that cr- I didn't expect this. When I went there, I was shocked. There's not even a steakhouse or a, a, you know, a nice sit-down restaurant there. At least it's not showing on their well, on Monarch, their Yeah, Monarch had one, but, they, but it was not well-rated, and it was expensive, and it also had crappy hours. I would not stay there. Wait, and how was the poker there? Was there a thirty sixty game? No, because it was during the week. It didn't go, and uh, in fact, there wasn't even like I, I tried to even get on the list for a five ten no limit of which there was an interest list, and that couldn't go either. I wasn't going to sit there and play two How five. How many nights were you there? Uh, I I was there for three nights actually, but I wasn't there to gamble, so it was just part of the trip. And the first night we got there late, so we didn't have anything to do. Like we just went to sleep, and so we basically had like two full days there, and then. The next day when we checked out, I just bounced. But yeah, very disappointing. I was impressed with the hotel. Did you Not- get a comp for this? No, no. It just happened to be, you know, I did this whole Colorado trip where I went around basically the whole state to, to various things to see there. And Wait, uh, you paid out of pocket? Yes. Oh, wow. And, and what is the resort fee there? Do you remember? No. I, it, I, I remember I stayed at Monarch, not at Isle. And it, it was, uh, it may have been like $30 or something, but... Uh, I, I stayed at Monarch. It was actually, I got a pretty good deal there. In fact, I got a very good deal there, I remember. Like, I paid like 109 or something. It wasn't anything special for me. I just found, like, I, I, I booked it, and then the price went down, and I called and rebooked. So I got a very good deal. I don't know why, because everybody was traveling at that time. I, I don't know why they had to lower their price, but I wasn't questioning it. And and very nice hotel, this Monarch. I always, as I said, I didn't get to see the rooms, but impressed with the monarch very unimpressed with the food and that this these rules about the kids and the curfew it's insane and i thought to myself as i was saying if they could fix these stupid situations the food thing first and foremost and and the kid thing secondarily if they could get rid of this shit i think people would love it because the hotels at least the monarch was very nice and you know you're only 30 miles west of Denver, and there's other things to see in Colorado, of course. And uh, there's this these free sodas you can get there and free coffee. And, like, I could see how people could go there and really enjoy it. But boy, the food situation's a killer. And the, the only other place I've been to that I hated the food situation so much, and it wasn't a casino thing, it was in uh, Bryce Canyon in Utah. Have you ever been there? I have, yes. Yeah, this food situation sucks big time there as well. Uh, it also sucks in a lesser-known national park area called Capitol Reef. There's a, the town next to it also. Horrible food situation. I just hate when I go somewhere and the food situation is so horrendous that it, it kind of interferes with your enjoyment. And I'm not even like keeping super high standards here. I'm being realistic. But uh, you know what vastly improved food-wise, and I was shocked... I had so many bad experiences in West Yellowstone, Montana over the years that just the food sucked. Even when I was a kid, our family had a bad experience there. Like Every time in West Yellowstone, the food situation was awful. And the last time I went there, I was prepared for it to be awful. I was preparing it for it to be another just memorably bad food situation. And yeah, I tried to use Yelp and everything, but I still wasn't sure how it would turn out. And both places we went there were very good i was shocked we went to two good places one was like a barbecue place the other one was like a sit down 
uh, like a nice seafood restaurant, both very good. I couldn't believe I was in West Yellowstone. So props to them for finally getting some good restaurants there. Ah, interesting. All right, well, that's it. I, I got nothing more. Wow, all right. Well, I'm not going to say I'm sorry because I'm tired. Yeah, well, thank you for joining us. I appreciate you've been on the show uh, more well, recently. Hospitality. And we are going to be in April pretty soon. And uh, the fact the next show will be in April. Uh, I am not sure when the next show is going to be. Uh, I, I would love to say it's going to be on Saturday, April 2nd, but uh, there is uh, some chance I will not be able to make it because uh, I may have something else to do on April 2nd, and I, I don't want to do it on April 1st. It's a little bit too soon, even though it would be funny to have an April Fool's show. Oh, I guess I should quickly mention, since we're going to pass April Fool's, uh, do you remember some of the April Fool's pranks I've pulled on uh, Poker Fraudler? I know you know one for sure because it got you. The FBI one? Yeah, so they're the, the, the Poker Fraud Alert one that was most memorable was the FBI shutdown where I, there was... Uh, that was a good one because of the website, the redirect. That was great. Yeah, where you, if you went to Poker Fraud Alert, it, it redirected you and... Uh, I remember the bastard child on either Donkdown or NWP. Yeah, those are the two big ones. So I, I had what some was others... That? Like, was, that like, NW, was that NWP? That was Never Win Poker. So the two... The Poker Fraud Alert one was... A, I mean, maybe like... I think four years ago or so, but uh, on on April first, I think slightly before April first, they did it. Two thousand eighteen. Okay, yes, four years ago. Yeah. So, yep. Brandon uh, called me up and was very concerned, and I, I played along with it for only a short time. I didn't want to worry him too much, but there was a an FBI notice that the sh- the site has been shut down for illegal gambling, uh, running an illegal sports betting operation, something like that. Something where it was like semi believable that it could be happening. And uh, so Brandon called up, was concerned about this, and I answered, and I tried to answer in kind of like a nervous voice. So I said, hello? He said, hey, what's going on? Are you you okay? And I go, um, uh, sort of, and there's some people here right now uh, that I can't really talk about. And I, I kind of talked like in that tone of voice, and then Brandon's like, yeah, no, I, no, I, I understand. This is pretty bad. So what would happen there? And then said so, like, I, I said something at that point to reveal that it wasn't real. I, I didn't want him to get him too concerned, but a lot of people were gotten by that one. And then there was a trick. If you clicked on the FBI logo, it would then drop you on the forum at an alternate URL that was only available that day. So you had to know to click on it to get through. Otherwise it just took until I removed it. So that was the big one I did on Poker Fraudler. I did, I did a little fail, a few little ones on Poker Fraudler that were like low effort that people didn't really fall for. Like I, I promoted Desert Runner to be moderator, but not really. That was one of them I did, but people fell for for like a second and realized it. But the, the big one was the FBI one. That one worked well. And then the one on Neverwin Poker, which is more extensive. That was, I think, in 07... Oh, no, it was 08. I can tell you how I know it was 08 because it referred to something that happened in 07. So I posted a story in 08 that I was recently contacted by a woman that I had met on a party line in the mid-90s, and I was told that I have a 12-year-old daughter that I didn't know about, and that the only reason she was telling me was that she was about to go to prison that she was, uh, um, that this was about to happen and that I needed to take my daughter and that she had 
lost me, that she hadn't intentionally not told me, but that she had gotten pregnant, that we had lost touch. By the time she realized she was pregnant, she didn't know how to reach me, and that she had to go through a lot of effort to... Uh, no, I think it was that she saw a story about me uh, winning a bracelet or something like that, uh, and that she wanted me to take the daughter when she was going to prison. So, of course, I said that I was going to, and that I did. And uh, so then I claimed that this daughter had been living with me throughout 2007. And this is in April 2008 I was making this claim. Now, in order to make this thing seem real, I threw in a detail that I figured nobody was going to be able to dispute because it's something that you have to remember from back the previous summer, which you wouldn't have really noticed probably. But I just said it confidently like it was true. I said, some of you might remember that when I almost made the televised final table at the 1K with rebuys in in the 2007 World Series, that there was a girl who was kind of watching on the rail that was definitely too young to be there, but nobody was saying anything. And some people even wondered why she was there. Well, that was my daughter. Some of you may have seen her. And some of you may have seen her hanging out with me, but uh, I didn't want to tell anyone who that was, and I told her not to tell anyone because I hadn't made this public yet. So the funny thing was, Neverwin saw this, and he's like, oh, yeah, I I remember that night. Yeah, I was there, and there was a girl hanging around there. (laughs) So I I think Neverwin just, like, invented the memory in his head that there was actually a little girl hanging around watching. There definitely wasn't from what I could see. But but I, I claim that some of you may have seen her like to, to really make it seem real. And, and people were buying it. And then what was making me feel bad is I was, I was not revealing this right away. And like this FBI thing on Poker Fraud Alert, which I revealed the same day, uh, I was letting this go on for several days because the plan was to do the big reveal on radio. And I started getting all these messages of, oh, congratulations, and uh, you're, you're doing the right thing here, and this is so nice, and I'm so happy for you. That, like, I felt very bad that these people giving me these, these heartfelt messages are going to have to be told it was a joke. But I, 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 I was holding off. I, I couldn't bring myself to tell most of them. A few people I was really close to I told this is BS. But most people I did not tell. And the big reveal on radio, I said, you know, we really need – something dramatic before I reveal it's a joke. So I said, we've got to get a girl on here to play the part of this uh, mom because the the end of the story and the reason I claimed I was telling everybody is that the woman got out of prison and that uh, she was now not only demanding to have some custody back, but also she wanted a lot of back child support from me and that she's trying to extract a bunch of money out of me and now we're in a big battle over it. So... I wanted to have a conversation with this woman and fight with her on radio. I wanted to reveal this on radio that I supposedly had this daughter that's living with me now and that now I'm fighting with a girl's mom and that she's trying to extract money out of me and that uh, we're going to call her up on radio. So I wanted to call someone. The problem was I needed it to be someone whose voice wasn't recognized. So it couldn't be my girlfriend at the time because the number of people knew her voice. So it couldn't be her. And there were some other females on there that their voices were known. So we needed someone who'd never been on radio before that was also willing to do this and wasn't going to think I was crazy asking them to do it. So I thought about, who could I do this? And I realized there's one person, one obvious candidate, and that was Miss Idaho. So Miss Idaho, who isn't on these forums anymore, and I, I don't know if she even plays poker anymore. What was the last time you even heard from her? No, no I, I, I still talk to her and uh, and actually her husband as well. So... Um, believe it or not, her husband listens to the show sometimes. 
she was your biggest fan. Oh, yeah, she was. Yeah. And uh, so uh, Miss Idaho, I said, you know, I bet she'll do this. So I asked her and she said, yes. And she did a good job. She, she played the role pretty convincingly. And we, uh, we called her up. And I think she was claiming she presently lives in Newhall or Bakersfield or something like that. Something uh, in that area of California. Wait, Cal- oh, wow. I thought she was from like Minnesota or something. No, no, in the story, she was pretending this. Oh, isn't she from Minnesota or something? No, 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 no. She was from Idaho, and then she moved uh, east to uh, North oh, Carolina. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So wow, I haven't heard that name in years. Yeah, So, but she played the role very well, and we argued on radio, and then we had a predetermined line that she would say when I give her a certain signal. But I'd say a certain thing, and then she'd reveal it. So I said the certain line, and then she said... Congratulations, NWP. You've been rolled. And then I explained to everybody it was all fake. And I explained that was Miss Idaho and thanked her for her participation. It was a good prank. A lot of people fell for it. And in fact, those that didn't listen to radio didn't realize that it was a prank. And so some who lurked on Everwin Poker believed for a long time that there was a long lost daughter that I had that I was raising. And this is before I had any kids, of course. I, ben was born uh, years after that. So I, I did not have Benjamin. And I didn't know when I was going to have kids. But I had a fake kid. And Gavin Smith, when I played with him one time, uh, made some kind of uh, snarky comment about about my daughter. Like, go home and take care of your daughter or something. And then I had to tell him this was fake. And he didn't even realize that. He, he Why really, was he saying that? Was he being a dick? Or? Yeah, he was kind of being a dick. Yeah, I forgot what we were arguing about. But it wasn't like a major argument. But he, he said something like, yeah, go go back home and take care of your daughter. Something like that. I forgot how I transitioned to it, but I explained to him there is no daughter and it was fake. But I, I wonder how many people came away from that you know, believing and still believing to this day that there was a daughter who would have been, I, I believe, now uh, 27 years old. 26 years old, something along those lines. So I do not have that daughter, at least to my knowledge. I might have a son, though, in Santa Cruz. That I might have, who's EMT in Santa Cruz. Still got to find that guy. That's funny. Still got to. He looks just like me. So I don't know what to say. That one is weird. I mean, just to, to see a picture of a guy who is young enough to be my son, who has so many similarities to the way I looked in those days when I was that age. Never found him, though. I was just discussing it with Ben. I showed Ben like an old picture of me, and then I showed him the picture of this guy, and Ben agreed. Like I, I didn't want to have the uncomfortable conversation with Ben about why this guy would be my long-lost son. I just said, hey, doesn't this guy look like me? And look at this old picture, and Ben's like, oh, wow, yeah. But I, I, I didn't want to say that. I think maybe he could be my son, because then, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to get into all that. So I'm sure he thought of it anyway. He's not a little kid anymore. Huh. Well, that's it. That's all I have here. Hope all right. Enjoy- I'm going to bed. When did you say radio is up next? I, I don't know. So you check twitter.com slash poker fraud alert for the next uh, episode. It'll be sometime a week-ish from now. I just can't I can't promise you it's going to be on Saturday the 2nd. It uh, very well may not be because, as I said, I'm still trying to finalize some plans. I, I may have something to do that night, and I Friday is too soon, and maybe be Sunday, maybe Monday. I don't know. Check the, twi- the Twitter, and I will uh, 
make that known to people. So thank you, Brandon, for coming on once again. I always uh, like having you oh, join me here. Hospitality. And that is it. So I don't know if you'd like to stick around for the closing song where you can't hear me very well. Sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah, this ended up a fairly long show. I thought it might. I thought it might, especially if Brandon came on. I had a number of topics to talk about. It was eight days since we were last on, so not super long time. Had an extra day. Went on off on some tangents, but I know you guys like these long shows. That's the way it goes. Thank you, Trey Ruski, for appearing at the beginning. He thought maybe he'd come on after waking up, but didn't make it. Calwatt was too tired. He texted me he was too tired to come on. Otherwise, he would have liked to. He did text a few things. A listener texted me that uh, Barrow, Alaska, right now is zero degrees. Barrow, Alaska, this person texted me because they had a job offer there a while back and they ended up not taking it. But Barrow, Alaska is one of these places that is dark for several months straight and then light for several months straight. It's that far north. It is at the northern tip of Alaska. And it can be a very depressing place. Think of being there all winter where it's not just, it's not only like super, super cold, but the sun never rises. So you're just constantly in darkness. And even as a night owl, which I am, that would even get to me. It's one thing to just be up a lot at night. It's another thing to just never see the sun. And no, you're not going to see the sun for months. Just You're always in darkness. A lot of people suffer from depression in places like that. And the 24-hour light isn't that good either. Because you, you may want to sleep at some point without bright light outside. Not a place I'd want to live. But that is all. I hear Brandon kind of shuffling in the background. Probably doesn't realize we can hear him. But thank you to him for coming on. Hopefully we'll have him on again next week and going forward. Shalom. Shalom.